Welcome to Poker Fraud Alert Radio. This is Todd Dandruff Wittellis. That's my name. And today is July 6th, 2018 at 8.17 p.m. This is being recorded and broadcast live from the World Series of Poker. The last World Series of Poker broadcast I'm going to do. A lot to talk about. Last time we were on was June 21st, and I uh, will be back a week from today. We're going to have two Friday shows in a row, including a Friday the 13th show. That'll be our next show. Before I say anything further, I want to talk about a free roll that I should have had plenty of notice to tell you guys about, but uh, due to a little incident at the hotel here, which I'll talk about on the show, uh, actually two incidents I'm going to talk about on the show that happened uh, between when I expected to start radio and when radio actually started, uh, I was quite late. So the free roll started 17 minutes ago, actually 18 minutes ago, at 8 p.m. on the No Fraud Online Poker Room. This is the $100 I Am Greek thank you free roll. I Am Greek, who is a listener to the show, in fact, he's listening right now, his wife won a seat to the main event through some local contest. I, I don't even completely understand how she won it, but she won a seat and... Not officially through the World Series of Poker, but uh, she won a seat, came to Las Vegas and played. Unfortunately, it didn't go very well. Uh, they did sell a few pieces to members of the forum. So as a thank you to those who bought pieces of her, I Am Greek has sent $100 back to me to put on a free roll with. So that's the money being used tonight, $100 for the free roll. And uh, by the way, I want to say something here. I'm not at home. I'm at the World Series of Poker, as I said. Uh, sticking around because I'm playing the 3K Limit Hold'em 6 Max on uh, Monday. Then I'm going to bounce. But I am away from home, which means I'm away from my son, Benjamin. And Benjamin is actually listening right now. So I want to say hi to Benjamin. He's actually listening through the Alexa device which you can just say, Alexa, play Poker Fraud Alert Radio, and it will play either the live show or the streaming rerun. So I know Benjamin's listening. He doesn't listen to the show very often because it's an adult show, but I know he's listening right now. And Benjamin, I really miss you, and I will see you very soon. And uh, this is going to be the last extended time I'm away from you. So uh, you can uh, be with me just about every day until the next World Series of Poker comes around in uh, late May of 2019, and I'm happy about that. But I do miss you right now, Benjamin, and I always miss you when I go away for these trips. So, anyway, I miss his mom, too. But, <laughs> um, you know, for kids, it, it can be tough when... If they're used to it with their parents that uh, are split up, and they spend... You know, half the time with one, half the time with other, whatever the arrangement is, then they kind of get used to it. But uh, when when he's used to seeing his dad every single day, and then for a large part of the past month I've been gone, it, it can be kind of tough. And it's actually tough for me, too. A disposition saying in chat, Dref homesick. It's actually, it's actually true. It's actually true. I, I always feel that way towards the end of the World Series. So... Anyway, about the free roll, though, it's it, you have 25 minutes of late registration, so it began at 8 o'clock on the No Fraud Online Poker Room. It's 50 for first, 25 for second, 15 for third, 10 for fourth. That's 50, 25, 15, and 10. You need a separate account there 
In fact, uh, I promised somebody that I was going to verify their account, and then I forgot because of everything going on here. I need now. I need to do. It's going to be terrible radio, but I need to actually find this guy and <laughs> verify him before. Uh... This is what's so hard. I should have done this beforehand. If I can't find it, I'm just going to have to give up. Yeah. See, I can't find this guy in here. I, I was doing it for. Uh... Oh, I see. I see. I misspelled it. Trader. One of Trader Ruski's friends wants to play. And I was going to verify him, and then I forgot. Not so much forgot, but I ran out of time to do it. Here we are. Okay, I'm going to verify him, and then he can play. You have until 8.25 to get in, so it's three minutes from now. So hopefully this guy has his finger on the button, because I'm giving him permission right now. And it's done. So he can enter now. So you need special permission to enter. Special meaning one time. Once you have permission, then you can just keep entering without further permission. Uh, but this is being done in order to prevent people from creating second and third accounts to chip dump to themselves. So otherwise, yeah, somebody could make another account and log in through their iPhone, another one through their iPad, another one through their second laptop, and just keep dumping, 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 and they can just kick ass in these free rolls. So uh, Belly Buster, the poker room manager, realized this and said that he has to personally approve each new account. So if you make a new account on the No Fraud Online Poker Room, you have to send a message to Belly Space Buster on the forum. That's Belly Space Buster. Space being like the space bar, not the word space. And uh, asking for permission to lay the free roll. Registering is not enough. In addition, you need to qualify for the free money we give away. And you need to understand those qualifications by going to PokerFraudAlert.com slash free roll. PokerFraudAlert.com slash free roll. So... Make sure you understand those rules, or otherwise you will not win the free money, even if you win the tournament. So thank you to I Am Greek, though, for the $100, and we have some backlogged money that was donated, so I will be using that as well in the coming weeks. The schedule for radio is as follows. I've I've established the schedule through mid-August, and, and kind of beyond. So I'm, it keeps changing, so it's important that you know what the schedule is. So here it is. Of course, tonight, the July 6th show, uh, that was already moved. Originally, it was going to be July 4th, but I moved it to July 6th. Probably would have been better if I did it on July 4th, because uh, I had a lot of fail on July 4th. I probably would have rather I was just here doing radio. But nevertheless, it got moved from July 4th to today. So we got some good stories between July 4th and now, so it's probably better that I did it... Is Brandon texting me? Let's see if he he said he just woke up. Hold on. I just asked him if he wants to be on radio. (laughs) Brandon has even weirder sleeping hours than I do. As weird as mine can be, his are weirder. So anyway, uh, July 6th, of course, is tonight's show, but then we have kind of an alternate schedule all the way through August. Friday the 13th will be our next show at 8.30 p.m. Pacific Time. Then the next one will be six days later on Thursday, July 19th at 8.15 Pacific Time. Sunday, July 29th, 10 days later, will be the next show at 8.15 p.m. Pacific Time, and then Wednesday, we're back to Wednesday for the foreseeable future. 
on August 8th at 8.15, and it'll be every Wednesday at 8.15 going forward unless we have to make some more exceptions. So sorry for the schedule, which is jumping all over the place, but we should return to Wednesday pretty consistently starting in August, starting on August 8th. So July 13th, July 19th, July 29th, August 8th are the next four shows on Poker Fraud Alert Radio. Most of that is because of the World Series of Poker, and then because of the World Series of Poker, then that also makes me unavailable uh, on other Wednesdays when it's over because I have other things I have to do, so the, the whole thing gets messed up. It happens every year. So after that, you can expect it on Wednesdays again, and we'll all be better. And the live listenership really suffers when we jump around days like this because nobody knows when to expect it. This happens with TV shows, too. I've actually had TV shows that I really liked that got canceled that were doing okay with the, in the ratings until they got moved to some screwy time that nobody knew how to find it. Or in some cases, they get moved to a time that would get preempted all the time for uh, sports or, or other things that would come on a lot uh, at that time. People like consistency. People like something they can expect. If it becomes too much work to find something, people start to tune out. I know that. And it's at least good that most of you listen through the archives, so it doesn't matter that much, especially if it pushes automatically to your device through some sort of uh, podcasting platform. Then it's just there for you, and it doesn't matter whether you're expecting it or not. But, but still, I, I know overall the listenership suffers when we are not on a consistent schedule. So I try to do it as much as possible. But uh, I was describing the show to people at the main event yesterday, the, at day two. They were asking me about the hat I was wearing, and I told them about the site, and a lot of them had further questions, and I was explaining about the radio show. And some of them were very surprised that I do this for free, that there's no ads, that it actually runs at a loss. Some of them were very surprised with the consistency of the shows. Consistency meaning that you know, at some point, we usually do it every week, and if not, we do it the next week. But that we get 40-something shows out per year, plus the forum, and the site doesn't make money and doesn't really try to make money. So uh, they were very surprised at the table when they heard that. And I didn't bait them into saying that. They, people actually made, the, made those comments on their own. In fact, it kind of made me feel stupid. <laughs> Why am I doing this? Why am I not trying to make money? So, okay, uh, of course, the main focus of the show tonight is going to be the last two weeks of the World Series. That's what we've been doing for the past shows during the World Series. And then I will get to some other topics. So here's what happened in weeks five and six. Of course, this news is going to be a mixture of personal news about me and general news of stuff that occurred at the World Series, including some things that happened as recently as yesterday. So a lot of new and topical things to discuss. Plus, I have an exclusive for you. I have some information that is not being reported anywhere except on Poker Fraud Alert. We always get the goods. When there's a story, we always find out the most. We find out the most... I don't always do all the work. Sometimes people bring it to me. I'm not going to take all the credit here. But when I say we, I mean collectively people who read this site and listen to this show. We, we find out the information. Sometimes it's me too. But we find out the information. We get to the bottom of things. We're not afraid to report anything. We don't care who we piss off. And uh, that's why if you want the true story, if you want the actual story with full details, with nothing covered up or hidden, and things that are looked into 
in an intelligent and detailed fashion, then this is the show to listen to, and this is the site to read. And I'm not just saying this to toot the horn of my own site. This is the truth. You know, I know the strengths and weaknesses of this site and this show. But I know one of the strengths is that we we get the details. We get the goods. So the first thing I'll talk about tonight with the World Series... This is the agenda, by the way. We're not past the agenda yet. The first thing I want to talk about the, uh, regarding the World Series has to do with something I'm very used to and I wish would stop happening. And that is... I ran up a big stack in the 10K Limit Hold'em. And once again, I bricked the event. If this sounds familiar to you, that's because it happened in 2017 and 2016. For the third year in a row, I have run up a very big stack around the two-thirds mark of the day and then chunked it all off. Unbelievable. Didn't come close to cashing. All three years, not only didn't I cash, I didn't come close. Not like I was the bubble boy, no. Every year I say, this is not going to happen again, and every year it happens again. It's really weird. It's like, I'm just destined to do this. I'd love to say next year that's not going to happen, but <laughs> at this point, I don't know. A little bit better news, after I busted that, I registered, I late registered for the PLO8, the $1,500 PLO8 tournament, which uh, was part of the package I sold to Poker Fraud Alert members. And uh, there were two bullets available. I could I could have entered twice. I didn't need to enter twice. I started doing really well right from the start. And I ran up my 7,500 starting chips to 30K in the blink of an eye. Not from like one hand, but I just kept winning hands. I ended up cashing in that event. I'll talk more about that. But the bigger story from that event is the fact that I got sat next to one Phil Helmuth. And yes, I talked trash to him. Yes, I talked trash to him. Why? Because he deserves it. That's why. And he deserved it at the table. He, I, like, I didn't just talk trash to him about UB. Like, he, he actually was doing stuff at the table that deserved some criticism. So I gave it to him. So we'll talk about that. We'll talk about my encounter with Helmuth. In fact, you'll be able to hear me talk some of the trash because Daniel Negreanu recorded some of it. The World Series of Poker main event has started, and for me it's finished already. But uh, something that has been upsetting a lot of people this year has been the dinner breaks. Uh, a few issues there. Uh, number one, the dinner break starts at 3.25 p.m. I guess that's an okay time to eat dinner if you're like 85. Maybe for the Super Seniors event, that's when you should start dinner. But for most people at the World Series of Poker main event, they don't want to eat dinner at 325. And second, you only get 60 minutes instead of 90, as in previous years, or even 75, which they've been giving at other events this year. It's only 60 at the main event. And the main event is where you need the longest dinner break because the hallways are super crowded. It's super slow to walk out to the area where the food is. And the lines are insane to get any food. Insane lines. But you have 60 minutes to do all of that. I'll tell you why the dinner break was shortened and moved to that time. And I will give you my feelings on that matter, which I'm sure you already know. 
The World Series of Poker main event broadcasts, uh, not all day, but each day has uh, some period of broadcast on uh, ESPN. Either that or Poker Go. Actually, maybe all ESPN this year. I'm not sure, but whatever. They broadcast it uh, throughout uh, at various points of the day for even day one. And they always pick what they call the feature table to broadcast. And yes, they select the table that has the most interesting makeup of players. Interesting meaning players that the public would want to see play. So it wouldn't be nine randoms. Uh, it's always like bigger names in poker, sometimes people who are famous from outside of poker, but they try to find tables that have the maximum number of people that the public would be interested in seeing. That's fine. I understand that. I understand it's TV that the, it, you know, it's fine if they want to pick to broadcast the table that would be best for TV. That's okay. What isn't okay is to artificially stack that table with players that they would want to be broadcast on TV. There's a big difference with just observing a table that has a number of big names and say, hey, you're going to be the feature, feature table now, and actually artificially putting together a table that has names at it that they want to be on TV. So we'll discuss that. This hasn't been verified that this is occurring, but there's some strong suspicion I'll discuss my experience at the main event, including, speaking of deja vu, getting off to a hot a hot start at the main event, which I seem to do every year now, and then not cash. But this year I didn't even come close to cashing. Previous years I came close to cashing. This year I didn't even come close. So I got off to a hot start and then fizzled and busted in midday two. I'll tell you about my experience there. Vanessa Selps lasted a lot shorter than I did. She went out on day one shooting off all her chips on one hand. It seems like she even had uh, bigger than the starting stack when she did this. She wasn't short. I know at the very least she had starting stack. She probably had more. For At least from the description provided by Poker News, she had more. And I think the description is mostly correct. She shot it all off on a foolish bluff attempt with jack high no draw. And then when she was criticized on Twitter for the hand... She went on Twitter tilt. I will read you some of the outrageous things that Vanessa Selfs wrote. And it led to her having to finally face the music about her dreadful treatment of others at the poker table, which has gone on for many years. In fact, she even claimed that she doesn't do that anymore, but it turned out that's not exactly the case. Also, she's supposed to be retired, right? Well, we'll talk about all that on the Vanessa Selps segment. Maurice Hawkins, who I've talked about before on this show, uh, he is a black poker pro, and there's a reason I'm mentioning his race, because it has very much to do with his story. An Italian poker player was disqualified from the main event yesterday for saying, quote, What's up, N-word? I'm sure you know what I mean by N-word when Maurice won a pot. I'm not sure of the context. I'm not sure why he said it, but that's what he said. What, what's up, N-word, when Maurice won a pot? They were at the same table. Maurice got very angry, complained to the floor man, and then uh, ultimately the player was disqualified. 
Now, the exclusive here is that we have the poker player's name who is disqualified. I'll even play you uh, a little bit of an interview that you won't understand because it's in Italian, so I won't play it very long, but you'll hear his voice at least. Then you can picture him saying that. And we'll discuss why he might have said that and what is the appropriate punishment when someone uses the N-word at the table. Is disqualification too harsh? Or could it perhaps be not enough? We will talk about that. Max Steinberg, he lasted an even shorter time in the main event than Vanessa Selbst. Max Steinberg lasted all of one hand. He sat down. He got dealt aces. He got those aces all in pre-flop. That's your dream for your first hand of the World Series of Poker, is to be dealt aces and get it all in pre. Could you have anything better than that, aside from flopping the nuts and getting it all in? <laughs> it's, uh, so he got it all in against King's pre-flop, and he lost. So we'll talk a bit about that hand. So let's talk about the... or We, we will talk about the double bracelet winner at the 2018 World Series of Poker. Congratulations to... Hold on. I can't seem to find a double bracelet winner in 2018. Oh my goodness. There's no double bracelet winner in 2018. There's not. For the first time since 1999, unless someone wins the main event who already has a bracelet this year, or someone wins one of the events that are going on after the main event, unless that happens, which probably won't, there will be no double bracelet winner in 2018. First time in 19 years that's about to happen. Finally, the main event field is the second largest they've ever had, only behind 2006 when Jamie Gold won. This despite the fact that poker is losing popularity every year. We'll talk about why the main event continues to grow again. And if one day it might beat the 2006 Jamie Gold year, which was the peak of online poker and the peak of uh, poker in general. Non-World Series of Poker news, I will tell you about a nightmare situation I had on the 4th of July where I got a new player's card from a property I had not been to before. I ran hours of video poker. I lost. I thought, okay, At least I'm going to get offers from this place because I made a new card and I played video poker and I lost. And, uh, you know, they're going to send me offers in the mail for free play and whatever. And at least I'll get some of it back that way. Uh, No, I found out after all those hours of running my video poker play that when they made my new Players Club card, they gave me the wrong one. And I ran all this play for somebody else. I'm a stranger. Obviously, I made an attempt to fix that. I will tell you how that has gone. It might surprise you. I had an altercation with an employee at El Burro Baracho, which is Guy Fieri's restaurant at the Rio, the uh, Mexican restaurant at the Rio. Uh, Guy Fieri has a few of them. Uh, all at Caesar's Properties, to my knowledge. The first one I ever ate at was in Laughlin. Uh, a lot of people go there at the Rio. There just aren't many food choices at the Rio. I've been there a number of times. They opened up 
a little window to eat there. And uh, I had a, a confrontation there. I had a confrontation with uh, somebody who... Uh, or did I talk about this last week? I may have talked about this last week. Well, at the very least, I have an update. I, I have to look if I talked about this last week. I, or not last week, two weeks ago. The confrontation was two weeks. It was like around two weeks ago. So I, I don't know if I reported this on the show or not. Now, now I've got to figure this out. I don't want to tell the whole story again if I told it last week. I'll briefly tell it again because I have an update. But uh, now I've got to make sure. Like, just as I'm saying this, I'm like, did I talk about this last week? Let me see here. Um, no, I actually didn't. Okay, good. I, I thought I talked about it last week, but I see in the agenda I did not. Let me see what the chat room says. I, I bet the chat room hasn't heard this story about my altercation at the window. Someone just asked in the chat, uh, do trips ever go smoothly for Druff? The answer is no. Um, if it involves Caesar's properties, the answer is almost always no, because there's just so much fail. And if you ask anybody who frequently goes to Caesar's properties, then you'll hear from them that there's like tons of fail. Like it, You can't go to a Caesar's property for any length of time without fail. Uh, even people, you can, you can ask others who don't have as much of a history of complaining as me and, and they'll tell you about all the fail they run into. But let's, let's talk about trips that, uh, are not at Caesar's properties. If it's a short trip, then yes, there can often be no fail. If it's a long trip, then there almost certainly will be just because of all the exposure I have. Exposure meaning that I'm going to so many different places and experiencing so many different things that something's probably going to go wrong. I took a trip in 2015, a road trip where we drove all the way from Southern California up to the most Northern part of Washington and then back to Seattle. It's like a one way road trip. And it was a two week trip. We went to so many different places. And as we were getting near the end of the trip, I said to my girlfriend, I can't believe it. We've had no fail. And we hadn't, we hadn't had any kind of issue with anything. And the day I said that, we had an issue with that hotel where the toilet didn't work and they didn't handle it right. So I just should have kept my mouth shut. Anyway, um, I, I had an altercation at the takeout window of El Burro Baracho. And then when I went to go get takeout food again, not at the window today, I didn't have really an incident, but I, I found out something different than what they had told me the whole way. That caused some delay here. I'll, I'll explain the whole story when we get to that segment. But it's, it's typical Caesars. Where, uh, and also, I, I have a story of uh, how people got in trouble at uh, El Burro Baracho because of me. And not because I reported anything. They actually did me a favor and they got in trouble for it from upper management. So I'll tell you the whole thing when we get to that segment. Um, Phil Galfond won a bracelet... I know he already has one, but he won another bracelet at the 10K PLO 8. That, I, that wouldn't be a story normally, but I'm just mentioning it because he also gave an update on his Run It Once poker site that he's opening. So we'll talk a bit about the Run It Once poker site. And uh, I just mentioned he won a bracelet that's not even worth talking about with that. I didn't play that event, by the way. I wanted to. I just It just didn't fit in the schedule. 
The World Series of Poker Hall of Fame finalists for 2018 have been announced. There are two names that were not there before, and they still have an issue where the voting process is very unfair. We'll talk about that. I know I've talked about it before, but I'll give you the list of names. I'll tell you who I think should win, or who I think deserves to win, not who should, but who deserves to. And uh, we'll discuss the voting block issue and how the voting can be easily abused. If you are near Atlantic City or if you go to Atlantic City, I have some good news for you that they now have a very good players card status matching program going on right now, which may not last very long, so you should get to it quickly. It's not worth making a special trip there for, but if you're going there or if you're not that far from there anyway, you should definitely take advantage of this because they're basically if you have one upper or mid-tier players card at a property there, or even at a property that uh, is part of a group of properties there. Like if, even if you've never been there, if you have like a Caesar's Diamond card, you can definitely make use of that, uh, and you can get a lot of other high-level players' cards without ev- even having to put a dime in the machines. You have to play it all. So I'll tell you about that status matching program in that segment. Finally, this is brought to my attention by a listener. I have not verified it. I'm going to only read to you what he has alleged, and then discuss it, assuming it's true, but with a caveat that I don't really know this person, and it may or may not be true, but he alleges that the Spirit Mountain Casino in Oregon has been pocketing the rake that they are supposed to be using for the Bad Beat jackpot, because they claim the jackpot is maxed out because it hasn't hit in a long time, so they've capped it, and even though they've capped it, they're still taking a jackpot drop, and he is alleging they're pocketing the money, which is pretty bad if true, but I don't know if it's actually true. So we will discuss that situation at the end of the show. That is our agenda this evening. If you're not in the free roll already, too bad. You can't get in. You're, you're shut out at this point. Now, let's see if I can track down some co-hosts here. Let's see who I can find to join me. Calwatt was going to be on, but then I started late, which I'll, you know, I'll tell you why I started late. Um, Brandon, I don't think he realizes it's right now. I'll tell him that it's right now. Trader Ruski said he'll come on, so I will call him. And, uh, looks like Calwatt fell asleep. So the reason this show started late, there's two reasons. Number one, number one reason is that Uh, I, I had that incident, or not an incident, I had a second thing going on at Alberto Baracho. The second thing is that security came to my room and did a room check because I had a do not disturb sign on the door. And they hadn't been doing this. This just started. This is supposed to have started a long time ago, but it was delayed due to the labor problems. But apparently the labor problems must have been solved completely. I know they were very close to getting solved. Because uh, they're doing it now. And I'll tell you the information I got, but they, they basically made me open the door and let them check the room just as radio was about to start. And then they had a little trouble uh, contacting whoever needed to be contacted to let them know that it's okay. So I had to wait until they finished contacting that person. It was a pain in the ass. And, and they may be coming back tomorrow. So that has started. We'll talk about that. See, Brandon, he says he's listening now. But he's not saying if he wants to come on or not. I'm not just not getting an answer. I'm not getting yes. I'm not getting no. 
So I'm going to put on Trader Ruski for sure. Oh, he said, okay, great. We'll get Brandon too. We haven't had him in a while. All right, beautiful. Okay. So we'll put Brandon on, we'll put Trader Ruski on, and we'll have a show here. Good. Don't have to go at this alone. Happy about that. All right, let's see here. Here's Brandon. Actually, Brandon, let, let me let me call you. I think I need to call you, otherwise it, it screws up. Is this the fraud show? It is, but I'm going to call you right back. I think I've got to call everybody myself, or otherwise Skype doesn't work right. Skype's a piece of crap. All right, yes, it's the fraud show, Brandon. Hello. I can hear an echo. I I hear I hear the radio go. Oh, hold on. Maybe you know what? Maybe I'm you have the radio on. on. <laughs> yeah. Hold on. Let me turn it I off. I mean, there's no echo here. So I gotta tell you. Can you hear me? Yeah. I've been glued to the TV. I, I've been I've been watching this whole Chilean soccer thing. I got I got under eleven. Oh, I'm not watching. So. You know what I'm talking about, though. These kids, they're trapped. Yeah, yeah, I know. Yeah. Under eleven. Yeah. <laughs> Too soon. Jeez. Yeah. <laughs> I'm kidding, obviously. I mean, w- w- that's just a weird situation. They know where they are. They can reach them, but they can't get them out. It's crazy. It's like this generation's Jessica McClure. Mm-hmm. You know, you remember that? Yeah, I remember little, that. I, I remember. Know, the little girl in the well. Yeah. Have you more... seen what she looks like after she grew up? No. Jesus, if only they knew, they should have left her in the well. Jeez. <laughs> oh, all right, I'm kidding. I'm kidding, everybody. All right, Don't Trader Ruski, hello, welcome to the show. What's happening, boys? So, uh, Trader Ruski, I'm going to talk a little hey, bit buddy. later in the show. I'm going to talk more about. Uh, I, I've had various adventures downtown, and uh, not all of them good. So, I'm going to talk about an incident that happened uh, on July 4th, uh, not at your favorite property, but uh, somewhere else near there. And uh, so, okay, I guess Are I we guess we also talk about uh, Trader Ruski's degenerate video poker problem. That might be a good topic. I don't know. Would he like to talk about it? Well, touch on it, I'm sure. Trader Ruski, <laughs> can we talk about it? Whatever. I trust your judgment. Okay. What? Why, Trader Ruski, your sound's not very good. Like when you talk, I hear like it's awful. It's embarrassing. It's embarrassing. All right, let me fix it. I got to get to another place. I'll be. That um, sounds better. I'm staying on, but I'll. No, no, it just got better. It's good now. That's good. Now it's uh, good again. Okay, cool. It just got better. It just sounded really bad before. Okay, so. Uh, if you want to call into the show, 775-FRAUD-55, 775-372-8355, Mount Charleston Line, 702-430-1808. It's located in a cabin, uh, an old rotary phone in a cabin on the top of Mount Charleston. Forwards to me wherever I go. You can text the show at any time, 775-372-8355, the main number. And uh, I see Raw Wolf's trying to call in. I, I, Raw Wolf's banned from the show right now for uh, spamming the forum. Can't come on. And then uh, he's calling to talk to me. He's trying to uh, get me to go along with this movie that he. Do you know about this movie idea he has? No, I don't want know. You really don't know about? The no, movie? I don't know about the movie. Well, he's been sending me these messages, and he wants you and me and Mike on. And this is no troll. I mean, I'll show you his messages to sell him the rights of our story so it can be turned into a movie. <laughs> I'm not making I don't up, think man. our story is that interesting. I don't. I, I, mean, I don't think I'd want to watch that, that movie. It could, it could be millions. It could be millions. He says that guy from uh, the Social Network. Uh, what's his name? Jesse Eisenberg, I think. That he's already in prelim talks with him to play you. <laughs> <laughs> Listen. One other thing, because 
that one guy who won the bracelet that you were talking about with the online site, since I'm probably not going to be tuning in to uh, listen about a poker site I'll never be able to play on, I do want to mention the one thing that was a little cool, talking about Phil Golfon, of course, uh, about his that bracelet he won, is he stated in the interview afterwards that he, this was the first time he had ever played PLO 8 um, in the tournament setting. He said he had played it less than 100 times in his life uh, in, in a mixed game cash setting. Uh, like it was thrown in a couple times, he said, you know, mainly just for, you know, somebody else that wanted it or to accommodate a fish, I, I assume. But he played less than 100 times. He'd never played the tournament hand of it before. And he didn't even understand, you know, fully the game. And he said he was learning on the fly. That's what he said. Wow. Which I found kind of interesting. That is interesting. I mean, that's the only thing notable about that, you know. That, that happened, I think, I think Cliff Josephy won a bracelet and stud, like having never played it before. And someone quickly told him how he, like he accidentally stud, registered yeah, for correct. it. And then someone, like, correct. gave him a quick crash course, and then he won somehow. Yeah. Shows you how much luck is in these tournaments when that happens. I mean, that, I mean, props to the guys who can learn so quickly to where they can play at a high level to win, but uh, it also shows you how much luck is in tournaments. So, anyway, uh, the call to listen line, we can't forget about that. 712-775-8162. 712-775-8162 is a way you can listen to the show live or the streaming reruns, where it just picks a random rerun and runs it when we're not live on the air. You can... Call it from anywhere in the world. It won't cost you even one byte of your data, so it won't waste your data. Never buffers. Unlike other streaming, uh, unlike other ways to listen to streaming content on the internet, it will never buffer. It'll never stop and say buffering. It'll just keep playing. There's never any buffering. It's a guaranteed no buffer zone. Seven one two seven seven five eight one six two. The call to listen line. It's located in a little shack in the small town of Carroll, Iowa. So I think that's, that's, that's it for the intro. We can get going with the topics uh, at hand, including the uh, World Series of Poker, which we'll start with. So I want to start talking about my own experience the last two weeks. I play the 10K Limit Hold'em, which I, I do every year. And in recent years, I've struggled... With cashing in it, with even coming close to cashing. But I don't have the situation where I get there and just get beat down. It's quite the opposite. I get there, and at first I'm kind of, you know, either spinning my wheels or even losing a little bit. And then, starting the middle of the day, I start to win. And then I start to win more. And then, usually when we get to level 7, there's 10 levels of the day. Each level is an hour. Usually when we get to level 7, I start to really kick ass. I even thought of this when we went to the break after level 6. You get a break every two levels. And I was doing well, but you know I wasn't one of the leaders. And I thought to myself, we're about to get to level 7. I bet I'm going to start winning. So I sit down. I immediately start winning. One notable hand. This shows you how not everybody in a 10K event is a good player. There was some Japanese guy who was playing like almost every hand. Now, he had position on me, which was a pain in the ass, because he was playing almost any two, and you never could put him on a hand. And it was annoying when you'd have, like, ace-queen, ace-king high, and he slapped some garbage pair, and you're checking to him, and he's betting. But um, there was one hand where... I've only had it one other time like this in my life, where he was just 
re-raising me where it was super obvious that I had the nuts to where I started to doubt that maybe I saw the card wrong. I made a one-card flush with uh, with the King of Hearts, with the Ace of Hearts on the board. There was no full house possible. There was no straight flush possible. So I had the nuts. The one-card nuts. Okay? With the King of Hearts. Um, so I bet... He raised. I three bet. He four bet. Now, even though this guy was a fish, I had never seen him just go crazy like that when he definitely had an inferior hand. Basically, he just played way too many hands. And, uh, you know, he just cold called tons of hands and then would try to catch something and chase. But I, I hadn't seen him just going nuts when it was clear he was beat. So now I started getting nervous when he made his fourth, with well, a four bet, the, the, re, the, you know, puts his fourth bet in here. When I think I have the nuts, but I haven't looked down, what if I really have the king of diamonds? So I was kind of like afraid to even check and have him see that I'm checking I really have the nuts. But I, I checked it quickly when he was kind of looking down to reach for his chips. And sure enough, and I looked at the board again, I go, am I missing something? Is this a straight plus possible? No. Did I miss that the board's paired? No. I'm going... Is, is, is this the nuts? Yep, the king of hearts is the nuts. I started even worrying, what if this is a messed up deck? He also has the king of hearts. But I said, okay. So I made it five bets. Well, at the World Series of Poker, a cap is five bets. I had thought previously that if it was a heads-up pot, you could just keep raising each other unlimited. But I guess that's not the case anymore. Maybe it was never the case, and I'm getting confused. Brandon, do you remember with, with, I mean, in Limit games there, it, was it ever just unlimited heads up as far as raising back and forth? I seem to remember it was. I don't know where Brandon is, but uh, Trader Risky, do you, do you remember that? Yeah, I mean, I, I don't play too many Limit tournaments. I mean, I know live. Yeah, live, That's I, for sure that's rules live, but I'm saying like in a, in a Limit tournament. Yeah, yeah. What do you remember, Brandon, with that? Sorry, I muted it. What do you remember with um, that? I, I think it was years and years ago, because I kind of remember that too, and then I think the reason why they changed it, it was incorporated in one of those rules, like, well, one of those years where they changed the rules, like, originally, you know, it never was a penalty up until maybe 10 years ago, that if you check the nuts behind, I mean, you know, nobody did it, but it, remember, you know... Yeah, 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 if you check the nuts behind, then it. you get a penalty, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So I think the, the fear, obviously, was that you know, people that know each other could potentially chip dump. Yeah. Um, you know, but I, you know, I'd have to check. I don't, I don't know. For well, sure, and, and two people could have the nuts and then they could basically have to re-raise each other all in to not get a penalty. Right. Well, and no, they both have 10 I, I, th- I think you just can't check behind. I think if it's like, uh, if, if you just both have the nuts, so like with a straight and, and so no, it, both people could re-raise each other all in. I mean, no, it, no, he's saying the opposite. Right, let, let's, I'm let, saying a limit. Limit. Let's oh, let's yeah. say let's say you both have the the obvious nut. Let's say there's a, a ten jack queen king in the board. You both have the yeah. ace, and you know, bet raise if the third person doesn't re raise. I think that's okay according to the rules. But uh, like I won't if it's against a good player. I'm not going to go five bets with that. With you know, no, with, it just means yeah. It, it's not as if you're not forced to keep raising with the nuts. You just can't. You just can't check it. Hello. Yeah, you just can't check it behind. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So, I don't know. That's a good question. I have to look, but I think you're right. I think, you know, as recently as maybe eight, ten years ago, that was the case. Yeah, so, so I was hoping I could just keep... Re- so anyway, 
I was hoping it, and he was hoping it. So we get back to him, he wants to put in a sixth bet. And he's getting very low on chips at this point. It seems like he's just giving up and get his punt to stack off to me. So they stopped him and said he can't. <laughs> so so then I turn over my king of hearts. He turns over, he had the ten of hearts. He didn't even have, like, the, the second nuts. I think the second, I think there was a, an ace and a, and a jack on the board. So I think the second, so the second nuts was the queen, whatever. He didn't even have the second nuts. He had the third nuts. <laughs> so uh, why he chose that hand to do it with, I don't know. Maybe he was just sick of playing. And so he was down to very few chips. He really wanted to just donk the rest of them off to me there. Then, of course, he ran it up from there and, and had like 200K again shortly after that. So it was amazing. He he ended up not cashing, as you might guess. But uh, anyway, after that hand, I, I was doing quite well. Then I won a few more. Uh, angry John Minetti was sitting to my left. Uh, yeah, he was he was polite to me. We even talked about the Dodgers. He's a big Dodgers fan. But uh, he was frustrated because he was just like not winning hands and getting no cards. And he was just watching me like show down big hand after big hand after big hand. He even said to me at one point, the number of hands I've seen you show down, the number of premium hands I've seen you show down, I haven't had that in a month, he said. A month meaning that combined. <laughs> so so uh, I, I was feeling so good there, and sure enough, level 7, I just kicked ass. I even said I always do well on this level. I looked at the poker news counts. I also looked around the field, and I determined that I was the second chip leader at that point with about 160 k we started with 50. The only one ahead of me was Ray Henson, who had about 180 then. From there, I started to lose, like I seem to every single freaking year for the last three years. This exact thing happened in 2016 and 2017, where I ran up to around 160, 170K, and then it went down very fast after that. In 16, I was out within a little bit more than an hour, just got clobbered. In 17... It wasn't quite as fast, but I ended up finishing the day with like 55. And in uh, 18, pretty much the same thing. I finished the day with around 55. So that was very frustrating. And uh, every year I keep thinking, okay, if I come back and run up a big stack, I'm not going to chunk it off. And then every year it, it just seems like I lose anyway. I don't know what's happening. I don't know why this is going on. Every year I try to figure out why did this happen? Is there something I could have done to stop it? I don't know. So, uh, on the, near the end of the day, I was moved to a table that was pretty tough. I mean, it, they always have a number of tough players in these 10Ks, but this one, uh, I think there was one guy who looked like he was a recreational player. I wasn't there very long. But the table had Matt Glantz, who listens to this show. It had Brock Parker. It had Jameson Painter, who's a very good limit player. And uh, it had Nick Shulman. Sound like an easy table? Anyway, um, I actually moved there with a very short stack and won some back. So that's why I finished it like around starting stack when the day was over. Uh, Matt Glantz also had a short stack. And I had a hand where it folded to me. And I think I had like 70-something K at the time. It folded to me, and I had, uh, I think it was Queen 9 or Queen 8. Um, but I, I raised, it was either Queen 9 or Queen 8. I think it was Queen 8. So it folded to me. I raised the button. He was on the big blind. He 3-bet me. So I, I know Matt. I know he's not doing that with garbage. I know he's got some kind of real hand, and 
he's very short. So so basically, if if I hit any piece of the flop, um, I probably have to put him in. Well, it turned out the flop was like uh, Jack High, Jack Low Card, Low Card. So at that point, it was worth taking one off to see if I could get something. Because there's no matter what falls, there was no way I could be charged very much because he was almost out of chips. So I was. It wasn't. He didn't have so little there where I would want to put him in with his queen high. But you know, calling one bet here to try to catch something is fine because you know if if I raise him at that point, if I hit a pair, then uh, it's not like he can three bet me and cost me a lot of chips. So I just called the turn brought uh, a straight draw for me. So he bet again with very few chips left. He didn't have enough to complete the last bet on the river. And I just called. Well, Matt knows me. He knows I if I had any piece of that and I wanted a showdown, that I was going to raise him there. So when I just called, he goes, oh, that's a good sign. That's a good sign. So yeah, we both knew that you know he had some kind of hand that was going to win a showdown and that he must have been ahead of me because I knew he either had a big ace with with no pair, or he had a pair, and he knew if I'm just calling the turn like that when he has almost nothing behind, that my hand is so bad for showdown, I'm going to lay it down on the river. Which, of course, I was going to do. So he, he knew he was ahead there. So then he auto-bet the river before even seeing it, which is fine. I, mean, I, I knew he had a hand like that. It's a queen on the river. So I said to him, as I'm about to turn over my hand, up, oh, never mind, I, I said, up, oh, Actually, it isn't that good for you. And I was I was turning over my queen nine, queen eight, or whatever it was. He turned over ace queen, <laughs> so it was good for him. I mean, it didn't. He was ahead anyway, but uh, I thought I sucked out on him, and it turned out I didn't. Reason I'm telling you that is because uh, that was the beginning of a run up for Matt. He ended up finishing fifth in the event. So I think he owes me some money here for doubling him up like that. I really thought he was out when that queen hit. I thought I'd be talking about on the radio how I busted Matt Glantz with that queen on the river. Instead, he also had a queen, better kicker, and he went all the way on to finish fifth. The event was actually won by Scott Seaver, who entered on day two. I hate that rule. I hate that people can enter on day two. It's just so obscene. It makes a mockery of the World Series of Poker that people can enter on day two. Now, yes, they, they start with a starting stack, and they're very short at that point. But um, if you have deep pockets, as Scott Seaver does, then and Phil Helmuth, a number of people entered. Like, a lot of people entered on day two. A lot meaning, like, more than ten. If you have deep pockets and don't mind paying for a 10K event and basically just gambling that you're going to win the first hand, and knowing that if you don't, then you're out. If you don't want to put the time into having a number of hands to run your stack up or also maybe run your stack down. But if you just want to show up and quickly gamble to to get back up to a reasonable stack and then play from there and save a day that way, then uh, I, you know, it may actually be an edge to do this because you are avoiding a period of time when a lot of people are busting. So when we started day two, about half the field was out. So you're already coming in at that point. You're coming in at that point where doubling up immediately gets you back to average stack. And where you've saved a day of your time. And where you have avoided running bad on the first day. Where you've basically survived the first half. 
you basically have granted yourself the ability to break even for the entire first day. Now, you may ask if I think it might be an edge, why don't I do it? Well, I actually want, one, I want to get some play. I, I don't want to put 10K in an event and, and, and expe- you know, have it the first hand to be a gamble, and then, you know, if I lose it, I'm gone. Uh, but, but second, I do feel that, especially since I always seem to do well at the beginning, uh, I, I like running it up. I like being able to do that. But, you know, I don't think it's the worst idea if, if you're so deep-pocketed that you don't care about if you lose the first hand, you're pretty much done. But if you win it, you're back to average. I don't think it's that bad of an idea to enter on day two if you're willing to do that and gamble that way. So, he ended up winning it. And he's not even much of a, or at least he wasn't before a Limit Hold'em player. I played with him once in a Limit Hold'em tournament. He wasn't very good. He did say in the in the interview afterwards that he's played more mixed games recently, so it's possible he improved and he's better at the Limit games now. Uh, when I played with him a few years ago, he wasn't a very good Limit Hold'em player. But uh, what, what irritated me about him, he's one of these social justice warrior poker players. You know, part of that whole Kate Hall group. I don't know if he's that close with her, but he's a, he's, he's always one of those guys who's, you know, like Bonomo and the others, just always tweeting out social justice warrior crap. Uh, he was actually, he quickly had a shirt made for day three when he saw, he went into day three with good chips and thought he might probably make the final table. So he, he hastily had a shirt made of uh, that woman who's uh, running in, in, in New York, uh, woman Cortez, who's a socialist. Um, he actually had a shirt made with her face on it. <laughs> that, that was what he played the final table with. I mean, isn't that stupid to, to, to have a... Uh, to play the final table... With a hastily made shirt of uh, of a socialist who's who's running for Congress, uh, people the the far left is very excited about her because she's never held elective office. She's only twenty eight. She beat uh, an establishment candidate in the primary, a nineteen year incumbent. Her name is Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, and she's a socialist. She, she's an open socialist. So now she's moving on to the general election, um, and, and she's probably going to win because she's uh, in a Democratic district. So I, I don't want to get all political here, but regardless of, of your political leanings, I think it's so stupid to at a final table to, wear, to go get a shirt made with, with a candidate you like. I just think that's obnoxious. I wouldn't do that. No matter how much I'd like to candidate, I wouldn't have a shirt printed with a candidate's face on there and, and play the final table with that. It's one thing if you're, if you're going to go play in a jersey of a, of a sports team you like or something like that. But here you're just trying to be provocative. Here you're just trying to you know, throw your politics in everyone else's face. It really it doesn't have a place in poker. But he, he's always irritated me. Um you know, Scott Siever, he's one of these guys, he hasn't done anything wrong in that he hasn't scammed anybody, he hasn't screwed anyone in any way, like, he doesn't do anything like that, but um, I just find his personality to be very obnoxious, and um, he's always acted like he's hot shit, he's very arrogant, 
there was one time that uh, he was watching the World Series of Poker main event final table and just making the most condescending, nasty comments about the people playing and you know how bad their play is and how he can't believe this is the final table. And you know, yeah, there were some plays there that were questionable, but he yeah, this is the final table of the main event. It's very hard to play your best under that spotlight and with so much money at stake. And not everybody you know plays these super high rollers like he does. And not everybody's used to playing for that much money. And, and to, to sit there on the sidelines and just be so arrogant and obnoxious like he was. And, and, uh, and I, when I've seen him in person, that's how he acts, too, at the table. He, he acts like uh, he's the king there and everybody has to uh, bow down to him. And, uh, and the truth is, you know, he, he, he kind of looks like uh, a fat nerd who was probably the, the big outcast in high school. Which, you know, is fine. I'm not, I'm not bashing him for that, but, but he's... He's acting like that, that he's the cool guy who can look down on everybody now. That, that's, that's how he always acts. That's how he acts on Twitter. That's how he acts at the table. That's, that's just everything I've seen from him. And he's always shoving his politics in people's faces. So, I don't like the guy. I've never had a personal beef with him. We've never had even an argument or an altercation. I just He just really rubs me the wrong way. So... Like when I saw he won, I wasn't that happy. I was really, I was hoping Matt was going to win, to be honest. Because, you know, Matt listens to the show. He's a nice guy. I know him, you know, so I, I was rooting for Matt. I really was. Even if, even if he doubled off me, that's fine. Even though I needed the chips, that's fine. Even though I, I, I thought that finally something went right at the end of the day and I was going to finish with a lot more chips than I thought I was going to, thanks to that queen. Even though I was thinking that uh, Matt busted and uh, maybe this is going to send me on my way to doing well. Even though I would rather have finished fifth than seeing Matt finish fifth. That's true, too. But at that final table, I was really hoping that Matt was going to be the winner. And I'm being sincere about that. But when he went out fifth, like I saw four yeah, four were left, and I didn't really care that much about those four people, but, it, but I just didn't want it to be Seaver. And then it was Seaver. Not that this is the only tournament he's done well in. I mean, he's, he's finished, uh, he's won a lot more money at these higher buy-in events. But... Uh, between him entering on day two and and just my personally personal dislike for him, just for his personality, I just hoped he wasn't going to be the winner. So, um, and, and you know what? The, the first time I played with him, I didn't even know who he was. I didn't follow tournament poker that closely, so I didn't recognize. I knew the name Scott Seaver, but I didn't know what he looked like. So, like, I'm just thinking, like, who is this like fat, arrogant guy at the table who thinks he's better than everybody? Who's making all these weird plays that aren't correct for a limit holding tournament? Like I, I'm thinking this a few years ago, or more than a few, whatever, whenever it was. I think it was five or six years ago when I first played with him. But I remember thinking, who is this guy? This guy's a douche. Like I, I was thinking, like, am I supposed to be impressed that he's at the table? I, I really thought these things without even knowing who he was or what his politics were. Anyway. After I bricked that, um, I was kind of wandering around the hallway at the World Series of Poker, and I was deciding whether I should go jump into the $1,500 PLO8, that's the uh, Pot Limit Omaha 8 or Better Tournament, uh, which was ongoing. It had been going for a few hours, so the question is, do I late reg it with a full stack, full starting stack, which is no longer going to be the average stack because people have been playing a while and some people have busted. So I didn't want to come in like really short. 
So I had to go and examine the table that uh, how many were still running compared to how many entrants there were, but they weren't even closing registration yet. So I, I had to make a decision like how short stack would I come in? Is this worth entering? And when I say worth it, I mean for me and also for the investors who had 40% of me. I had to make a logical and intelligent decision here. So I looked at it and determined, yeah, it's it's uh, it's definitely okay to enter now. There aren't that many people busted yet. Uh, but but I need to cool down. I'm I'm very disappointed about having busted day two of this 10k limit hold'em. So I I can't just go sit down now. I won't be playing my best. So I decided I was going to take like a 15 minute break, and th- and that's what I did before I I jumped into the uh, second bullet of the mixed Omaha event. When I found out that the second bullet was possible, I didn't just immediately go rebuy. I, I waited like 15 minutes because I, I knew I had to. So in those 15 minutes, I was kind of wandering around and I saw uh, Jeannie, who's been on this show before and a very good friend of Brandon. And uh, she she's uh, she was in the $1,500 Raz event at the final table. So I saw her there. And... Uh, I, I watched a little of that. I don't think she saw me. Then I decided, you know what? I'm going to go. Uh, I'm going to go buy into this uh, PLO8 event, and then uh, come back here and watch it. So I did that. I came back and I saw her on her way out. She had busted. She was in eighth place. So uh, anyway, yeah, I talked to her a while there, and uh, I went over to the PLO8, and uh, I immediately started winning. And I won't bore you guys with the hands, but I ran up my 7,500 starting stack to 29K fairly quickly. And I, I didn't double up at any point. I, I didn't have it all in. Just I kept winning hand after hand after hand. And, and boy, was I making big hands. There were hands where, first of all, it looked like I was a maniac just playing tons of hands because I was just getting good, good hand or good hand dealt to me. And then I was flopping every time. There were hands I didn't get action on where I was flop. I was hoping that they were going to give me action because it looked like I was playing so many hands where I, I flopped the nuts. So I, I was just running super hot there to start. Uh, from there, I, I didn't really uh, go anywhere. I kind of stagnated for a long time. I got moved moved around from table to table. Finally, towards the end of the day, I got moved to my final table of the day with about uh, 40 minutes left in the day. And as I'm sitting down, I look down who's to my left, and it is none other than one Phil Helmuth who I saw discovered at that exact same moment that it was me. And boy, boy, did the expression on his face change. He immediately gave kind of like a frown. He didn't say anything, but he immediately gave a frown because he knew what was coming. Because I'll tell you something about Helmuth. Even though he berates people at the table, even though he's very obnoxious and very rude to people, just about everyone is afraid to say anything back. They, they think he's like poker royalty or something. They're afraid to say anything back. They, I don't think they're afraid he's going to physically harm them. But I think that they're afraid to talk back to someone who's such a big name in poker. They're either just intimidated by his presence. Uh, they're afraid somehow they're they're gonna you know, everyone's gonna take his side because he's the famous player. Uh, they, they just uh, they don't want someone who's famous in poker disliking them. I, I don't know what it is, but no one ever talks back to him from what I've seen. 
So he knew that I'm one of the guys who's not only going to talk back to him, but that I might make comments to him starting up with him. So I could tell he was unhappy. Now, he didn't say anything because he, he didn't want that. He Phil enjoys bashing people at the table and, and, and the fact that they don't respond back to him. He doesn't want someone like me there talking trash to him. So uh, I forgot what I said. I started off. First, I just sat down and I was just quiet. Then he made some comment bashing someone the way they played a hand. I forgot what he said. He was berating someone already, just some random Asian guy at the table. And I forgot what I said back, but his response to me was, not clever enough, not responding, he said to me. So, yeah, so, so then so then we went, then it was quiet for a while. Then we, you know, neither of us said anything. Hey, does he know your first and last name, you think? Does he know exactly who you are? That's a good question. That's a good question. I don't know. He's, he definitely knows who I am by face, and he knows that I'm someone who gives him a hard time about UB. He, he knows all that. If, if asked to name me, I'm not sure if he could. It's possible. I'm probably like 50-50 on that. That's a good question. So, so, so we, uh, again, I was quiet then for a little while, and um, then Chris Beerin, who's actually uh, nominated for the Poker Hall of Fame again, he was at the table too. And Chris played a hand against Phil, where admittedly uh, Chris didn't play it well, and ended up screwing Phil on the river, where Chris called like a big bet on the turn that he shouldn't have. I forgot the exact details, but for sure, Helmuth's criticism of his play was valid, but again, you just shouldn't do it. You should just be happy the guy put in chips bad, and uh, or and then you know, if he happened to suck out on you, he sucked out on you, but you shouldn't... Yeah, you shouldn't go off on someone like that. I never. I, I've had this before, where players, you know, pro and amateur, just do something that isn't the right play, and then they end up sucking out on me. Okay, you know, that's um, internally I'm very frustrated. Internally, I'm, I'm, I, you know, I, I feel like I want to scream, but I, I, I don't say anything. I don't berate. I'm, you'll never find anyone who will tell you that I berated or insulted them for the way they played a hand. I just, uh, um, I, I just take the loss, and that's that. And so. Helmuth, of course, uh, he, he couldn't do that, so he started just going off on Chris Beerin. Now, Chris Beerin is not—he's not an amateur. He's not someone who's going to be driven from the game because Helmuth bashes him. He's been around forever, uh, so so there wasn't that situation. But I've seen Helmuth bash uh, amateurs. I, last year, I played with Helmuth, and uh, he ripped on on an amateur player from Minnesota. So uh, Helmuth will bash everybody, amateur and pro, if, if he doesn't like uh, the way they played. So he, he really went off on Chris, and just and he couldn't shut up about it. And then, oh, I know what it was. I know what the, when he said it wasn't clever enough. I know what I know what I said to him earlier. I just remembered it. After the Asian guy sucked out on him in some hand, uh, Helmuth was was uh, patting himself on the back for uh, folding and not paying it off. It was like I think Helmuth bet, and the guy raised, and Helmuth folded it, and then showed what he was folding. I think Helmuth felt folded like a fairly strong hand that he felt just about everybody else would have paid off, which I, I, he was giving himself too much credit. Like in, in, in uh, PLO8, there's a lot of times you fold a strong hand when you think the opponent has the nuts. But he started talking to himself, Helmuth. He started saying, yep, Phil, that's that's why you run deep in every tournament. That's that's why you always do so well. That's that's why you you always get so far is because you make folds 
that nobody else would make. You you lay it down when you know you're beat, and everybody else pays it off. That's that's why you do so well in these, Phil. He's actually saying this out loud. <laughs> and, and to nobody in particular, he's just sitting here saying it out loud so everybody can hear it, calling himself Phil. So I asked him, is this speech supposed to be for yourself? And, and that's I asked something like that. That's when he said, not clever enough, not responding. So back to the Chris Beerin thing. He was just going on and on and on to Chris about this. The, what did you think I have, Chris? When I put this bit on the turn, why, why would you call that? What, what, what did you think I had? What, did you, what were you hoping to catch there, Chris? I just don't understand. He just kept going on and on and on and on. And Chris wasn't giving it back to him. Chris was sitting there very quiet, just going, oh, I don't know. He's kind of mumbling some things back, barely really saying anything back. Phil just kept going on and on and on and on about it. Finally, Negranu, who was at the next table, whipped out his phone and started videoing it. And Negranu does this. Negranu just videos things in, in the uh, tournament room, which I think he's not even supposed to do according to the rules, but you know, it's Negranu who gets away with it. So Negranu, who heard this whole hubbub over there, came over and started to record the whole thing. And uh, then I, I was sitting right next to him. So even though I had, uh, I had already said something to Phil before about berating the other guy, I knew I had to say something again, especially on camera. There, that uh, the last thing I wanted was to be shown on camera, just sitting there as Phil is going off, and I'm just sitting there saying nothing. I was thinking of saying something. I was thinking, like, what do I say? You know, when do I say it? What do I say next? And then Negranu started recording. I go, okay, now i got to say something. So let me, let me get this. I should have had this ready. But uh, this, this appeared in Daniel Negranu's uh, vlog. I know it's supposed to be pronounced vlog, but I call it a vlog. I'm not going to change that. Uh, I think it was what he called day 26. Let me see here. Let me get it. Yep. I gotta find the the one here. Let's see. I think it's twenty six. Yeah, it was it was day twenty six. I'm gonna get over there too. So it's, I think it's at the sixteen ten mark. Of uh, this is actually the one called uh, honoring Maria Ho and PLO two thousand eighteen. WSOP Vlog Day 26, honoring Maria Ho, referring to her election to the Women in Poker Hall of Fame. So, let me go over to this point in the Vlog. I believe it's uh, around 1610. No, it's a little past that. Here we are. Okay. So I'm going to play you the what I said to Phil. And when I started saying this, then uh, Negranu started, he just froze there and, and put the camera on me. And then I was I was getting ready to say more, but nobody responded. Everyone just sat there awkwardly, and nobody answered. Phil didn't answer. Nobody at the table answered. Everyone just sat there awkwardly. So then Daniel just uh, just quit and moved on. But here it is. Now it's it's quiet here because Phil Daniel ran over because he heard Phil kept going off. But then he came over and Phil's just quiet, so he's just focusing on Phil right here. What's up, Philly? 
Good time, man. Who won, Bjorn? When you come over, man, when the guy, the guy puts his money in, it's six outs. Exactly. That's how they do against you. Six outs. It's good for poker to be great players, though. It's good. Good for poker to be Ray players, though. Make people want to keep playing is what I said back to him. And and, and uh, everyone just sat there. And that's that's when Negroni just starts saying, well, looks like Phil still has a lot of chips. Everybody's just quiet. Lots of fun. You're having fun, huh? You're having a blast. So, it's so awkward. Negroni is like making conversation with randoms at the table. He just he, he put the camera on a random guy next to Beer and said, "Lots of fun here. You're having fun, right?" Like just everyone, nobody wanted to say anything. They never say anything to him. And Phil didn't say anything back to me because he couldn't think of anything to say back to justify what he was doing. So eventually, Negroni just left. You you can go watch this yourself. You'll see me on there. And, um, someone pointed out I was quote texting. When when they put it on me, I wasn't actually texting. I was actually posting on my Twitter the fact that Phil was berating Chris Beerin. Like I was, I was tweeting that, and then I heard Negreanu was over there, so I quickly put it down and made that comment. So again, this, this is the audio again. <laughs> What's up, Philly? <laughs> Good time, man. Who won, Bjorn? When you come over, man, when the guy, the guy puts his money in a six outs. Exactly, that's how they do against you. Six outs. Good for poker to be great players, though. Good. Makes people want to keep playing. Phil still got a lot of chips. Yeah. So. So that, that's what it was. Now, you may wonder what happened after that. Did me and Phil just keep sniping at each other? And there wasn't much time left. There's probably got kind of 20 minutes left in the day when this happened. And I was brought there with like 40 minutes in the day. But uh, what happened from there, we, we didn't talk further for a while. Uh, then, and you know, it wasn't that long of a while. We had 20, days le- 20 minutes left there. Then it folded to my small blind, and Phil was in the big. And I looked down, and I saw some sort of like, middle strength hand like kind of lower to middle strength hand and i thought about raising and i just i got this feeling from phil that he had something strong just kind of the position of his body just some some kind of tell came out nothing super obvious but something kind of just came to me like i know if i do this he's going to re-raise me or even if he doesn't re-raise me he's got something very strong so i tossed it didn't show what I had. I just tossed it, and Phil looked irritated. And then he shows me his hand. It was like uh, Ace Ace Two Four, something very strong. And he said, "How did you know this? How did how did you know not to do that?" And he threw and he threw it away. And I said, oh, "I got a feeling I was going to get re raised." So uh, then, when the day ended, I lost like half my stack on the second to last hand I played. I got sucked out on on the turn by an amateur. But uh, so I was, I was down to like twenty eight k or something at that, or twenty three k, something that I wasn't. Yeah, I think twenty one k. I think I had a high of forty two. I was down to twenty one, so I wasn't feeling very happy. But I just wanted to bag my chips and leave. Uh, I did end up cashing the event for like a pseudo min cash, pseudo mean like like I think one level up from the min cash, something like that. But uh, I did, I did cash this event, uh, though not very deep. But as I was gathering my chips together to drop in the bag 
Phil made a comment, which I think was to me. I wasn't watching him when he said it. I was kind of, I had my head down bagging the chips. But I think it was to me, and I can't imagine who else it would have been to. He said, in kind of a polite tone of voice, well, you know I always whine. I'm, I'm, I'm surprised that, uh, I'm, I'm surprised that that, uh, something like, I, I don't know why that surprises you. Something like that. But he said it like not, not in a, a way to berate me, almost like he's trying to like be friendly with me now. Where he actually took credit the fact that he whines, and that he thought I already knew that. Kind of like to say, hey, you know, why are you giving me such a hard time? You know that's me. You know that's how I am. So I didn't. I just didn't respond. But I thought that was interesting that that was the final word. But I had it before, eight years ago, where Phil approached me by himself in, in the pavilion room. And wanted to know if I hated him because of UB and told me that he didn't want me to hate him. So Phil has this weird thing where he just, he wants, like he berates people, but at the same time, uh, he, he doesn't like people thinking badly of him. And he even posted, I, I wondered if this, this had to do with me at all. He posted uh, not that long after this on his Facebook uh, a statement where he knows he berates people, he knows that this is... Uh, you know, this is a flaw in his personality, and uh, that's just who he is, and that uh, you know he doesn't mean anything harmful by it. It was it was like a, a statement, basically saying like, uh, I know this is a flaw of mine. I know this is something that uh, people don't like, but I don't mean anything badly by it. And you know, and I'm a good person. I'm a good father. I'm a good husband. And and of course, all these ass kissers responded, "You're, you're great, Phil. We love you." And you know, uh, he mostly got positive response from this. I posted a one line response saying. Well, okay, then stop doing it, question mark. (laughs) He's not forced to berate people. You you don't have to just concede that this is going to happen. You can say, okay, I realize it's wrong to do this to players at the table. I'm just going to stop doing it. It's not very hard. So I do wonder if that was inspired by what I said to him. But, uh, yeah. If, if I'm if I'm placed at the table with one of these guys, I'm always going to say something. I said stuff to Letterer last year. I said stuff to Helmuth this year. I said stuff to Helmuth last year. Like I, I'm I'm not the guy who's going to talk crap online and then be afraid to say it in person. I'm going to say it in person. So I did. So you know, I wasn't on him the whole time, but I I, I made some comments. So uh, there you go. That was I guess that was the most memorable thing about that event to me was uh, talking trash to Helmuth and appearing on that video. And uh, it was my fourth cash of the year, which is a record for me. I've never cashed four times in any individual World Series of Poker. The record was three, which I did uh, in 2006, in 2008, and uh, I think that may be it. But I got four this year, and I, I could even have five if I can do the if I can cash on on the the Monday tournament, the 3K limit hold'em six max then I'll have five. But I had four this year. Unfortunately, none of them were at any of the 10Ks. I went 0 for 3 in the 10Ks. That kind of hurt. So uh, that that was my World Series so far, minus one event that has yet to take place. Uh, for those of you that bought pieces of me, uh, so far as we stand right now, the worst you're going to do, I think, is like slightly less than even. 
Stephen possibly go no, no, I think it'd be slightly less than even. Even after the markup. Before the markup you're ahead. After the markup I think you're a little bit behind even if I were to brick the next event. Right now you're actually ahead, but I'm I'm saying the worst you'll do. If I brick the next event. If I didn't play the next event, you'll you you'd actually get more than you put in. If I just said, hey, I'm not playing the next event, or if I got sick, then you'd actually get back more than what you sent to me. But since I am playing, barring something happening, uh, if I cash there, you're, you're definitely up money. If I don't cash, I think you're very slightly down. But uh, the, the four caches there definitely uh, helped. Uh, what dragged you down a little bit was the, you know, the, the two satellites I played were part of the package, and I did brick those two. But it, as far as the bracelet events in the package... Um, I have played six so far in that package, uh, and and I cashed four of them. So, not, only one of them was uh, much above a min cash, and that was at the event thirty seven. I got about seventy eight hundred bucks, which wasn't way above, but you know, it's it kind of like uh, three and a half times a min cash for finishing thirty third. But still, uh, I didn't get any five figure caches, which is disappointing. But still, I got four caches. So that was uh, how this year's World Series went, minus one event coming up for me. And uh, now we're going to talk about some things. Well, I'll talk about the main event a little bit later for me. But uh, now we're going to talk about some things that aren't about me. Uh, Brandon, how, how many events did you end up playing? I know you had some things going on which we won't discuss on the show. Just some. I can discuss it. I don't even care. Okay. I want- mean, I'm not going to give out pers- you know, too much personal info for, you know, crazy people, but I could, I don't, you know, I don't really okay. want to hide it. But uh, go, go, ahead and tell people, go, go ahead and tell people whatever you want to tell. That's uh, well, <laughs> up to you. Or if you don't want to no, tell, that's fine. What, should I not, you think? Um, I mean, I don't have to name names. No, of course you don't name names. I'm not going to do that. Yeah, I mean, you can just give a story well, I, without naming anybody. your first question, I ended up playing three events. I okay. did not uh, cash in the three that I played. Um, I am going to likely play a week from I think it's a week from today or no I'm sorry it's a week from yesterday there's a, a 3k horse which is just kind of weird it's like the second to last event it's the last event right before the million dollar uh, yeah I, I think these 3k events so late is it's really weird like the 3k limit hold them six max to put that on July 9th which is on day five of the main event is, is crazy but that's yeah. when it is yeah well I had planned to play more events I had two things actually going on um, one thing was I was moving. I ended up in, and I knew about this. I knew it would be tough, but it was only going to really impact me for maybe three or four days during the WSOP. I was moving. But what I didn't know, obviously, what was going to happen is a, uh, let me just think here. I guess I can say it. I mean, it's not, yeah, okay. So someone that I know, a friend that does not live in Nevada lives in another state. He was out in Nevada to uh, play in a couple of WSOP events. I think he only played one, but more importantly, Gamble. And he comes out here every summer for you know a month, two months sometimes. And uh, he came here as well with his 16-year-old son, who I know very well and I'm very close with. And this person, it's no one from PFA. It's no one I've ever talked about. So, you know, don't try guessing, but it's, just, it's nobody. It's nobody has anything to do with the site. Uh, however, Druff has met this person just in a social yeah, you know, I have, yes. context. Anyhow, this friend of mine, uh, you know, he's really the 
epitome of just the highs and lows of a gambler. Meaning, you know, he has massive swings. Uh, you know, obviously I just say he has a gambling problem. It's not even, a, it's in control. It's almost like a train wreck. But, uh, anyhow, he ended up losing basically his entire net worth. Like, I mean, you know, not like there was money in the banks or, you know, assets or mutual funds or stocks to sell. Everything he had was liquid cash on him in Vegas. And over, uh, there was like a three-day really bad, like, Fifty-five or sixty thousand dollar downswing of cash, and the last day, all of it went. Meaning, you know, all of it was gone. Uh, he tried to kill himself, and you know, there's two issues with this. You know, obviously, you know, him hurting himself is, is terrible, but more importantly, at least to me, was his son was there with him. He was trying to do this. We attempted to do this. So the police were called. It was in a hotel. It was in a casino in Las Vegas. Paramedics came. Uh, they ended up transporting him out of the room to a hospital uh, in which he was actually involuntarily confined for 72 hours to the hospital. I mean, he couldn't get out, even if he wanted to, which he did. But he had a minor child that didn't live in the state. So I received a call This was a little over two and a half weeks ago now, I guess, maybe a little longer, shorter, I don't know. Received a call from both uh, CPS, which is in Nevada, that, that acronym is Child Protective Services, and the Las Vegas Metro Police. And they wanted me to come down to the hotel that they were staying at, or that, that this occurred at, and talk with CPS about potentially taking temporary custody of his son. Because he lived uh, in, in a different state, and it occurred in Nevada, uh, their only options were to find a friend or, you know, since there was no family member in Nevada to take care of this, you know, this, the minor, or they'd have to put him in some sort of state home until, uh, the league, the, the legalities can be figured out and get him back to, to his normal state. Um, just cause like I said, there are two states involved. They just couldn't put him on a plane because there's laws that, you know, they'd have to basically, they revoked the custody, you know, from his dad. And they couldn't just say, oh, well, you have an aunt here, you have a, you know, a grandparent in another state, whatever it may be, because they had no way of verifying that that guardian uh, would, you know, would, would be able to take care of him. And God forbid, you know, this is how it was explained to me, if they sent him to another state and he got abused or he got killed or he got hurt or, you know, he was neglected or, you know, whatever, then the liability would be on the state of Nevada for not doing any due diligence and sending him into a harmful scenario. Anyhow. So, of course, I said yes. I went down there right away. This was at, like, 2.30 in the morning. And talked with the police, talked with CPS. They asked for my driver's license. And oh, this is the police. They asked for my driver's license and my social. And they did, like, some, I don't know, 20-minute background check, I guess. Not just in Nevada, but I guess they ran me through, like, some, you know, database throughout the United States. Of course, everything's clear. Um CPS talked with me, you know, and interviewed me, asked me a couple questions, asked me if I would take care of the child uh, for 30 days. Then it was it was going to be a, a maximum of 30 days because then after that you have to go to court and do something else. But anyhow, uh, I was told it'd be about two weeks of you know a month without a definitive time frame. I said, of course. CPS said, well, I need to see your house, you know, just to make sure that we're placing the child in a safe home. And I said, okay, sure. What time do you want to come tomorrow? At? And they said, no, we're going to come now. This was like at 3.30 in the morning. And then, you know, I figured it out later, you know, right away, actually, the reason why they do this is they want to make sure that I'm, you know, if I'm cooking meth at home or 
whatever the hell I could potentially be doing that I don't have a chance to go home and remove things. I mean, they're going to see my house just as it is. So we literally, the three of us get into a car and we're downtown, get into the CPS agent's car. I ended up Ubering there just because it was faster than driving in my own car and parking. So we get in the CPS agent's car, the three of us, drive back to my home in which I just moved into and came up there. At this point, it's almost four in the morning and they did an inspection or she, she did an inspection. I don't know, for about maybe 20 minutes, looked in all, you know, the bedrooms, the refrigerator, just, you know, and she asked me permission, like, can I open this? Can I open? I'm like, sure, do what you got to do. I have nothing here to hide. So then after that, uh, and it was pretty apparent from the start when they walked in, when she walked in, first of all, I live in a very affluent area and, you know, it's not like you can walk in and just see everything's nice and, but there was no issue. So, uh, I signed some more paperwork and then they left and then two days later, I had another visit from CPS, a surprise visit, like at two in the afternoon where they literally just showed up. But again, I'm not worried about that. You know, we're just sitting here watching TV. But anyhow, the last thing I was going to do, and I like this kid too. It's not as if like I just did this because I'm a good person. Like I generally like the kid. Like he's a good kid. You know, he's a nice, a nice person, um, has a good heart, etc. So the last thing I wanted to do after what just happened, although he, he was very brave, like he didn't act traumatized he didn't you know i didn't even have to tell him you know don't blame yourself you know this isn't your fault he already knew all that but still i felt bad and the last thing i want to do was leave him alone for 12 14 hours in an unfamiliar place without a car you know all he would have basically would would be you know the ability to order pizza where i live you know and, and watch tv and i didn't want to do that you know i just felt those especially those long long hours potentially you know 14 15 hours who knows so i don't want to do that so i i consciously made a choice that you know it was more important it was the right thing to do so i was with the youngster for a little over two weeks and involved going to court we actually got a court date and we ended up going to family court and the reason for that was then he had another relative that flew in he had an aunt that was willing to take custody of him uh it's basically like temporary custody you know for six months and then it could be revisited and considering the kid is going to be 17 and Almost a, year, a little less than a year. I don't even know if anything will ever be changed. Meaning, you know, because he's going to be an adult in, you know, a little less than two years. But anyway, we had to go to court. His aunt flew in. She stayed with me as well. Wasn't going to make her go to a hotel by herself. Um, and then, you know, it was done legally, the transfer of custody. And then they did a, uh, a welfare check through the state through the state that they live in. You know, to check the aunt's home, to do her background check, like that state cooperated, you know, to know that if she did fly the boy back home, that, you know, everything would be on the up and up and there was no uh, safety or liability issue. Um, so we actually had to go to court. The irony was that it, it wasn't a problem, but I was told, you know, that I could not allow uh, the father to see the son while he was in my care, couldn't allow the father at my house. Uh, they could talk on the phone, which they didn't, but I couldn't allow, you know, any sort of in-person communication. And, uh, that was, that was basically it. And I'm not, I mean, I'm just saying this cause you know, I don't like to, I really don't like to hide stuff on the radio unless it's something so personal that, or that involves others. But I, you know, I, I have no qualm about what I did. And, you know, of course I'm not doing it. You know, I didn't do it for any gratitude. Like I said, I generally liked the kid. We had a good time. You know, we played cards, we watched movies, we went out to eat a lot. Um, you know, we, we actually had a really good time. When he left, I was like, damn, I kind of miss him. It's quiet. But then, you know, I was like, okay, I'm glad I have my home back. Um, so, anyhow, that's what I did. Of course, Druff knew about it. Trader Ruski knew about it. Like, my close friends, I told. 
you know, I told maybe five people and I told C money about it, four or five people. Of course, my dad knew, um, but that, that, you know, that's the story. And you know what? I can't emphasize enough that, you know, this is a dark side of Vegas that people don't see, you know, meaning like people come here and they try to, you know, they come here intentionally either to hurt themselves already like planned or they come here and then things spiral out, of, spiral out of control and they try, you know, to hurt themselves. And you'll never read about in the paper unless it's unavoidable. You know, I, I've always wondered if these casinos, you know, somehow bribe the paper. And I, and I think they kind of do in a legal way in the sense that they, you know, they're their biggest form of advertising. These papers wouldn't survive out here. You know, every time there's a holiday, Mother's Day, Father's Day, you know, every day there's, you know, the various casinos, especially the, the local ones that are competing for the local dollar that are advertising their buffets or their promotions or join this, you know, club and you get this or, you know, come in Friday for 10 times points, whatever it may be. But you never read about any of this stuff in the paper, even the people that are successful and kill themselves. You never do. I mean, I, you know, I've worked in casinos. I think I talked about this on here before that it was commonplace that you'd see stretchers come up, you know, to go up to rooms and they'd come down with sheets over people, you know, and you never read about it, you know, never, ever read about it. I could, I could tell you, that, you know, the number of people that have died likely jumping off the Cosmo, whether it was intentional or drunk, because the Cosmo is one of the few places in Vegas that has a uh, balcony with, you know, with a railing outside every single room that you can just jump. Never hear about it in the paper. Never. You know, it's never reported, never talked about because, you know, it's just going to be negative press, negative attention. So, uh, anyhow, do either of you want to comment or any questions or anything you want to add? Well, yeah. So, Brandon, you, you got a you got a kind of a taste of uh, fatherhood for a short time. You know what? It, it, yeah, and I'll tell you, I I enjoyed it. Um, the best part is when you you know when you adopt a kid that at that age, you don't got to worry about diapers. You know, you don't got to worry <laughs> about any of that kind of stuff. Um, but no, listen. You know what? There's a reason I don't have any kids. I mean, there's it's twofold. Number one, I haven't met the, you know a person in my life yet who I think, oh, you know what? I could have a kid with this person. And number two, I think I just enjoy. You know, I hate to say it, but I guess I just enjoy being selfish to some degree and doing what I choose and, and where I choose to be. Um, but then on the converse side, I'm not that selfish that I want to have a kid who's going to be in high school and I won't be able to throw a football around, you know, or I'll be, in, you know, in my 60s when he's graduating. And I, you know, it's getting up there. But I don't find somebody soon or make a definitive, you know, determination i think in like the next two years i'm probably not gonna you know have kids you know what's the point i don't want to be like tony bennett or what's his name uh you hefner you know look at you Hefner now he has kids that are under 10 years old he's dead yeah I, I, and that's what i think whenever someone really old has kids um i don't mean like someone 45 50 i mean like uh someone is, you know, in their 60s or 70s having kids i just think don't they realize that they're what they're going to put the kid through is that they're going to die there's no chance they're going to live, almost no chance that the kid's going to live, you know, well into adulthood w- with a father still. You know, the, and it yeah. could be really bad where they could die when the kids were young. So now, of course, yeah, anything well, can happen. My, but my, my dad, my dad wasn't a young father, but he wasn't an old father. Like you know, he didn't. Let's see, he was in his early, late twenties, early thirties, somewhere around there when he had me and you know my other siblings. Um, so it was good. Like, you know, I remember when I was, you know, 10 years old, he was strong enough to like play basketball, 15 years old, even throw a football around, play, you know, all those things. Like, I, you know what I mean? He was just the normal age, which was good. If I have a kid now, I'm going to be, you know, close to 60, you know, I'd be in my mid late fifties by the time they're like, you know, in high school, 
or, you know, late junior high. So I don't know, man. It's, it's, you know, I mean, you kind of, you know, you kind of were getting there too to that deadline. You were, you know, getting up there. Well, yeah. Times. Well, I'm, 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 well, I'm older than you. So, um, I, well, yeah, but I'm just saying, so you, how, how old were you when you had him? 38? I was 38 and a half when I was 38 and a half when yeah. I had him. I mean, you still had that window, but you know, another five years, six, seven years, you know, it would have been questionably. Well, the question is know. like, if I had a kid now, you know, Benjamin's seven and a half now, but, uh, if I had a kid now, um, even if a kid was born tomorrow, you know, I'd be, uh, I'm 46. So yes, I'd be there. I would be in my sixties, you know, well into my sixties when the kid graduated high school. And, and yes, it, it probably would be tougher. And, and there even are times now with Benjamin that, uh, I think with certain things I would probably have more energy for if I were younger, but it's, it's not that bad because I'm not, you know, I'm not that old yet, but, uh, I, now, I don't feel it so much at his school. In the area where I live, uh, most of the fathers are older. So, like, when I'm with, when I see the other fathers around, they're around my age, or so some even older. So, uh, they're, they're, and there are very few that are young. So, the ones that are younger look like maybe they're 35, they, uh, and, and then a lot of them are my age or even older than me. So, there I don't, there I, there I don't stick out, right? I would feel weird if I was in a place where, like, a lot of the fathers of 7 year olds were like, you know, late twenties, early thirties, and then I'm the old guy. But that that sure. that's not the case where where I am. So, um, so anyhow, like I said, uh, you know, I told C Money this because you know he was like, and you know that's another story. C Money's going through his own ordeal, but uh, you know he was like, wow, was, you know, it sounds awful. Like you're trapped at home, and you know, I'm like, well, you know, it, it, it's not. It wasn't even a question. And you know, he's like, I'm sorry, you're missing the World Series. It was the right thing to do. You know, there's no way that I could ably just say, okay, well, put him in a group home. You know, and I know this kid. He's not a tough kid. Like, he's not a kid that's going to do well, like, in some state facility, even if it was for, you know, 10 days, two weeks, whatever it would have been. So there was, it was a no-brainer. It was the right thing to do. You yeah. know, I don't regret it. There will be plenty of more World Series and tournaments. And, you know, it's not like I didn't play at all. I played three. Yeah, but by the way, there's certain, there's certain people out there, um, you know, there's certain people, some are trolls, some who just... Uh, you know, just don't, don't like Brandon for whatever reason. They have sometimes you know messaged me with with accusations. Oh, Brandon's a bullshitter. He just makes stuff up. Uh, I didn't ask Brandon to send me this, but Brandon actually sent me a uh, he sent me some pages from the reports about this, which I read, which one hundred percent were authentic. So this any doubters or conspiracy theorists that think Brandon was was uh, is making up stories here, I can tell you, I I, I saw the uh, the documents. It's it's all for real. I sent you the C. I sent you the CPS report. Yeah, you? yeah. Well, I, I, I the first two right. pages. It was like fifty pages long. Yeah. No. Who I just want to. I just want to. I want to let the. Yeah, I want to let the the conspiracy theorists out there just know that I I I actually saw this and it's uh, it's all well, real. And Trader Ruski was out here during some of it. He knows. I mean, are you there, buddy? Oh, yeah. I can vouch. Yeah, well, yeah. I appreciate that, Todd. So, but anyway, like I said, it really, truly, it was a no-brainer. I don't have any remorse or, you know, I did the right thing. And again, I enjoyed it. So that's what I've been doing. And this just ended less than a week ago. This ended five days ago. What's today? Today's Friday. This ended four and a half days ago. You know, so it's not like this is, you know, weeks old. Just, you know, finally been alone now for, this will be the fifth night. Um, since, you know, I got my freedom back and the boy fortunately went, you know, with, with an aunt and we've been in communication, text me every day. And I promised him if he behaves, which I'm sure he will, told him I was going to come out to where he lives, uh, sometime next month in August or maybe September at the latest. And, you know, just visit him for a weekend, go somewhere, go to a theme park, water park. I don't know. Of course. 
So, well, anyhow, it was good. Um, I'm, I'm, you know, it's, it was nice of you to uh, step forward and do this. I know it's you know it's, it's difficult. It's it's uh, somewhat of a burden to do, but uh, I'm, I'm glad you stepped forth and did, and did this when uh, his father was having these troubles. And uh, you know, it, it it really was helpful. It was really fortunate that you were there. So I'll, I'll say this, you know, and I'm not trying to light you know a match in, in you know oil or gas or anything like that. But I know that you know no one's listening. You know, the father isn't listening now. You know, the kid isn't listening. No family's listening. So just to give people that are really taking this serious, like, you know, a mindset into someone that's really troubled as a gambler. Uh, he was held for three days, which is all you can be held for in Nevada without then going to see a judge or the state getting an order from a judge to commit somebody longer. So 72-hour, you know, involuntary hold. So he got out. The day that he got out coincided with the day before uh, there was a court, a court appearance. So I took the boy out, you know, this was like, we'll say on a Thursday, we had court on a Friday. The father got out Thursday or actually late Wednesday night. So I took the boy to get a haircut and run some other errands and, you know, get him a nice dress shirt for court and go to the grocery store. Father got out, uh, this is bizarre in itself. He went back to the same hotel in which all this had happened and it was comped, which I thought was insane. Like I was shocked that they let him in. You know, if he ended up actually doing it again and killing himself, I would think the family would have, or his estate would have a massive lawsuit, Mm. Uh, you know, because they knew, you know, it's not like they didn't know what happened. Security from the hotel was up there. They were talking with police. They had blocked off the room. While you know, the police were investigating it, or I'm sorry, blocked off the floor, and they were checking IDs, and um, you know, so they knew why and what happened. Yet it was never noted in their uh, in the computer system. He came back literally, like in the middle of the night after getting released, when it hit that 72nd hour, and was able to get a comped room. Then he slept for a few hours, and while I'm doing these errands and taking care of his son, he took out the last money that he could access on a you know a credit card advance. And then went and played in a mid mid you know five hundred ish poker tournament that that day while I'm you know taking care of his son and doing this. Now it doesn't matter. I didn't want anything, but never offered you know. Hey, you know, can I give you some money? I know you've been taking care of my kid for two weeks, feeding him. Never checked on him. Never did anything. You know, just went and started gambling. The next day, after being locked up for three days. Goes into a, you know, $500-ish. And he's, you know, flat broke. Like I said, he took a cash advance on the remaining money he could on a credit card and played in a poker tournament. Isn't that nuts? Yes. But that's... I mean, it's sick. Yeah. That's the disease. And you're right. There's a lot of this type of thing going on. And, um, you know, Vegas, you know, they will do their best to cover it up to where people won't hear about it. Otherwise, it will discourage people from coming here. So Of course. You never hear about that. But there, there, you don't there hear are, about people that get arrested for, you know, prostitution stings or anything bad that happens. That the tourists, unless it's such a violent crime, they have to, they just have to report it, you know, because it's just, you know, it's, it's, you know, that old adage, no publicity is bad publicity, but that's not exactly true when it comes, you know, especially to the, you know, when, when it, you know, has to do with the gaming industry or things that, you know, occur out here, that darker side. 
Well, they, yeah, there's the gaming, a lot of it. Yeah, the gaming industry, they're, they're basically selling a dream to everybody that you're going to come here and either win a lot of money or still have fun even if you lose. They, they, they don't want people seeing that people lose and then lose so much that they become despondent about it and that it ruins their life or their, their, their entire fortune is gone. In fact, even though we never got full uh, clarity on why this occurred, uh, there is talk that the reason Stephen Paddock killed all those people in October was because he had lost a lot of money in the casinos. Is that amazing? Still, that that the, the lack of information yes. has come out about that still it's I, unbelievable. I, I, what I don't understand it's is okay, they, so, they, so they they'll never know his motive for sure because he left no notes and obviously they can't ask him. Okay, so fine, we'll never know for sure. But and he didn't tell anybody. But but. The question is, why are we not getting a full portrait of his financial situation? Why don't we You've know heard, that? There's been nothing. Why, why been don't we? They said nothing. he owned real estate. Why don't we find out? Did he still own it? Did he take loans against these properties? What was his net worth at the time he died? What had he lost in the month? How come we didn't find this out? And I think it's because I think the casinos don't want us to know. I, th- I think if he did lose a lot of, of money there. They, they don't want that out there, so it's easier for them to say, well, we don't know the motive. He left no note. He told nobody, and we can't ask him because he's dead. So we'll, we'll, I guess we'll just never know. But you, you can assume. You, you can figure it. If, if he just lost a ton of money prior to doing this, then and if he was left for, with very little, then that's... Even the interviews with his with that girl, Mary Lou, his girlfriend, yeah. none of that was ever made public because she could obviously give insight into his lifestyle and his state of mind and, you know, the, the, so on and so forth. Nothing, none of that was even discussed openly. We have a call you know, coming you? in here. Let's uh, I think I, there is a podcast, by the way, that I came across all about it. It's still going, I think. So really, I'd like to hear that. A caller on the air. <laughs> so, wait, what, what's happening, Jeff? <laughs> so this is uh, Eric Benzamokin. Is that correct? Yes. I'm sorry. I just, I met Trader for the first time in person. I have to do it. What's happening, hey, guys? What's happening, hey. You know what's funny? I, I was going to say, wow, that sounds just like Trader Ruski. Yeah, I was <laughs> going to say, that sounds like me, too. Uh, ben Zamokin, I met you, too. Yeah. It was brief, but we met. We shook hands. I gave you kind of a man hug. Remember that? Yes. Uh, yeah. Fant- yes, yes, I remember. And uh, I, was, I was starting to drift off, and then I got a text saying, hey, the show is on. So, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put my headphones on, and I'm going to start listening. And, of course, it's like the... Like saddest, heaviest topic in the world that I could have. Yeah. Sorry. Oh, yeah. This, I guess it is a bit of a downer. But uh, uh, Eric, are, do you find it? Uh, yeah, as an attorney, are you surprised that uh, how little has come out regarding uh, Stephen Paddock, uh, his financials, and all that that we should know by now that we don't? No. In fact, it's all going to come out, but only after the civil suits. Uh, get into the discovery phases, and all those financials are going to come out as part of the discovery. But generally, when the when the investigations are still ongoing, um, and especially if you have the federal authorities involved, they're, they're not going to release anything. Hmm. I'm, I'm just surprised. I've never seen anything like this where there's a, a killer who you know, kills this many people in such a high profile event that uh, is, is world news, and that all the all this time later we know so little. I, I don't think I've ever seen this before. And by the way, I, I don't mean to interrupt. I just ordered some food and rather put the radio through the ordeal of hearing the whole process. I'm going to mute my phone on and off until the noise is done. So if you do, you know, ask for a comment or response, that's why I'm okay. Going to okay. But uh, yeah, you know, it's funny reading the papers here. Now it's like it never happened. I mean, there's not, you know, 
you know, there's really, I haven't been any follow-up stories or just, it, it's almost, you know, I, I get it. That's like any other tragedy. Like after so much saturation, you just don't hear about it. But, um, you know, it's, it's, it's pretty sad. I mean, there's just, you know, it really is like, what has it been? September, October, November, December, January, February, March, April, May. It's been nine eight months. months. Or nine months. Nine months. Yeah. It's not like it's been years. And no one's talking about it. And, you know, you're not reading anything. Uh, I wonder what happened with that house in Mesquite. Remember, he had bought that house yeah, for a quarter million. Yeah, there's a. I heard he owned other property. Then we just don't get any follow up well, with when his brother. When his brother gave those interviews, he his brother stated numerous times how it was because of Stephen Paddock that his entire family was well to do because of the properties that they bought. Yeah, I heard that. I remember and, that. You know, so I mean, you're right. Maybe they could have been refinanced. There could be you know second, even third mortgages on them, but. You know that wasn't the way his brother seemed to explain it. That you know, I, I have a question though. I, for me, for for Todd and Brandon, you might be able to help me understand. Um, so when when a guy like this, like Stephen Paddock, is a, a high volume video poker player and he accumulates these points, can those points be monetized? Uh, and I don't mean like comps and meals. I mean, I remember my mother had a uh, some kind of uh, rewards program and she could literally get like a hundred bucks cash yeah well you can't it's well, hold on, todd let me answer first only and then you can respond because i'm gonna have to go in about okay. a minute just briefly um okay every property is different um the local my experience the local properties in vegas tend to all be much easier and direct in letting you straight up simply uh monetize your points i'll give you an example <clears throat> station casinos and boyd gaming and there may Excuse me. There may be other local casinos that you know. I'm just not thinking of now. You literally can actually go to the players' club and you know convert them for straight cash, and then they give you a voucher, and then you go to the cage and you get you know the equivalent cash. Um, other places have some sort of conversion where you can get free play, and then you have to you know play through the free play. Like you know you have X amount of points, a hundred thousand points. That's the equivalent of you know a hundred bucks. Can't get cash, but you can convert it to 100 bucks in free play, and then you could play through that, you know, $100 in free play to get the cash. Um, strip places tend to be a little bit more, uh, I don't know, not strict or just not as, uh, you know, giving in terms of that. Like, for instance, the, the Venetian, um, you know, an MGM in Caesars, none of those places that I know of can you get direct cash. In fact, some of them even have, like, terrible conversion rates where, like, say it's worth, you know, I don't know, 300 bucks, your free, you know, what you have on your card and points. If you convert it to free play, you only get a third of that or two thirds or, um, you know, but I know, like I said, most of the local places, cause they're so competitive. And if one place does it, everyone has to, it's very common that somebody will, you know, either go over their budget or not have enough cash on them. And they'll just go convert your points for cash and then be back in action playing within minutes. So anyhow, I'm going to pause. So, I'll be back in a couple minutes. Okay. All right. So my, so my question is if, if a person, plays the dollar or five dollar machines and you're talking about tens of thousands of hands over the course of you know five years or whatever it is uh and then never converts anything what happens to that isn't that technically an asset of his still wouldn't it be or uh, well it just, uh, if you don't actually use it, you lose it? well that's an interesting question um and, and i've never quite gotten the full clarity on this uh I, I've heard different things. I, I've heard in one way that uh, any points that you've earned are yours and that uh, you have a right to them and that uh, they can't even take them away. Now, this actually happened to Brandon where, where they took away his points uh, 
at, at one property group uh, and told them there's no recourse. But I heard from somebody else who I know who's an advantage player uh, at casinos told me that that's not true. You could actually sue them, that you do have a right to any points you've earned and, and that they are considered an asset. And I know during the uh, bankruptcy for Caesars that the, the rewards credit that people held were considered a form of debt. So uh, I'm not sure. But but then I've also heard before that when, when they that, – that these are promotional and that they can just turn off the program at any time and tough luck on you if you didn't redeem them. So I've never gotten a, a fully clear answer. Like let's say total rewards that Caesar said, you know what? We decided this program's over. They're not going to say that, but let's say they did. Let's say tomorrow they said the program's over. And that's it, and everybody loses their points. Could they legally do that is the question, and I'm not sure. I don't know if, if, if they're considered promotional or not. Uh, for example, let's, let's say you're going to a sandwich place, and you get a stamp on a card where every time you order a sandwich, you get a stamp, and when you get 10 stamps, they give you a free sandwich. Uh, let's say you're up to nine stamps, and the place goes out of business. Uh, do they owe you the equivalent of nine-tenths of a sandwich? Or unless you got 10 stamps, you just haven't redeemed it yet. Uh, can, can you force them to give you the value of a sandwich? You couldn't. So the question is... No, but that's, no, but that's, but that's, that's very different to the extent that you have to get all 10 stamps before you can redeem. And in this case, if, if, if Stephen Paddock already earned, you know, 5 million points or whatever it is, because what I read is, uh, and I don't know if it's true or not, but I had read at one point that he was uh, a pretty avid video poker player and he was playing like dollar uh, video poker, not, not the quarters and the nickels. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But, 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 but yeah, he, higher than dollars. Oh yeah, he was playing harder than that. But but yeah, he may have used the points though. He, he uh, like I even I've earned a lot of points in my lifetime, and so has Brandon, and so has Trader Ruski for sure. Um, but um, we don't just leave you know huge balances of points there. Uh, we, they get spent even when you leave somewhat of a balance. Like uh, like for example, at Caesars, I have like two thousand something dollars worth of points, which I'm just saving for when I need them. In fact, I've been well. That's what I've done as well. And, you know, if there's a special occasion or just I happen to be at Caesars and need something that I never pay for it, you know, I just use it off the points. But I'm sure also if you look into the terms and services, you know, it's going to say, you know, in those small little letters that, you know, points are not transferable, you know, meaning that if, if you did pass or die or you know, whatever it may be, uh, you know, you can't tr- you can't transfer them to somebody else. And, you know, I guess it dies when you die. Um, you know, that's probably the simplest way. Uh, you know, the other thing that was never really talked about openly is I can assure you just about the amount of money that Stephen Paddock played, that he had the rooms at MGM, the two rooms that he had were, you know, absolutely comped. I don't know, was that ever stated factually? Did anyone ever address that? Yeah, yeah, they were comped, yeah. Well, I mean, I'm sure they were, but I'm, I don't know if, they, if that was actually Yeah, it, it has confirmed. been stated, yes. yes. Yeah, and and also likely because of the amount of money that he played that he probably was MGM's highest level, which is a level called Noir, which is even higher than, you know, or harder to get or higher or whatever you want to call it than, say, Seven Stars at Caesars, because unlike Seven Stars at Caesars, in which they say to you it's by invitation only, when in theory it's not by invitation only. Anyone that reaches that threshold, unless you, you, know, you have a behavioral problem or a financial issue, you're going to get it. Noir... Uh, from my understanding, you know, A, I know for a fact there's not a, a threshold that's stated, you know, points-wise that you need to you get, you know, and then B, it has to be approved by what, you know, they say a committee, you know, a, a committee, you know, I guess votes or approves people to become an OR, 
But that kind of gambling that he was doing there, that that high, you know, limit, I can almost assure you that he was Noir. You know, he was their highest gambler. He was probably getting tons of offers, you know, gift cards and, you know, Blu-ray players, televisions, electronics, like, you know, the highest stuff that they send to get, you know, people into casinos. And it sounds like just from what his brother had said in some other interviews, he probably took advantage of all that. His brother commented how he liked getting the free stuff from the casinos. Talked about, you know, a $2,000 sushi dinner at the Wynn. Uh, are you there? Can you hear me okay? Yes. Yeah. Okay, yeah, yeah, Sorry. yeah. Yeah, no, it's okay. Um, so, yeah, it, 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 you know, those are all very interesting things, and none of that was ever talked about, which I get it. I mean, you know, it, it's, it's, you know, the casino doesn't have to release any of that, although we find it fascinating. You know, a lot of people probably would be turned off, and they may even in a roundabout way blame, blame MGM. You know, oh, you gave this killer, you know, all these meals and all these perks and all these gifts, you know, shame on you. Like, you know, which is a ridiculous argument, of course. Um, but, uh, you know, like I said, every place tends to vary in, in Las Vegas or in Nevada, I should say, in terms of like their players clubs with the local places, you know, catering more to, you know, just go out of their way to, you know, give uh, you know, their players, like I said, whether it's cash or, you know, more points or whatever it may be. Like Caesars, if you convert your points to free play, what is it now, Druff? What's the percentage this year? Oh, it's, it's two to one. So it, it, you, yeah, get half. Terrible, you get half. You get half. Terrible. You get half. Yeah. There's no local casino in, in, in Nevada that would do something like that. So, okay. I'm sorry. My, my food is here. You guys go oh, out. Okay. Okay. Thank and you. then, I, and so then I guess the question is, and Eric, I don't know if this is where you're going. If he did have thousands of dollars in these benefits, whatever they are, as the civil cases go, is that an asset that they can sue for? That's right. Or can they freeze those and convert them? Uh, because certainly if, if like, like Todd was saying, it, you know, when Caesars goes bankrupt, uh, they list those point holders as, as potential claimants. Um, and they have to list those through their schedules. And so I wonder if, this isn't something that Caesars or, or whomever he had his, his points with uh, would have to freeze them and allow those to be seized, whether whether it's the government uh, or um, and, and you know some kind of civil judgment. Because a civil suit, you know, a lot of times it's first come first serve. You know, whatever whoever gets a judgment first, they're going to be first in line for any asset collection. Um, if it's a private civil suit, non governmental. If it's the government that provides restitution to victims, it's different. That's spread in a pro rata basis, and then it's it's potential that it's potentially that the government could um, seize that as an asset and liquidate, or ask the hotel to liquidate for them. Hmm. And then I wonder what rights you know what rights the points program of the hotel would have at that point. Yeah, that's that's good questions, and I, that hasn't yeah. I, I've heard I haven't heard even this somebody is. just going bankruptcy, go, doing like a bankruptcy, Eric. Would they have to claim that as an asset? Or well, I guess I can, so, so. I can answer this part for sure. Uh, just because I—that's my main area of practice—is bankruptcy, and so it's the same. It's treated the same as if you had points with like American Express. So once you go bankrupt, it creates an estate. You're no longer the actual owner of the asset. The trustee of the bankruptcy estate is the now in control of the asset. And and in every term of service or every cardholder agreement, say American Express for example, bankruptcy constitutes a material breach, and then everything is shut off, and you lose your points, and that's it. But that's a specific event. So bankruptcy triggers this material breach clause in most of these agreements. So all of these credit cards that give you travel miles or, you know, extra points or whatever, those programs tend to cease when it comes to bankruptcy. But bankruptcy is different. This is a situation where if I, you know, if I had, 
uh, you know, a million points uh, racked up over the last 10 years, and I commit some horrendous act and then kill myself. What happens to that account? Who does it belong to? Does it belong to my estate? And, and as such, is it subject then to claims and distribution, or does it just revert back to the hotel? Yeah, it's, that's a good you know, question. Well, I've, I've wondered this too because, well, okay, I once had this discussion with my dad who has a lot of airline miles, and uh, I, I said, what happens to your miles if you die? And he said, uh, well, they're non-transferable. You can't, you, I can't call up and say, like, oh, I'm his son, and, you know, transfer it to me. They, the airline won't do that. However, the airline doesn't get notification that the person's dead. So you act, and since uh, with airline miles, you can actually, they're not transferable, but you, but you can use them to buy tickets for others. So if I had his password, I could actually go on to the airline's website and just buy myself tickets with his points, even after he's gone, because the airlines wouldn't know he was gone. Uh, the, so, so that would be the way you would do it. So I, I told him actually, I, you know, give me your password, so in case anything ever happened, um, at least those points, you know, d- don't go to waste. And you know, he agreed that was a good idea. So, in fact, anybody else here who's got uh, an elderly parent who uh, has a lot of airline miles. You, you should get their password too for that purpose. Be the airline miles you can always use to buy tickets for someone else. And uh, but but now, how do you very... do the same thing with like your parents' pension and their social security? Can you somehow do that too? Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. That, that would be it's nice. Joke, but, uh... joke, I, know. I, I, know. Yeah. I, I know. I know. You know. I'll tell you one other thing. Since we're talking about the you know, points in general with casinos and what they can and can't do. Uh, what year did the bot come out, Druff? The oh, the the, 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 the heads up Texas Hold'em limit bot was uh, in 2012. Okay, so then in 2012, I thought it was a little earlier. Maybe it was 11. I heard about it. I heard about it in 12. It's possible it was there was 11. I was playing. Okay, can you hear me? Okay, yeah, I can hear you. Go ahead. Yeah. Okay, so 2012, uh, when right when the heads up limit bot came out, I was. Playing it at a property wasn't uh, Caesars that had it. It was really, really funny. They had it as high as they had the limits at that time set to as high as 200, which I never played because literally every hand that, that saw a flop would almost certainly be a jackpot or definitely a turn because it would lock it up, you know, 11, 9, 9, Yeah, and then they had to pay, yeah, hand but, pay. Yeah. But the reason why I played it and I played it, you know, the highest I think I played, I played a little 80, 60, but mainly 20, 40, and 40, 80 was because it was comping incorrectly, and I was earning a ton of both food comps and point comps that you could convert for cash. Like, I mean, even playing the, you know, like I said, the 2040 or the 4080, I think it was somewhere around like 30 bucks an hour, you know, maybe yeah. even a little higher. It was a lot. I mean, I accrued thousands of dollars in, in a relatively short amount of time. And... Well, it was so much I used, I wasn't able to go through everything. Like, you know, meaning like going to, you know, for meals. And I converted all the free play. I got all the cash. But some of them were food comps that could only be used for food or resort purchases, like rooms or the gift shop. And I couldn't convert them. I just, you know, I didn't need rooms fast enough. I, I was eating as much as I could. So I built up about 5000 and change. That's what I had at the time. And then, unfortunately, the casino realized that this machine was comping at too high a pace probably by my estimation like 15 to 20 times higher than it should uh maybe even more and they ended up revoking those points for me they didn't you know they didn't close my account of course i did nothing wrong um you know they didn't even call me though funny enough and then you know tell me that what was going on i just saw 
by logging in on, on my phone app eventually that the points were gone. And then when I questioned it, you know, of course, the reward center couldn't give me any information. They don't know. I'm, I've never seen anything like this. And the turnover in a lot of those places, by the way, is so high because they're not really high paying jobs, by the way. So people, you know, in general, aren't going to really know much. But finally, after speaking with, I don't know if it was like the director of slots or somebody in a high ranking authoritative position, they, you know, told me what happened. And, and I couldn't argue. What was I going to say? I mean, I knew it was, you know, not wrong, but I knew it was too high versus other places that I've been playing. Um, so, you know, I regretted it. Like, I, you know, should have, I don't know, taken, you know, five of my friends, 10 of my friends to, you know, a, you know, a couple thousand dollar meal to just, you know. But anyhow, the point I'm making is, you know, I know in, in those programs, there's a, literally a hundred different rules in small print on the back of the forums or on, on the websites that obviously limit their liability and give you basically no rights. You but know, but I, I've spoken to somebody many time. I, I just, huh? I've spoken to somebody about this. I told someone your story, not the full story, but I told a uh, abbreviated mm-hmm. version of the story you just told. And they told me that they're, that the, the casinos like to claim these are their rights, but that in, in reality, they are actually liable to uh, give you your points and that they can't just take them away like that, uh, barring some kind of cheating or anything like that. So they, I've I've heard that uh, so there's an attorney out there actually who specializes in these things. He said that you actually you know at, it's too late now, but at the time you know, had you gone to him, he may have actually been able to uh, recover some of these points. Well, uh, I'm still stuck on this idea that you're getting thirty dollars an hour to play twenty forty. Yeah, Is that, uh, did I hear that correctly? I, when's the yeah. last time? When's the last time you were at Commerce? What do they pay per hour now? Well, yeah, 20, I love twenty forty. Well, you know, dollars thirty five. Oh yeah, you're saying about the, the what they put on your card? Yeah, something something really lame, a dollar fifty or something. Yeah. Well, uh, I, know. I thought about I thought about everything that you mentioned, but the reason why I didn't pursue it, other than talking to you know a couple people in you know high authority positions, was that even if I got my way or forced their hand or made it public, being that it is you know a private company, they could just decide, okay, well you know what, you're no longer welcome. And this is a company with, you know, many properties in Vegas. I know I'm going to be here for, you know, likely the rest of my life. And I didn't want to have an issue with that. Just to give you, you know, another example of, of something similar. About 10 years ago, Station Casino, it's the middle of the week, nothing's going on. A guy walks in and he bets a couple thousand dollars on an NBA game. And this is, you know, this was still the age of the internet, but I guess... You know, it wasn't things, information wasn't as processed and shared as close as it is now. Uh, Brandon, we, 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 have, we, have a, we have a bad connection here, Brandon. Brandon? I think it was. I had to cut Brandon here. We're having a trouble hearing him. Let me try to put him back on here. Very bad connection. I was kind of tolerating for a little bit, but now it sounded like a robot talking. So, see if we can get him back on here to finish his story. Um, Skype says busy. I don't believe it's busy. He might be in the elevator going back. No, I'm not. I'm in my house. Okay. Okay. You're back. It sounds better again, so so continue. Uh, It's not on my end. I mean, it could be. I'm on my phone, but I'm using Wi-Fi. Hold on one second. Call me right back. Okay. Because it's ringing still. I don't know. Something's wrong. (laughs) The wonders of Skype, everybody. Try to put him back on. Okay. Is that better? Uh, For the moment. Hold on. You know what? <laughs> He's gone again. 
I always wonder. Yeah. Okay. Such fail. You, you back, okay. Brandon? Okay. Sorry about that. Okay. So anyhow, uh, I believe it was Tracy McGrady. It's like a last-minute scratch. You know, maybe it was like 20 minutes. And for some reason, station casinos did not get this information. And it affected the line grossly. And I don't know. I, I don't remember if this guy just inadvertently, you know, bet on it and it just happened to be. But likely not. Likely he knew. And he got that bet in before the line was adjusted. So this made the newspaper because station casinos asked him to void the bet. I'm not making this up. I'm going to actually, when we have a break here, I'm going to try to find the article. Uh, they asked him to void the bet. He refused to. They told him, okay, you know, we have to honor this bet. We will. But we're going to 86 you for the rest of your life from all our properties. You'll no longer be welcome at any station casinos. And if I recall correctly, he just said, okay, well, you know, fuck you then. You know, and, and he you know took the banning. I mean, obviously, I don't know now. But that just to give you an idea. So you can fight these things. And, you know, you can always assert your rights. But at the same time, you can always have, you always have to remember that they have the right just to tell you, well, you know what? We don't want you here. We'll give you what you want or we'll do this or do that. But, you know, you can't come here. And the way things are now, even more so than 10 years ago, you know, everything's tied in to something else. So you get, you know, unless it's, say, like a small property like the SLS or like Hooters that don't own any other properties in Vegas, you know, you get ejected or disqualified or banned from one. then you know, it's really 10 properties, 12 properties, not to mention the other properties, you know, in other parts of the United States. So anyhow, that's why I chose just to let it go. With the points and I, you know, whatever. Okay. You know, I still got, a, I still got thousands and thousands of dollars of, of benefits from it. Um, you know, but I wasn't going to fight it. I didn't want to get banned. I didn't want to have any problems. So that's the route I chose to go. Yeah. All right. Well, that's, uh, it, we actually got way off topic here though. It is, uh, yeah, it, we had to get back to the World Series stuff. So, uh, uh, Eric, thanks for, thanks for calling way, in. Eric's an excellent attorney. I had to consult with him about something. I'm not going to get into now. He gave me top-notch advice. Anyone that uh, needs his services, I could vouch 100%. Guy is brilliant, uh, very good in communicating, explaining things to someone that might not understand the whole legal jargon. And, uh, you know, it, it, you need him, definitely the guy to call. Yes, he, he won't be disappointed. Eric at eblawfirm.us. Yeah, I'm US. not getting paid. I'm not like getting paid like Druff does for any of that. <laughs> I'm not, you know, I'm not getting compensated. The guy didn't even buy me a smoothie when I seen him. I seen him at the World Series. He said, "Eric, buy me a smoothie." He said, "I don't have any money on me. I'm just a struggling Jewish That's attorney right. playing limit hope." You know, I, I, I actually gave right. up. They gave up. I was still so devastated at my performance in the in the limit hold'em event. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you for calling in, Eric. Enjoyed having you on here. Have a good night. All right. Thank you. Eric. Eric actually played at uh, the table of. Uh, he played with a girl who plays at the Bellagio all the time named Terry. And she made it very, very far. At one point, it looked like she was going to win the event. I think she ended up finishing fifth. But uh, she was like a big chip leader for a long time. And uh, she was at. She was at uh, Eric's table. She's not even much of a tournament player. She's just like a, she's one of these people who's like at the Bellagio like every day, like for for the last uh, twenty years or more. And uh, I, I thought she was going to win there, and uh, she did not. Who, who ended up winning that was I forgot, I forgot who was the one. Was it David G? No, I think it was the other guy, wasn't it? I think David G got second. Anyway, uh, let's move on with the World Series topics here. Uh, Guys, uh, what time do you usually eat dinner, Brandon? What's what? I know your sleep schedule is really crazy, but what time do you eat what you would call dinner on a typical day? Um, 
You know, I don't cook a lot. Maybe I cook two days a week, you know, not even cook. Well, you don't have to cook. Just go, to go out something. for it or whatever. Well, no. Huh? Uh, dinner in any way. You cook it. No, you go I out for it. I'm going to answer your question. I, I normally try to eat between like 7 and maybe 9 o'clock. And I only was saying what I normally eat or that reason I don't cook because, you know, I, if I go to restaurants, you know, you have limited choices after, you know, actually not as much as many cities. But anyhow, 7 o'clock. Eight o'clock, yep. you know, nine o'clock. Okay. What, what about you, Trader? Sometimes Risky? because of my sometimes because of my schedule, though, my dinner is actually my lunch, and then I'll have another meal. Yeah. Like at you know one or one or two. Yeah, I've, I've had that. I've had that too. So, so, yeah. uh, so Trader Risky, what what time is your dinner usually? Usually around six ish. Okay. So, seven, six or seven. Right. So those are normal dinner times. So the, the World Series of Poker decided for the main event only that uh, the dinner break. Is going to be at uh, three twenty-five in the afternoon. Now, did they stagger that trough, or was that? No. Or are you playing a sound thing? I can't hear. But no, no it, 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 they, they don't stagger it. Everybody goes at three twenty-five. So uh, they just, and not only that, it's only going to be sixty minutes. Which you may think, okay, that's that sounds okay. No, it's not for reasons I'll get into shortly. So uh, why three twenty-five? Is it because they start the main event so early you've been playing a long time by then? No. Uh, you start the main event at 11 o'clock. Every single day it starts... Daniel Negron's favorite tofu place is closed up for. That, 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 that could easily be a reason. But <laughs> it, it, you start playing at 11. The 325 dinner break is basically after four hours of play. So you haven't played that long. The reason they're doing it at 325 is because of TV. That uh, the TV schedule... They don't want a dinner break in the middle of, of when they want to broadcast it. So for that reason, everybody goes to dinner before the broadcast start. And this way there's no dinner break interrupting the broadcast. That's the reason they're doing it. Now, so, so people are already upset about that. People don't like having to eat dinner at 325. And you may say, well, okay, they can just treat it as a late lunch. Well, okay, yes, but then uh, you're not going to be able to have a meal again until the day's over unless you bust. So... Uh, you won't be able to eat again until after 11. Well, after 11. So people were unhappy about this and grumbling, oh, you know, what ESPN wants, ESPN gets. Uh, you know, we're a slave to the, the TV coverage. And it's true. You know, they've got to draw a line at some point and say, we're not going to do absurd things like this because the TV network wants it. We're, we, we've got to, we, we can bend some things for them, but at, at some point we've got to say, no, this is ridiculous. And this is one of them. They shouldn't have changed it. Uh, fortunately, for, for whatever reason, probably because the TV schedule uh, wasn't going to get interfered with, day 1B, which is what I played, that had a normal dinner break a, a, after 7. Well, it was actually not quite, totally normal. Usually what they would do, and what they've done in, in recent years, not level 7, after level 3, because they're two-hour levels. So you'd be playing six hours, and you'd have the dinner break normally at that point, which would be around 6.40 p.m. This year, for day 1B only, the dinner break, they would stop a level in the middle and give you a dinner break then. So they, they stopped it at about uh, 7.40 p.m. in the middle of level 4, and just said, go to dinner, and with no warning, like they said... Dealers, uh, finish the hand you're on, and uh, players take a 60-minute dinner break just abruptly at that time. Which th- what They weren't supposed to do that. They were supposed to play 90 minutes into level 4, and they didn't do that. They played like 82 minutes into level 4 and did that, which I thought was also stupid. But at least it was at a normal dinner time, at, at you know around 7.40 p.m. Days 1A and 1C 
all had to go to that stupid 325 dinner break, but I didn't get to dodge the 325 dinner break because day two, all the day twos, and I assume every day beyond that, uh, tomorrow's day three, uh, I assume that they're all going to be at the 325 crap. So I got to go to quote, dinner at 325 on day two. So that's the first problem with the dinner break. The second problem is the length. Now, at regular World Series events, if the event started at uh, 11 a.m. or 10 a.m., then they would have a 75-minute dinner break at around 6 o'clock. If the event started at 3 p.m., there would be no dinner break on day one, which I thought was stupid, by the way. But the, there'd be no dinner break on day one, and then on day two, when it would restart uh, at two, then there would be a sixty-minute dinner break after after the, you played six hours. Or, yeah, I think no, no. After you played, uh, was that you played four hours? I, I don't know, but there was a dinner break for day two. But uh, here they're only giving you sixty minutes, and sixty minutes is not adequate for the main event to have a dinner break for two reasons. Number one. Just getting over to the food area is very tough because there's a massive number of people in the hallway, and it all moves very slow. It's a slow crowd moving through the hallway. In fact, <laughs> on day two, I, you know, having been through the day one disaster of, of a huge crowd, even though it was at a normal time, just a huge crowd moving through the hallways, I was unfortunate enough to play the last hand before the dinner break, so I didn't get a run out of there like right when the right after folding my last hand. But day two, I did that. Like, I folded the last hand. There's still 45 seconds on the clock, and I got up and ran out. Um, there were still a lot of other people who did this, but it wasn't quite as crowded. But there was still a large crowd of people moving through the hallway, and everyone's walking really fast, almost like to a run, because everybody wants to get somewhere fast and not be in line. And this woman who didn't know the World Series was on looks at this. She goes to her husband, Oh, my God, what's happening here? She thought everyone's, like, evacuating something bad happening. Because it was like a very large crowd of people walking super fast through the hallway, like almost at a run. And then her husband's like, oh, no, it must be the dinner break of the World Series. <laughs> so, uh, but, but if you're not part of that advanced crowd who jumps up you know, before the clock hits zero, then you're going to be stuck in a very slow-moving hallway, which I was on day one. So it takes a long time to get through the hallway, which takes a few minutes to walk through even if it's empty. And then there's insane lines at every single place. Every single place you can think of eating has insane lines. Insane lines for takeout, insane lines to sit down somewhere, insane lines for fast food. Everything has insane lines because there's thousands of people going to dinner at once. And there's just not enough places to support them. And with a 60-minute dinner break, you don't have time to leave the property and go anywhere. So um, people could not finish dinner. People either chose not to eat, or they got takeout and just barely got the takeout before the uh, six, 60 minutes was up, because, of course, the kitchens were slower, too, with a, with a huge crowd of people coming in. And a lot of people were just eating at the table. A lot of people took food and ate at the table, including me, because you just couldn't get it in time. So for previous years, it was 90 minutes, and that was fine. But 60 minutes is not enough. It's not even close to it. Even 75 wouldn't be enough. But, but 60 is a joke here. But again, it was to accommodate TV. That's why they cut it down from 90 to 60. And if you ask them, if you ask them at the World Series, why did you do that? 
they will say, we want you guys to finish earlier. Otherwise, you, you finish after midnight. We don't want that. It's too late. If they asked every player in the field, would you rather finish half an hour later or have a 90-minute, you know, half an hour later or uh, finish earlier and only have 60 minutes for dinner? Everybody, just about everybody would take the 90-minute dinner break. In this case. Now, in other events, 90 can be too long. In other events where there's not these huge crowds and horrible lines, you don't want 90 minutes. It's too long. Especially if you're not staying at the Rio. But people were very, very unhappy about this. And I'm afraid it's not going to change. Because they just want to do whatever ESPN tells them to do. Why? Because ESPN is paying them a fortune. And they don't want to tell ESPN no. So it's all about money. But at some point, they've got to think of the players and say, we're not going to force them into a 60-minute dinner break, which isn't enough on a, you know, when it's, everything's super crowded with super long lines. Uh, we're not going to have dinner at 325. It, it's stupid. People, they're not used to eating dinner then. So uh, really a, a case of greed and, and, and bending over for the TV contract too much at the expense of the players. Another problem with the TV coverage is the featured tables. I've been on featured tables before. I was on one last year. I was on a uh, secondary featured table that was barely shown. I think you got if you pause it for like one second, you could quickly see me, but there were no hands were shown. I was also at one that was the main feature table that appeared on TV. That. Uh, it was in 2009. You can still find it if you type in on YouTube, WSOP 2009, Phil Helmuth, Todd Wittellis. You'll find a hand I played with Phil Helmuth where I flopped a set where, for whatever reason, he opened with Queen Deuce suited under the gun. I flopped a flush draw. I flopped a set. He made the flush on the turn. I didn't get the board paired on the river. And I was done. I was short stacked, so yeah, it was an automatic to go all in. Anyway, uh... The feature table, it's not a coincidence that they always seem to have big-name poker pros and or people who are famous outside of poker. What they do is they go over all the lists of people at each table, because the, the table draws are random. Whatever table you get at is completely random, and you know, so they don't, they don't purposely sit people with one another, and that's a feature of tournaments. That's always been a feature of tournaments, is that you are seated randomly. You have no control where you sit and who you sit with. So sometimes you'll get a good table draw, meaning everyone at your table isn't good. Sometimes you'll get a bad table draw. Sometimes you'll get a, uh, a table draw that's okay, but the, but the, the seating arrangement's bad for you. We're very aggressive players to your direct left, and that's just the way it is. That's the way it is. You can't control it. That's just part of tournaments. That's part of the luck in tournaments is, is where you get seated. Well, it looks like this may actually have been violated this year. So, as I was saying, the feature table, the way they select the feature table is just by going through the list of who's at each table, and they say, hey, which would seem, which would be the most interesting table to put on TV? Oh, look at this one. This one has, uh, Phil Helmuth and, uh, and, and uh, Daniel Negranu and, and this other guy who's, who's a pretty well-known online player, and this, and this other guy, uh, you know, who's, who's, uh, a former NBA athlete, or, you know, whatever like that. Yeah. This is an interesting table. We're going to put this on as our, our main feature table. That, that's how they do it. They, they go through each table and just say, okay, which is an interesting table to cover? 
So it's very important to understand the distinction that they are not purposely seating these people together. They're just looking out of the many, many tables in the main event, which ones happen to be the most interesting to televise. And then they pick those. And that's 100% fine. That's the way they've always done it. If you're wondering why I appeared last year, by the way, the... Well, I'll tell you about both years. In 2009, believe it or not, there were only two well-known players at the table. One was a super-known, well-known player, Phil Helmuth. The other one was me. I, I was the secondary person at the table. Every, it was me, Helmuth, and like seven unknowns. They weren't bad unknowns. Some of them were uh, good players, but they weren't well-known. Anyway, in 2017, I was less known to the poker public as I was in 2009. And... Uh, the people that uh, were at our table were Greg Merson, um, Jeremy Osmus, who is uh, another uh, main event uh, final tableist, me, and uh, a former NBA player. Forget his name now. He wasn't that famous, but uh, he did have an NBA career. A white guy, by the way. So uh, the four of us uh, made, actually, it was in the secondary. I was told the secondary was actually the third string feature table. So there were three running. That's why we were barely shown. I I forgot who was on the first and second ones. Anyway, um, we were selected for that reason, you know, because we had uh, one guy that had won the main event, one guy who finished ninth in the main event, uh, uh, a former NBA player, even though not a very famous one, and then... uh, yeah, me, who was the fourth well-known <laughs> out of the group, which I think influenced a little bit. But you know, by 2017, I'm not that uh, well-known in poker anymore. So this year, Michael Mizraki busted from some other event and then late-ridged the main event. Well, when he did this, guess what happened? Through their random seating process... Ms. Rocky got assigned to the open seat on the feature table. <laughs> and people were really skeptical of this. That of all people that get assigned there, that get uh, put at this open seat, it's Ms. Rocky. And when asked about whether this was random or not, people were not getting a straight answer. So I think this was done on purpose. And Ms. Rocky appeared on the, the, the feature table the day two as well. Now that one may have been just they looked at what table he was at and there were other interesting people there. But there, there, there's now a strong suspicion that they do what they can to move people to the open seats at the feature table who are prominent names. So, and there's ways they can do this where they make it look like they're not doing this. So let's say a seat opens at the... So when, when they first have the feature table, I, I believe it's probably random. I think there they're just going through whatever configurations there are randomly and they pick the most interesting one. But then someone busts from there and they've got to replace him. And of course, they're hoping to replace the busted player with someone who's well-known. So there's a seat open. Let's say there's a seat open at the feature table, which is on TV. They can instruct the floor men to watch the table of a well-known player like Michael Mizraki, who they'd love to have on TV, wait for his big blind, you know, kind of stand back, watch when Mizraki's about to take his blind, then walk up and say, oh, hang on, Mike, uh, we need the big, hang on, we need the big blind at this table to come with me. 
which is what they do when they when they take one player off a table. Uh, they always take the big blind, the person who's about to be the big blind, and they could rig this by simply telling the floor man, "Hey, just w- go to where Miss Rocky is right now, wait for him to be the big blind, and then say, hey, we need the big blind here,' and then take him over to the feature table and just act like it's totally random." Because I've had this before where I've just been moved, not a, not in a televised situation where they just need to, like, let's say there's three players busted at a table, they need to balance them. I've had it where they come to me and say, hey, we need the big blind and move me. In fact, that's what killed me in the limit hold'em two years ago where I was the chip leader and they moved me and I immediately just got destroyed at the new table. Um, it, was, it was a balancing thing and I happened to be about to be the big blind. If it was like a minute earlier or later, it would have been somebody else. But they can pretend in this case... That they're just grabbing a random big blind somewhere in the room and, oh, look, it just happens to be Michael Mizraki. It just happens to be Daniel Negreanu. It just happens to be someone really well known. So there's suspicion that they fill these open seats with people they would prefer to be there for TV. Now, you may say, well, what's the big deal? Who cares? The reason it matters is that it's unfair to others at the feature table that they are getting stuck playing with players who are likely pretty tough. If someone asked me, say, see this open seat right there? Who would you rather have moved to this open seat? Uh, Michael Mizraki or just some random from the tournament? I, I would say 100% some random from the tournament. Why? Because uh, the random from the tournament is going to be much easier to play against than Michael Mizraki. So, and when I say random, I don't necessarily mean a bad player. It could be anybody. It could be someone from all the way, like a mega fish, all the way up you know, to someone who's average, all the way to someone who's who's good. But, but at least there's a chance I'm going to get someone who isn't good. This is a, a fair chance in the main event. I'm going to get someone who's not that good. But uh, when they're picking well-known pros, that you're almost surely going to get someone good. So that's unfair, and it corrupts the whole idea of tournament poker, where the seating is random which is a very important facet of tournament poker. But I'm watching tournament poker getting slowly corrupted by the World Series. They're letting people buy in on day two with no kind of penalty. Um, They're letting people buy in so late to some of these uh, preliminary events that someone actually demonstrated and actually bet someone that they could buy in at the very last minute, fold every single hand in cash, and they did. They barely did. They had 200 left in chips, but they did. This was at the 1K PLO. Somebody cashed who played zero hand intentionally as part of a bet. Bought in the very last minute, folded every single hand, even aces, and they had a $10,000 bet that, that if they can cash by playing zero hands, that uh, they'll get $10,000. And they won. They barely won. It was $200. So they had $200 in chips, which is nothing. They probably were two hands away from busting when this happened. But uh, still, the fact that someone could do this shows that they've screwed that up, too, with the late registration. Again, out of greed. And it's really too bad because overall, the World Series of Poker is a great tournament series. The structures are better than any other tournaments you're going to play. It gets very, very high participation. There's a very, very big variety of events. You won't find any other tournament series anywhere, except maybe online, 
that has this type of variety. You definitely wouldn't find any kind of tournament that uh, has uh, such a good structure, especially in the preliminary events. So there, there are some great things about the World Series of Poker. That's why I come to play it. But uh, it bothers me watching them corrupt some very basics of tournament poker. And now, even though this isn't likely to affect many people, because uh, it only affects the feature tables, n- now we have people who are being sat, I can't say for sure, but I, I think it's likely that people are being sat at the feature table in order to make it more interesting rather than just taking a random draw. So I, I think that's pretty bad. But again, this may have been something that they promised ESPN they're going to do. Maybe as a, a carrot to dangle for them to get more money. Maybe they said, hey, you know, we know poker viewing is down, so... And you know, maybe they promised Poker Go this too. And they said, look, you know, instead of having Phil Helmuth and... Uh, you know, instead of like a configuration like I had with Helmuth, where it's Helmuth, me, who's a, you know... A C a C level poker star at best, even in two thousand nine, and then seven randoms. Instead of that, what what if you had four A list players there that everybody knows? Wouldn't that be more interesting? It definitely would. So what if they can do things to make that happen? I don't like it. I don't like it at all. If I if I were at the feature table, I'd be really mad. Now you may wonder, last year did they do that? Is that why I had? two main event final tableists, including one who won, and an NBA player on my table. Obviously, I don't care about the NBA player. He's not uh, a threat poker-wise, but is that why? No, that was it was a that's who was at the regular table and then we were informed that we're moving there. So that was random. But still, it's, it's upsetting. I don't like it. Every time I see things like that, I don't like it. So I want to Go back to talking about my own main event. You guys still there, Traderuski, Brandon? I'm here. I'm just eating. You're just eating. What about you, Traderuski? Are you drinking tea? Nope. I'm good. Oh, you're good. Just okay. Feeding the dog. Okay. So I'm going to talk about my own main event. Won't take too long. Not, not that much interesting to stay to say. And then we'll move on to some uh, other interesting World Series general topics. So, last year, I did very well in day one, did well in day two. I say very well. I wasn't one of the chip leaders, but I was doing well. I was uh, well above average. Day one, day two, same thing. Had another good day. Without without a lot of cards, by the way. I I played those days so well. I saw everything so well. I I could just feel it when people didn't have anything and bet them off. When I had nothing. Uh, When I had something good, I had a good feel for when I was behind, even if it didn't really look like it, and lost the minimum. I was so many hands, I was so proud of myself last year in days one and two. Day three, I just, everything fell apart. Um, Not only wasn't I reading situations right, but uh, I was running into big hands every time I had nothing. Every time I had something, they were all folding to me. So um, I ended up uh, falling a little bit short of cashing on day three. Made it to late day three, did not cash. Very disappointing. Uh, coming into this year, I, I was hoping we wouldn't get a repeat of that. But something I've been doing for the last few years is getting off to good starts, where I sit down and uh, maybe not right away, but but with without that long of a time passing, I run my stack up pretty quickly. So this year... The theme for the first hour and 15 minutes or so was 
premium hand after premium hand after premium hand getting dealt to me. In the first, I believe, hour and ten minutes, I had aces twice, kings, queens, nines, sevens, and then se- several other playable hands like king jack and uh, um, king queen. So, I mean, can you imagine aces twice, kings, queens, nines, and sevens in the first hour ten in 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 a the main event where you're not getting that many hands in per hour? Well, one problem was, though, I wasn't winning them all. So of the aces, I won one out of two. The kings, I lost. The queens, I lost. Uh, the nines, I, I think I won, and the sevens, I lost. So the, it's, it's not like I was winning them all. And some of them I actually lost in... Uh, frustrating fashion. The aces I lost uh, was against someone who had jacks, and the flop was king-jack low card. So he check-called the flop and then made a fairly big check-raise on the turn, and fortunately it was, it was against a recreational player, so I knew I was uh, nobody was screwing with me. So uh, I, laid it, I laid down the aces, and he flipped over jacks to show me he had the set. I didn't tell him I had aces. I didn't tell him anything other than nice hand. But uh, then the Kings, that one I was up against two players. One was a recreational player. One was a pro from, I think, Brazil. And uh, I had position. I had three-bet pre-flop, of course. And the uh, the flop came queen-jack queen low card. And the recreational player grabbed chips on the flop to bet and then decided to check. So this really made me think he had ace-queen. The uh, Brazilian checked. I bet. The guy who was originally going to bet, just you know, he just check-called. And the Brazilian called. Well, the turn is uh, one of two cards I, I just did not want to see. And that was a jack. I didn't want to see a queen, didn't want to see a jack, obviously. So now I, w- I wasn't all that worried about the guy who was going to grab the chips and bet, because I figured if he just had a jack, he wasn't going to just fire out against that, against a three bet. I figured he was going to check call. But the Brazilian who cold called in the middle, I was very worried about him having a jack. So... Um, and he kind of called quickly on the flop, like like he wasn't even thinking of raising... So it really looked like Jack was was easily in his range there. So it checked checked to me. I considered bet folding, but I said, you know what? I I, I don't want to uh, induce any trickery on me. I'm just going to check behind and call uh, probably call the river uh, if it's not an ace or a queen. The river was a four, so I thought, okay, well. I guess I'm going to have to call this and hope no, hope nobody has a jack. So the the recreational player bets out. And I'm thinking, okay, well, he's got ace-queen. I'm going to, I, yeah, I think I'm going to beat him. I think he's got ace-queen. It comes back to the uh, the Brazilian. He makes a pretty sizable raise. And I go, ah, crap. He does have the freaking jack. That's what I thought. So I laid it down. Came back to the recreational player who thought he wasn't very happy about it. Thought, 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 thought. Finally, threw in the uh, the call. 
The Brazilian showed pocket fours to hit that river on the four. How crappy is that? So I'm pretty sure I was against ace queen and fours there. I know I was one of them was fours, but I think the other was ace queen. So that really sucked. Basically, we're drawing two, uh, the two fours, three aces, and two queens. So that was that was an annoying loss. That was with my kings. So I lost that one, and uh, I also I got screwed later in the event where a set hit, where I had a top pair with queen, and then uh, the guy against me had tens, and the river was a ten. And it was a, bl- a weird blind versus blind hand where I actually had to call his raise on the river. I won't go into the whole thing, but... So, so anyway, I just kept losing hands. I, 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 I got up to 79k as my high very early in the event, starting from 50. And then I just started dwindling down. Just lose, 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 lose. So so first I, I was just showered with, with so many playable hands that I was opening constantly. It looked like a maniac. Then when I came back from uh, from the first break... After two, the first two hours, it was the opposite. I was card dead. I, I pretty much folded the entire first two hours. I mean, I folded the entire next two hours without playing a hand. Because I just every time jack three offsuit, five two offsuit, ten three offsuit. Like every single time, that's all I got. Every time there's a raise in front of me, so I played almost no hands that that round. Then I came back. I started getting some hands, but it wasn't like before. And then you know, I was just losing most of them. So. Um, I, I ended up finishing the day with a short stack with only 15k, and I, I kind of had the feeling like I was already out. And Trader Ruski, he's nice. He always sends me these these positive, encouraging messages, and I appreciate them. But but and other people sent me them too. But the truth was, I just felt like I was out already. I felt like I was done. I felt like I I had to double twice, which is not impossible, especially in a slow moving event. But I just felt like it was such an uphill battle. I just felt like I had to have such a miracle to come back and get myself even back to average chips. It just felt like such a Herculean task at that point. Now, I reminded myself at event number 37, the 1500 No Limit, where I finished 33rd out of 1330 people. At one point in that event, I was down to 9K, which was a very short stack. And that I got moved tables and then immediately ran it up. Got it quickly back to like 45k, and then you know continued running it up to about 170 on day two. So I went from nine to 170 in that event when it really looked like I was done. So I reminded myself about that. I said, "Well, if I went from nine to 170 there. Why well, I can go from 15 to 170 here, right?" Well, I didn't. But I thought the way day two would go would be that I would probably get it in fairly quickly with something and either double up or uh, or be out. What I didn't expect is that I would last close to six hours in the event on day two without ever even doubling up once. Doubling meaning my stack I came in with. So I came in with 15K. The highest I ever got to was 26K. Most of the time I was hanging around between like 15 and 20. Wasn't that I wasn't playing hands. I played hands, but it just, I'd win, then I'd lose, then I'd win, then I'd lose. I, I, I couldn't get any consistency going. It was a good table, too. Good, meaning a lot of wrecks at the table. I think I would have done great at that table if I had chips. And what was really sad was that there were a lot of hands I would have called in position. I would have called called in position if I had chips, but I couldn't because they were the type of hands 
that you, you didn't want to waste a healthy percentage of your chips calling pre-flop and hoping to flop something like like five seven suited. That was one of them where uh, I had eleven k left and there's a twenty three hundred raise, and it comes to me and I'm in late position with five seven suited. Uh, if I have chips, I'll call that and see where I can go with it. Not, not when I've got uh, 11K chips. I'm not going to put 2,300 in because I, I, I can't... Uh, th- there's nowhere to maneuver there. At some point, I'm, I'm uh, committed because of the stack, the, the number of chips I have left. So I didn't want to get committed with just a 5 or just a 7. Uh, so I folded it. What happens? Flops a 5, turns a 5. I had so many of one of hands like that where I totally would have played them if I had more chips and I would have made some kind of funny trips or I would have made a flush or I would have made uh, straight. Like I had one uh, three four suited in the small blind. I tossed that early in the day. Flop five six seven. And someone had ace queen and ace hit the turn. The person would have had the queen one card flush draw, they would have called my all in and I, I, it would have missed for them and I would have doubled up. Like I had a lot of those where I would have doubled up had I played them, but I didn't play them because it just with my chip stack, it didn't make sense to call off with hands like that pre-flop. So that was irritating to watch too. That it seemed like every time I folded a kind of marginal spot that I folded because of my stack, I, I would have won a lot of chips. So I lasted about almost six hours without ever really going anywhere. And uh, I had one interesting spot, though, near the very end. I had sixes. And someone raised. Someone else called. Someone else called. And I have sixes. But I only have 8K left. I have eight. Well, I have like, no, I have like 8,500 left. That's like a 2,300 raise. But there's so many people in. I go. I've got to. I've got to at least flat this and see if I can get a six on the flop, and then I can maybe like quadruple up, or even quintuple up or something. So, I've got. I've got to see. I don't want to shove it all in here at this point. So I'm sure sixes are screwed with all these people if it doesn't hit a set. But if it does, boy, I can. I can really get healthy fast. So I called the twenty three hundred. It comes back around. All in. All in. And one guy and one guy left to act. So there's two all ins already ahead of me. Neither of them are short. Or sorry, one of them was kind of short, not as short as I was. One of them wasn't. But it, but it, anyway, I knew that uh, unless I was facing two ace kings, that I'd have to hit a set there. So do I risk the rest of my six something k in front of me to with sixes just needing to hit a set? And there's a guy behind me. I wondered if he might call too. So, uh, I thought, I thought, and, uh, it wasn't all in, it was all in call. So it was all in by a, kind of a semi-short stack, but not all that short. Then a guy called and it came to me and then the guy behind me who had a lot of chips, I thought he might call too. So on one hand, I could quadruple up if I had, if a six flopped. On the other hand, uh, I knew I'd had to flop a six probably to it. So I actually decided to lay it down and I was just praying I don't see a freaking six. So, Trader Risky, do you think I saw the six on the flop or not? Or at any point, you think you think a six rolled out or no? I don't. I think it may have come on the river. Well, fortunately, the six didn't come at all, and uh, fortunately, I was against tens, nines, and uh, some other hand. 
uh, I think Ace Queen. So uh, I did not get that six, and the tens won. The tens actually flopped top set. So even if I got the six, I would have lost. So uh, for the moment, I saved myself. But then uh, got garbage the next two hands, and there I was under the gun with Queen Nine offsuit, facing a thousand dollar blind or thousand chip blind and 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 one one hundred chip ante next hand, and I had uh, sixty one hundred left in front of me. And I had to decide, what do I do with this Queen-9 offsuit? Do I go in with it? Or do I wait for the two blinds that are coming the very next hand for 1,000 and 500 with 100 ante each time, respectively? What would you do, Trader Risky? Would you, would you go in with the Queen-9 at that point or, or, or hope the blinds will get you something better? How, how many chips did you have, Josh? I had 6,100. The blinds were 500, 1,000, 100 ante. A queen nine offsuit under the uh, under the gun. I probably shoved. Yeah, it very. It's, I thought it was very close. If it's queen eight, I would have tossed it. It's queen ten for sure. I'm going in. It's queen nine suited for sure. I'm going in. Queen nine offsuit, but it was so marginal. So I decided, screw it. I've got to go in here. I I, I just saw myself being you know, having seven four offsuit on the ne- on the big blind next time. And then eight two offsuit on the small blind, and then I'm down to in the fours, and I'm like, you know what? Like I'm in the low fours. I'm like, you know what? Screw this. I, I can't. I, I can't get that low. I've got. I've got to take a stand here. So I go all in. Guy to my immediate left calls me. I go, crap. <laughs> I, I knew I'm going to get called by somebody too, but I was hoping it'd be like a blind. So I, I, unfortunately, I was against Ace Queen, and I was against. It, it, I got called by two people actually. I think the big blind and the guy to my direct left. And then I had some hope. I didn't see the ace-queen yet. I had some hope when they were check. They just checked it all the way down. Especially when there was jack-eight on the board by the turn. So I thought maybe I had outs to a queen, a nine, and a ten. Definitely the ten. But a uh, blank hit the river. I had queen high. I knew I was done. Turned out I was against ace-queen and something I didn't get to see. They couldn't beat ace-queen. So ace-queen high took it. And I was gone. So, uh... Um, the, 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 the table the second day was actually a pretty friendly table. I, I like the guys I played with on, on day two. Uh, day one, um, I don't know. It was, uh, kind of a different vibe there. Uh, nobody really talked that much. Everybody was like super competitive. There, there were some recreational players at the table. It's kind of like my day one draw was kind of okay. wasn't bad. wasn't good. Though by the end of the day, a lot of good people got moved there. No one like really well known, uh, but then the day two draw that was a very good draw for day two. I just couldn't take advantage of it with no chips, so I am out of the main event. I didn't feel as depressed about it as I usually do because I had basically two days to sit there and uh, where I had a full off day to sit there and know I had fifteen k in chips and I probably was going to be out. So I compared it on Twitter to having. A sick relative who's been dying of cancer for a long time, and you just kind of, well, the day they die, you're sad, you're depressed, but you think, you know, I've I've had a long time to prepare myself for this day. Whereas if you hear that a relative, a close relative, just abruptly dies of a heart attack, it's a lot harder to take because one day they're fi- they're totally fine, the next day they're just gone. So that's uh, why, like last year, 
when I came into day three with a good stack, with an above average stack, and didn't make the money, it was very depressing. And when I came into day two with a very short stack this this year, and I, I couldn't do anything with it, I thought, well, that kind of sucks, but uh, this is kind of what I expected. So somebody who had an even shorter day than I did was Vanessa Selfst. She, she went to only day one, and she was out. But that's true of a lot of well-known She's pros. She's a real smug cunt. What, right, right, right. right. So wait, wait till you hear this. So hmm. normally I wouldn't report, oh, Vanessa Self busted day one. And, you know, who cares? There are a lot of well-known pros busted day one, like Danny Negreanu busted day one. I'm not reporting that. Well, actually, I guess I am right now, but I wasn't going to report that. Because the, the main event's very big. A lot of pros play. Certain pros run bad, and uh, they're out on day one. No big deal. I was almost out on day one. So, yeah, like two-thirds of the people make it to day two, so uh, busting day one kind of sucks, but at the same time, it's not, it's not like 5% of the people die, uh, bust by day one. Still, a third being out, you're going to have some well-known pros, some good pros who just don't run well and are gone. So, her just being out of day one would not be a big deal. I wouldn't be reporting it. I would probably not even notice. But it's the way she went out and the subsequent Twitter tilt... That was very notable. And I, in fact, I did a whole report on this. If you go to the poker community discussion forum on Poker Fraud Alert and you read the thread entitled, Vanessa Selps melts down in main event, bluffs off all chips with, with Jack 8 no draw, tilts on Twitter after people criticize it, then you can see all the tweets, not all the tweets, but a lot of the relevant tweets and the whole story. I, I narrated the whole thing. I put a lot of time into it. This, that was my uh, my little project I did yesterday after busting the main event. So, and it, it's it's a very well liked uh, thread from those on Twitter. I, I tweeted it out. It's been retweeted and, and and favorited by a lot of people. So you should go check that out. But anyway, I'm going to talk about it here too. So this is what happened. I, you can already get an idea from the title I read you. This was uh, sometime fairly early in day one. I don't know exactly at what point, but it was a hand right before the break. And actually, it sounds like it was more mid-day one, because the, the player in the cutoff raised to 1,200. So I have to imagine the blinds were at that point were 250,500. It kind of seems like it was uh, mid-day one, from what I remember of the blinds. So the player in the cutoff opened to 1,200. Vanessa Selps was in the small blind, and she re-raised to 3,800. Now, that's that's pretty standard. Even if Vanessa had junk, you know, that's, uh, she recognizes that people in the cutoff like to steal blinds, and, and she's a very aggressive player, so she uh, she wanted to re-raise from the small blind, and a lot of people will just toss it at that point, who opened from the cutoff trying to steal blinds. So she re-raised from the small blind. The problem was that the big blind apparently woke up with a hand, because Ryan Honer made it 8,000 from the big blind. I hadn't heard of Ryan Honer before, but I looked him up and he has some tournament results, mostly on the East Coast. So Ryan Honer made it 8,000 from the big blind. So the cutoff folded, probably was trying to steal blinds. Back to Selbst. She called the raise from Ryan Honer and they saw a flop of Queen 7-2 Rainbow. You couldn't have more of a dry flop than that. Dry, meaning that uh, no draws on it. And uh, also likely to miss a lot of hands. Queen 7-2 was the flop. So, 
Vanessa Selp's immediate idea was that because it's such a dry flop, if she acts like she's got something big, she can probably get the guy to lay his hand down. Unless he's flopped something huge like a set. That, that was her idea. That maybe he'll even lay down aces if she puts enough pressure on a board like Queen 7 2. Where, where, to give an example for those of you who don't know much about poker strategy, uh, let's say the board was, uh, was Queen, uh, King Queen 10 to spades. Uh, then it's very hard to run people off hands because there's so many ways that they have outs that they're not going to lay down their hand. But Queen 7 2 Rainbow, there's a lot of ways to make people fold in the main event where they don't want to put, put in a lot of chips with a hand that's mediocre or even a hand that's fairly good. So her idea was she's going to put in uh, you know some pressure on this Ryan Honer and hope he lays it down. So self's checked. Honer bet 5,000. The pot at this point is uh, probably around 18K. Selps then check raised to 16,700. So I will tell you at this point, Selps had nothing. She had Jack 8 offsuit. No pair, no draw. I mean, absolutely no draw. So she, this is a pure bluff. But you know what? In the main event, okay, in the main event, I would say don't do this because it's such a deep event. You might, especially at the beginning, you might as well wait for recreational players to just make mistakes against you. That's, that's the way you chip up in the main event. You either run well or you have recreational players making mistakes against you. You don't need to do things like this. You don't need to waste chips like this and put yourself in bad spots. But fine. If this is her style and she thinks she can run this honer guy off of, uh, a decent hand, then fine. She's 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 trying to run him off. So she check raised to sixteen thousand seven hundred, which by the way is, is it's like a third of starting stack. And uh, for, from the description of the action here, it seems like she probably had about uh, uh, looking like about seventy k coming into this, maybe a little bit more. So she check raised to sixteen thousand seven hundred. Well, at this point, Honer called. Now, would you say that if the guy bets five, if the guy re-raises, if he three bets, or sorry, four bets out of, the, out of the big blind, then fires 5,000 and calls a check raise of 16,700, would you say at that point he probably has a hand? Yes. At that point, you've got to say, all right, good try, I read it wrong, he's not going to give up. So Honer called, and the dealer put out a four making it even more rainbow. It's a full rainbow board. Queen 7, 2, 4. Of course, if he's got a queen, Selps is already drawing dead with Jack 8. So she she can't even hope to hit some kind of miracle on the river. If he calls her, then he's one for sure if he's got a queen or better. So Selps had almost 47K. She had 46,900 in front of her. The pot at this point was uh, about uh, 50K already. So she puts in the rest rest of her chips with Jack High, no draw bluff. She puts in 46,900 in a pot that's about 50. And Honer called. She turned over the Jack 8. He turned over the Ace Queen, which was a pretty brave call there. At that point, I guess he felt pot committed or something. I mean, he he, he was risking his tournament life on this. Or actually, I don't know how much. It wasn't his tournament life. He had more chips than she did. So he he did. That's the other thing is he wasn't even risking his tournament life. 
that she should have considered that as well. So she put him all in. He called. She was drawing dead. And that was that. She was gone. Ryan Honer, after the hand was over, had 159000 in midday one. Pretty damn good, huh? <laughs> That's a great stack to have in midday one. Now, had he lost, this pot was uh, probably around like 140. So he probably would have been left with uh, only about 20K when he busted this, maybe even less than that. But he wouldn't have been out. Big difference. Would I have laid the ace queen down there? Against most players, yes. Against Vanessa Selps and her reputation, she is known as a very aggressive player who will just, you know, shoot off like this. I think I would have had to grip my teeth and call as much as I hated it. Anyway, regardless of what I would or wouldn't have done, this was a very poorly played hand on Vanessa Selps' part. Because once the guy... First of all, the guy was already representing a strong hand for the big blind for betting like that. Second, he called her big check raise. So at this point, you've got to give up. At this point, you've got to say, uh, he, he's, there's a good chance he's not going to go anywhere. Someone uh, texted me the following, a seven-day tournament, referring to the main event, and you're pulling zero equity bluffs halfway through day one. If you're that confident in your skill compared to the rest of the players, why go out so soon with a zero equity bluff? Yeah, I mean, I agree. That's why I don't do that. I, I would never do anything like that in the main event. For that reason. It's a seven-day tournament. It's a very slow structure, especially the beginning when you're going to have recreational players making mistakes against you and giving you chips that uh, you otherwise wouldn't get from better players. So wait for those spots. Don't don't throw away your chips here. And as he said, zero equity, where you, you, you don't even have a chance, unless you're doing it with a flush draw or something, where, where if she gets, uh, gets lucky on the river, she wins. Here she, she cannot win if he, she gets called. So, very stupid play. It's just be- In the main event, it's better not to do this on day one. To risk so many chips like this on a bluff. But if you're going to, at least do it where you have a chance to catch up and win the hand. Especially after the person you're against is showing that they really have a hand. You want to check-raise the flop that's uh, super dry? You think the guy will lay it down if he's got jacks or tens or something? Fine. I mean, jack isn't that likely. She's got jack eight. But if she thinks he has tens, nines, you know, ace-king, she can check-raise him, he'll fold. Okay. You gave it your shot. It failed. Time to give up. You still have 47K. Time to give up. No, she, she puts the whole thing in. It's a very poorly played hand. Uh, almost everybody agrees it's a poorly played hand. But this happens. People play hands poorly sometimes. That's the way it goes. Even very good players play hands poorly sometimes. That's what happens. Scott Blumstein, last year's main event winner, who played very solid poker, also got very lucky, but he played very solid poker at the main event final table. Uh, by all accounts, did a good job at the main event. Didn't just get lucky, but also just played very well to win last year. Uh, he did the opposite this year on day one. He was on the feature table. He he he, uh, he played a hand with tens very badly. It was very embarrassing for him. After he played it so well last year, he comes back this year and, and, and uh, shoots all his chips off with tens. 
in, on day one of the main event. So Blumstein got on Twitter, and I don't have it in front of me, but he, he basically apologized for his own play. He basically said, hey, I apologize for those I let down. Uh, I was very nervous. I was much more nervous coming to day one of this than I was at the final table last year, which is funny. But he just he said there was so much expectation on me, and I I just I just didn't play well. I just I kind of just let it get away from me, and I I, I didn't play this hand well. And uh, I'm sorry for any, anyone that I let down that's a, that uh, was watching me. And that's the way it is. And uh, this shows you how well you have to play to to win the main event. You have to stay focused and play well for seven days. And you know, last year I did, I did it. And this year I did not. This year I didn't play well, and I'm out. I'm basically paraphrasing what he said. And okay, great, very, very humble, very. Uh, you know, he's owning up to it. Instead of coming on Twitter and, and fighting with people and saying, "Hey, you trolls! I played this fine. You, you know, did you guys win the main event last year? I think I know what I'm doing." He could have, he could have taken that line, but he didn't. Instead, he came out and said, "Hey, you know what? I played it terribly. This shows that uh, you know even people who who can play seven days well and win last year can come back and 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 not play well. It's just it's just so hard to always play well for seven days. And I, I just realized that because I didn't play well today. So he owned up to it. That was that. Very humble about it. He admitted it. That was that. No no excuse making. No fighting with people. No trying to pretend like he had the better strategy that nobody understands. No." Scott Blumstein admitted that he did not play well on day one of the main event this year, and that's why he's out, which is true. He played well last year, and he won it. This year, he played poorly, and he's out. Great. Okay? Those are the facts. That's the truth. He admitted, and, and people thought highly of him for taking that attitude. You don't, Just because you're a poker pro who's been successful, you don't have to play well every single day of your poker career. Nobody expects that's what you're going to do. And if you don't, just come out and, and, own, and own it. Say, okay, I made a mistake. I played a hand badly. Fine. Problem is that Vanessa Selbst doesn't have that in her. Vanessa Selbst is very, very arrogant. As Brandon said, she's very, very smug. She thinks she's one of the greatest poker players ever. She thinks she's basically infallible. She thinks that she's, in fact, frequently a victim of uh, misogyny, homophobia, she's a lesbian, uh, of, uh, there's always some sort of reason that she's a victim in some way. If, If she's getting criticized, it's not because she did anything wrong, it's because you hate women or you hate lesbians. That's, that's why you're criticizing her. Not because she did anything wrong, because Vanessa never does anything wrong. Vanessa is is a great poker player, perhaps the greatest one ever, according to her. Vanessa never makes mistakes. Vanessa always has a good reason for what she's doing. Vanessa treats everyone properly, except for those who don't deserve to be treated properly. Anyone that she berates or insults deserves it. And she's a social justice warrior liberal, so of course she cares about everybody. And that also makes it better than you. So... As you might imagine, she's not very well liked by a lot of people. Of course, she does have some fans, but there's a lot of people who don't like her, including poker pros. Why? Well, she's been known to have a temper and berate people at the table, including on TV. She's very, very outspoken on Twitter about her left-wing social justice warrior political views, and if you dare respond to her with a dissenting opinion, even if you do it respectfully, she will block you. 
So she'll she'll put out very provocative, angry political messages up there. But if if you say, hey, you know, I um, I disagree for this reason, you're blocked. She's extremely arrogant and rubs a lot of people the wrong way. She has zero self awareness and blames any kind of negativity on her, uh, any kind of negativity on misogyny, homophobia, jealousy, etc. So. A lot of people already don't like her. So when they saw the reports of this, which Poker News reported, including a picture, a funny picture of her just sitting with a somber face with no chips in front of her, uh, people were talking about it and criticizing it. Also, even if you don't have all these attributes people don't like, if you're a well-known poker pro and you butcher a hand really badly as she did there, people are going to talk about it. Even if it's a well-liked pro, People are going to talk about it and say, hey, did you see how such and such uh, screwed up this hand? Let's, let's think like a Phil Galfond, for example, who so many people like. Okay, Let's say Phil Galfond played like this. You'd get a lot of t- tweets out there talking about how Phil Galfond screwed up and played a hand terribly. And there'd be trolls making fun of him about it. That's what happens when you're a well-known pro and then a hand like this gets reported on. And what you do, the smart thing to do, if you're like Scott Blumstein, you, you get out in front of it, you admit you didn't play it well, and you move on. And then that kind of shuts down everybody. Especially if you, if you have so many good results under your belt, or if you have one massive good result like Blumstein did, you have a great answer for any troll who keeps harassing you. Well, look at what I've done. Okay, so I didn't play well this day, this day but look what I've done. So, uh, Vanessa Selbst, a lot of people were making fun of her about this hand. A lot of people who already didn't like her for the various reasons that have accumulated over the years. A guy named Dan Martin, who's also known as Retchy on Twitter, that's W-R-E-T-C-H-Y, Retchy. Uh, he's a poker pro, and uh, he's one of the people who just doesn't like Vanessa Selbst. And he wrote the following tweet to her. This was on the 4th of July, shortly after she busted. Uh, he wrote this tweet at 10 p.m. Pacific time. At Vanessa Selbst, too bad, too many nonlinear hands you get to fold with a Jack-8 offsuit. Glad you're back to being rich and white. Enjoy the East Coast. Now, that may not make sense to you at first. What is he talking about here? Too bad, too many nonlinear hands you get to fold with the Jack-8 offsuit. Glad you're back to being rich and white. Enjoy the East Coast. Is that even a bash? Well, let me explain what he's trying to say here, in case you don't really know or you don't know the terminology here. The too bad, too many nonlinear hands you get to fold with the Jack-8. Um, he was being sarcastic, saying that, you know, almost like jokingly supporting her play. That... Uh, um, there's so many ways she could have gotten hands to fold there. It's just too bad she happened to run into one that, that didn't. So then she says, uh, he says, glad you're back to being rich and white. Now, what's that referring to? Well, she's always making these outspoken liberal social justice warrior rants and often casts herself as some sort of victim. She's, uh, or complains about other people having all kinds of privilege. And yet, look... She's rich and white. So that's, he, was, he was mocking that. He was mocking the fact that uh, she's pretty much a limousine liberal. She's, she's rich, she's white, and yet she's always complaining about others having privilege. 
So that's why he said, glad you're back to being rich and white and uh, enjoy the East Coast is just referring to that she's going back home after losing this. So yes, it was a needle. Yes, it was, it was, uh, he was making fun of her. And she is smart enough to recognize that. So for some reason, of, of all the tweets that were directed at her, they were making fun of her about this. For some reason, this one from Retchy really got to her. I don't know why this, this wasn't the worst one. This wasn't even close to the worst one, but for some reason, this one from Retchy really got to her. Maybe because he's, yeah, he's another poker pro, whatever it was, she really hated this one from Retchy. So she composed her own tweet. She didn't respond to Retchy. She didn't hit the reply button. She actually composed her own separate tweet, which actually gets it more visibility on her feed. And she has a lot of followers. She wrote this. Wow. Pretty amazing how, how many genius keyboard warriors like Retchy there are in poker. I'll, I'll go back to my rich lifestyle indeed. That's an insult? Question mark. You know I got rich from poker, right? Maybe you could too one day if you drastically improved your arrogance to skill ratio. Hashtag, but nah. So, that's not the right way to respond. So, um, she brags about how she got rich from poker. Which, he didn't say she didn't. He just said, go back to your, you know, good thing you're still rich and white. What is he said? Uh, yeah, glad you're back to being rich and white. So, she brags that she got rich from poker mocks him that he supposedly hasn't gotten rich from poker, which I don't know how much he's made from poker, but I think he's, I think the guy has done well enough to support himself. Um, and then she said, if you improved your arrogance to skill ratio. So the irony here is that she was displaying a lot of arrogance in that tweet, yet calling him arrogant. So it, when trolls attack you on Twitter, regardless of whether you deserve it or not, what you don't do... Well, first of all, you have to understand that if you respond to trolls and you have a much bigger following than they do, then you're really giving them attention, not just for themselves, but everyone will see what they wrote to you. So let's let's say a troll with five followers trolled me on Twitter. If I hit the reply button and responded to him, then my followers, I think I have like 2,000 something, they would see that and then they would see his tweet to me. But if I just ignore it, then only only uh, anyone searching my name and and uh, and people following him, the five people following him, would see and nobody else, which would be very few people. You know, I'm not my name's not being searched very much on Twitter. Even Vanessa Self's name is not being searched that much on Twitter. More than mine would be, but uh, you're you're definitely giving them much more of a platform when you respond to them, unless they have more followers than you do, which Reggie doesn't compared to her. So that, that was already mistake one. She should have just ignored it. Mistake two was responding with arrogance, responding with that she got so rich from poker that you know maybe he can be as good as her one day. You don't respond that way. If you want to respond, you should respond to things that they brought up. Or maybe there's something about them you can criticize, but but you don't brag how rich you are from poker. Maybe you know, one day you can be rich from poker. She doesn't even know, what his, you know anything about his poker skill. One time when I was... You know, she unblocked me temporarily when I uh, was criticizing her supposed retirement, which wasn't a retirement. So someone told her I was tweeting to her. She quit, temporarily unblocked me, responded, and then reblocked me and deleted her own response. But her response, which I saved, it was something very similar about, you know, uh, something about insulting my poker skill. Which is so funny. I don't think, she, for sure, she's never played with me once. And I don't believe any of her friends ever have played with me. So she just 
saying that because I'm not as well known as her, so she assumes I must just be some uh, poker player who sucks, or at least sucks compared to her. It's it's uh, that just seems to be her go-to insult. So so that's what she wrote, and uh, you can see this tweet in that thread I was talking about. And if you click on it, provided she hasn't blocked you, you will see all the responses, most of which were negative. But it got worse. It got worse. So first, uh, uh, for people responded, to, uh, one of the people said to her, had to double click that this wasn't a Donald Trump tweet. <laughs> That's how arrogant she was looking there. This one said, had to double check this wasn't a Donald Trump tweet. And that's funny because she's always totally going off on Trump, and it's funny that she actually tweeted something that uh, does look like it would have come from him. So anyway, she followed up a little bit later with this gem. And she, she wrote the other tweet at 2.08 a.m. She followed up six minutes later with this. Just like, what in the world is that people, is that people see a play they would never make from someone successful, and the first thought is, and then she types in all caps, LOL, I'm going to go insult her on Twitter because she's terrible at poker in life, and I'm awesome and unlucky, and she's just so lucky. Wah! Get a life, guys. So now she's mocking everybody who has been criticizing her play, that they... They just see that she's just so successful they don't understand how she can make a play like that because they're just not good enough to have this next level thinking like she does. And that just because this play didn't work out for her, what the people criticizing her don't understand is that it's plays like this that made her so rich and successful while they play ABC poker would never do anything like this and keep losing. And they think it's because they're unlucky when in real- and, and, and that Vanessa's lucky when in reality this is the reason she's so good. Th- th- this is what she's putting out there in all caps LOL, I'm going to insult her on Twitter because she's so terrible at poker in life, and I'm awesome and unlucky, and she's just so lucky. What? And saying that they're crying. And then writes, get a life, guys. She wrote that six minutes later. Now, I already compared this to the way Scott Blumstein reacted. Scott Blumstein said, yeah, I, I played the hand badly. Sorry. Sometimes we don't play well. Hard to focus sometimes for seven straight days. Here, I didn't focus well on day one because I was nervous and I'm out. We have Vanessa Selbst insulting the people who criticized that hand because they just don't understand. That's what made her so successful is playing this way. Because they're terrible. They're terrible just ABC poker players who are never going to win and they don't understand that she's winning this way. She's winning from playing this way, not because she got lucky. And that they're crying now. She's making sure everyone knows that. As you might imagine, this got even more responses. A guy named Pete, whose uh, Twitter handle is P- FSUPete01, wrote, similar to how you berate people with different politi- with differing political opinions? So then she responds, yes, exactly the same as how I berate racists who want to ruin the lives of millions of people. Good call, you got me. So then someone named uh, Franz Vid Hannenberg responded, it's amazing how having at least racist views tendency is equal to, quote, just a different political opinion. So he's, he's saying that, you know, she's equating anyone who has a different opinion than her politically as, as, as a racist. And, he, and then he, she writes back, quote, I support an, the incarcerate or, and or kill all the brown people and make the poor women have babies they can't afford and take away any social service they might get to make their forced motherhood less miserable party. Why don't you have political tolerance? So she's responding here, and of course this is getting a little off topic, but she, she's responding here 
people are accusing her of berating others on Twitter who don't agree with her politically and saying, if you berate others all the time on Twitter over politics, how dare you get mad when people berate you over a poker hand? It's the same thing. And she says, no, 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 no. I have a right to berate people because they're racist and, and they, they hate the brown people and they, they separate them from their children and they make the poor women have babies and want them don't want them to have abortions and uh, take away the social services. And you know, If you support a party that's, that's, uh, that does all that, if you vote for that party, meaning the Republican Party, then you deserve it. You, you don't deserve political tolerance. Political tolerance, by the way, doesn't mean that you have to agree with a person or validate what they, they believe. It just means that you, you need to you, – political tolerance means you understand there's those who have different political views than yourself, and you're, you're willing to have a civil debate with them about it. Even if, even if they can't convince you of their points, that you're willing to treat them as human beings and, and just have a reasonable and civil debate with them. And she says, no, you don't have to do that because these people are so, so terrible, they don't, they don't deserve that respect. I, yes, they should be berated. If you vote for Republicans, even if you're not actually racist yourself, even if you're not a, a, a person who is, is a big uh, pro-life person or whatever, if you vote for the Republican Party, that automatic, automatically makes you such a terrible person that you deserve to be berated, according to her. So therefore, she's defending it. She's saying, yeah, of course, I, of course I berate these people. Of course I insult them. Of course I'm nasty to them. But they deserve it. They're, they're horrible racists and misogynists. So, so this already gives you a view into what type of person she is. And by the way, I do see this a lot from the extreme left. And I, I don't want to be uh, going into political rants here. And I know I have people who listen to the show, a lot of people who are on the left, and that's fine. Okay. But I hope that those listening to this show on the left don't feel that somehow your dislike of Trump or dislike of other Republicans or dislikes of dislike of Republican policies, I hope that you don't feel that this means you can mistreat people who vote a different way that you do. You can think that they're wrong to vote that way. You can disagree with them voting this way. You can be disappointed in them for voting this way. But you should treat them with respect as long as they've treated you with respect. You shouldn't just decide they're evil. You shouldn't be berating and insulting them for this. And I'm seeing too much of that these days, especially from the extreme left. Yes, I see it some from the extreme right, too. I do see some people on the right who berate and insult those on the left just for their political opinion. I don't agree with that either, and I, and I tell people that. I tell people on the right, which I'm part of, I tell people they shouldn't be doing that either. But I see much more of it from the left, and especially the social justice warrior left, which they've become so arrogant and so full of themselves and so so much of the belief that they're the good guys, that they're the freedom fighters against injustice, and that the other side politically are the evil enemies. And therefore, those people are not human, they don't deserve respect, and they deserve everything bad you can do to them and say to them. And that's a terrible way to approach politics. But but that's what Vanessa is. Vanessa is the epitome of that. So that's what she was saying there. And even if you're on the political left, you shouldn't support behavior like this. Anyway, going on here, she decides, so a lot of people bashing her in that one. 
Well, she decides then, at 2.29 a.m., now just uh, 25 minutes from the first one she wrote, um, sorry, 21 minutes from the first one she wrote, she makes her third tweet. And she made a lot of responses in between, like what I was reading you. A whole lot of responses. But she makes another tweet, just another outright tweet to start another thread on Twitter. I wish I could just ignore people's tweets, but this just irks me so much. Everyone who posted here is epitomizing exactly what's wrong with poker these days. Wow. So everybody responding to her on Twitter is the epitome of what's wrong with poker. Not her. She's great for poker. (laughs) Everybody responding to her is the epitome of what is wrong with poker these days. She writes, why it's not fun for amateurs anymore. Basically, I guess it just boils down to you're all kind of a bunch of assholes. Please stop. (laughs) Can you imagine? Here's a hint for how you behave on Twitter. You, You don't just attack everyone. You don't attack everyone as a group responding to you. All of you, you're the reason poker sucks. You're the reason amateurs don't play anymore. You're the reason poker is so bad. You're a bunch of assholes. Please stop. It's, it's like a child having a tantrum. Usually when... That's crazy. I mean, do you think... That, I mean, I'm sure that's happening in other areas of her life as well. That type of attitude. Oh, yes, yes. And that's, that's what... You know it, what it, it, it actually is. Or even politics. Oh, we'll, we'll get to that. We'll get, it, is, it actually is happening. She got in trouble at work for something like this, but uh, which I've talked about before, but we'll revisit it. But yes, it, the answer is yes, it, it is. Usually it's not just on Twitter. So... Uh, cr- what a crazy tweet. So as you can imagine, this one got the most responses and uh, hundreds of responses to this one. So this really put the focus on what's good and bad for poker. Now she said, remember, everyone who posted here, not, not just people who disagree with her, everyone, everyone who posted here is epitomizing exactly what's wrong with poker these days, why it's not fun for amateurs anymore. Okay, that's that's what she wrote. Verbatim. I just read it. So, let's say, let's say for argument's sake, that uh, everyone berating Vanessa on Twitter are bad for poker. I, I don't agree, but let's let's say they are. That would mean that Vanessa would never do anything like that. Vanessa would never uh, berate anyone or make anyone feel bad at the poker table. Especially like, on TV, she wouldn't do that, right? Hmm. Well, a guy named Marty Mathis, it's uh, at Marty Math on Twitter, wrote, Though you sat there and ripped into me at a secondary feature table at the PCA while all of my friends and family were watching, I will withhold comment. Oh, my. Oh, my. Have you heard of Marty Mathis, the poker pro? Probably not, because Marty Mathis uh, is just a rec player. And, uh, or at the very least, is an unknown player. And there he was at the Poker Stars Caribbean Adventure, and he was at the secondary feature table, which was uh, featured on TV in some way. And uh, he told his friends and family to watch, because he's going to be playing poker on TV, and it was very exciting for him. And uh, Vanessa Selps was berating him. Hmm. Now, wouldn't you think that would drive people out of poker a lot more than uh, p- 
people being not nice to Vanessa about the way she played a hand on Twitter? Kind of hypocritical, wouldn't you think? Well, so obviously people responded. So Justin Petchy, who is a bracelet winner, he uh, he's a poker pro. He's, he's pretty low-key. He's not a troll. He's not a guy who starts a lot of drama or trouble. He tried to reason with her. So he, he quoted what uh, this Marty Mathis wrote and said, Vanessa, if you think the reaction has nothing to do with your history of berating other players' play, then I don't know what to tell you. So then she goes into denial mode. She writes, what history of berating, pray tell? <laughs> pray tell, come on. A few hands I played when I was 22 to 25 years old? If you really think that I get hate proportionately to the others for the amount of berating I've done versus others, then I don't know what to tell you. This is a stupid response. So basically she's saying that um, every time she berates someone, that I I guess it makes, uh, there's a note in some sort of uh, berating log, and that, that the public gets one berating credit. (laughs) <laughs> to, to berate her back. So she can, as long as, once there's been as much berating against her as she has done herself, then it has to stop, according to her. So yeah, she may have berated some people in the past, but uh, hey, um, she's getting much more of it now from people on Twitter than she ever did before, so therefore they're wrong. And that's insane because she's a high-profile player who has been seen by so many people being rude to so many people. And when you get that reputation that you earned yourself from misbehaving, then at that point people don't like you. And then, yes, they will look for an excuse to give you a hard time because you acted like a jerk in a high-profile situation. Okay? And and then so Justin Petty tried to explain that to her. He wrote, there's no way you're going to receive equal proportion with your name recognition. That comes with the territory and the accessibility of social media. I'm not going to bash you about the past because we're all guilty of shit, but we all grow and you have to realize it plays a factor. So he's telling her, look, you're you're a famous poker pro. You were seen berating people a lot in the past, even if it's over by now. That's what people remember of you, and now people are going to berate you, and this this is your fault, and you've got to understand that's why it's happening. You're not being the victim here. People aren't just being assholes. They're doing it to you because they watched you do it to others for so long. Even if it's over now, they watched you before. But you may think, okay, you know, how long does she have to serve the uh, the sentence for this? If she berated people, you know, when she was 22 to 25 years old, I think she's 32 now. So, you know, if she last berated people six or seven years ago and she doesn't do it anymore, isn't it time to forgive her and not do it? Well, first of all, you've already seen that she is perfectly fine with berating people on Twitter over politics. But you may say, okay, well, but that's a separate thing. Over poker, she's behaving better now. She's she's grown up since she was 25. Not that 25 is a kid, but she's grown up. She's in her early 30s now. She doesn't do it anymore. Let's cut her some slack since she's learned her lesson. Mm, I don't know about that. Uh, before we get to that, um, a little bit back to this whole thing with the berating people for politics. A guy named Fernando Medina responded and said to her, that uh, she constantly spreads hate about others on social media. This is what he wrote. She wrote, but you, he wrote, but you complain and spread hate constantly about people that disagree with your political view, not only about absurd things. You don't act like a reasonable person complaining and spreading hate about others, others' views, and now you feel bad when people do the same with you. And she wrote in response, 
not all views are created equal. If you side with people who want to terrorize brown people and turn women into victims, then your view is not worthy of consideration. It's not, quote, politics. And I'm so sick of people brainwashed by Fox News' idea that every barbaric idea deserves a platform. Now, if you don't think about it too much, you may say, oh, yeah, Vanessa's right. You know, why should racists and and misogynists and just horrible people, why should they get a platform? But think about what she's really saying here. She's saying that if you watch Fox News, if you're on the right, if you're a Republican, that not only does she disagree with you, you should not have a platform to express your views. That she feels that only her side should be able to speak. And that's why she berates people, because these people don't deserve a platform for their ideas. Their ideas are so horrible and racist and misogynist that they they should not be allowed to speak. They should not be allowed to share their viewpoints. Only enlightened people like Vanessa should be allowed to make political posts. And that's why she berates them, because they should not be expressing their viewpoints. Unbelievable. The funny thing is she's actually, uh, uh, I believe, a licensed attorney. I know she went to law school and graduated at at the very least. I think she is a licensed attorney, too. And and she claimed that she was specializing in civil liberties, that she she was very big on civil liberties. So how can someone who is so pro-civil liberties basically be putting out there that she thinks anyone who disagrees with her politically should be censored, that they shouldn't have any platform to express their views? That if she decides that their views are, are, are racist or misogynist or, or homophobic, anything she deems with those terms, they will not have a platform to speak. Not just her platform, they shouldn't have a platform. They should not, not be allowed to speak. Isn't it sad that uh, in this country where free speech has always been such a major building block of our society, something that separated America from the rest of the world for so long. Isn't it sad that there are those out there now who are, are really saying that we shouldn't have free speech anymore? That if we, we have the wrong views that can be deemed evil in some way, that we should not be allowed to speak? And that's what she's saying. That's what she's saying. She's saying that these people deserve abuse on Twitter. Because they shouldn't be speaking in the first place about these things. And if it were up to her, they wouldn't be allowed to speak. I feel everybody should be able to speak. I've never once felt that people who I disagree with should not be allowed to express their views. That's crazy. They should always be able to express their views. You don't have to agree with them. You can criticize them for it. You can even insult them for it, but people should have the right to express themselves. And I think in any kind of political discussion, or even discussion about social issues, that there should be respect shown to both sides. And both sides should really stick to the issues and just discuss back and forth the merit of what they believe. And not decide who deserves the platform to speak more. Because the truth is neither do. Why did neither? Because both deserve it equally. But Vanessa doesn't believe that. So she's just making excuses for why she's uh, so nasty to people on Twitter who don't agree with her. But, but back to the poker stuff. Back to the poker stuff. Now, her contention is that she 
does not berate people anymore. This is when she was young and dumb from ages 22 to 25. You know, a little kid like that. A little 25-year-old kid who's since learned her lesson. And that was a totally different year. You know, back when she was 25, what, 2011, 2012? That was a totally different year. And since now we're in 2018, everyone has to be nice to her. Because if you watched her berating someone on TV in 2012, well, how dare you hold that against her in 2018? That's what she's saying. But let's even pretend we're going to give her that. Let's say, okay. Vanessa, congratulations for behaving well for six years now. But really, has she? Ray Henson, a poker pro from the Houston area, and by the way, just I, I want to preface this with uh, Ray Henson's no friend of mine. Ray Henson's best friend is David O.D.B. Baker, who does not like me, and I don't like him. Uh, Ray Henson doesn't care for me very much either. Uh, and for for clarity, just for people, he's not related to Jim Henson. No, he's not. He's not. So he'll, he probably won't die at age 48 like everyone in that family does. So yeah, so Ray Hansen, uh, yeah, he said a lot of poker success, just like uh, his friend David Baker. But, but these, he, he's not a fan of mine, Ray Hansen. Just letting you know. So I'm not, I'm not saying all this to back my boy Ray Hansen because he's definitely not. Uh, but anyway, uh, one thing I will say about Ray Hansen is that he's not a liar. He's he's never someone who just makes up a lie. He's not a scammer. He's not a liar. Same with David too. You know, his friend David Baker. Again, neither of them are dishonest people. I will say that for them, and I think they would say that for me too. So, this is what Ray Hansen wrote, which I fully believe. Two years ago, my fiancé played the ladies' event, her first event ever. She was so nervous, but I told her not to worry. The ladies' event is a fun thing, and she'll be comfy. Now, that's true. The ladies' event is very non-competitive. They, the ladies are very nice to each other there for the most part. It's, it's a very relaxed atmosphere. It's different than a typical World Series event. That's what I've heard. I, I haven't done the Sean Deeb thing and, and, and put on a dress and makeup to go play, but uh, that's what I've heard. So... So he was assuring his fiance, don't worry, this is a very non-intimidating environment. Everyone's going to be nice. It's, it's going to be comfortable there. I know you're nervous, but this is the best tournament for you to play as, a, as an introduction, as a recreational player. This is what he told his fiance. Two years ago, 2016, he says to Vanessa Selves, well, she drew your table and had to listen to you criticize her the whole day. Mm. So Vanessa Selves is always going off about people being misogynists and hating women and mistreating women. Looks like Vanessa mistreats women herself. She mistreated uh, Ray Henson's fiance, who was definitely not a poker pro who could take it. This was uh, a person playing her first tournament ever. Ray talked her into it. She was saying, oh, no, no, I'm too nervous. This is your thing, Ray. You know, I really, you know, the whole poker thing makes me nervous. And Ray's like, no, don't worry about it. The, the ladies here are very nice. I, you know, I've heard about these events. Everybody's very supportive and nice to each other. And th- for the most part, that's true. He was right. Uh, then she gets stuck at Vanessa's table. <laughs> and uh, Vanessa just criticized her the entire day, according to Ray. Who, again, I've never known to be a liar. Never known to be a liar. Not someone I like very much personally, not someone who likes me very much personally, but as far as honesty, always been honest as far as I know. So he's not making this up. Uh, So Vanessa responded, this is very unfair. I like to discuss hands at the table. I never would have purposely made someone uncomfortable. You're, quote, calling me out on something where it's her perception and my intentions are frequently misunderstood, as are all of ours. 
So Vanessa's saying, look, I, this is unfair. I, I just like to discuss hands at the table. I, I think I was just misunderstood. I was just, I was just discussing the way we played some hands, and I think, I think just people misunderstood me that I was berating them. And, you know, hey, look, we all get misunderstood, right? <laughs> what, what do you think? Do you, do you think that uh, Vanessa was just calmly discussing hands in a friendly fashion and was misunderstood? Or do you think perhaps she was being a complete bitch to Ray Henson's uh, recreational playing fiancé in her first tournament ever. Which one do you think is more likely, given everything we've heard so far? So then someone wrote to her, You're a professional, she's a a rec, meaning recreational. You made her uncomfortable. Why should your intentions matter? I'm not hating or trolling, just wondering. Vanessa said back, because had I known I was making her uncomfortable, I would have stopped discussing hands. I don't like to make people upset, by and large. (laughs) Come on. Come on. I don't like to make people upset, by and large. This is someone who has a reputation for years and years of berating people at the table and being nasty to them, whether they're recreational players, whether they're pro players. She loses a hand, and she gets mad, and she berates them. And even when she doesn't lose hands, she she makes comments all the time about how she would have played the hand better. And this is why so many people don't like her. Well, this is one of the reasons people don't like her. Uh, Brandon, were you going to say something? Brandon? No, I'm just listening. I'm okay. I, I, thought, I thought you were about to say something. Brandon, it sounds like he's describing Bill, right? <laughs> yeah. That they're, they're you know what I'm saying? Similar. They're just completely oblivious to how they're coming across. Or they're, you know? Yeah, she is. She's very oblivious yeah. to how she's coming across. So, so then Ray was not having it. Ray, Ray knew that 100% his fiance was mistreated by Vanessa at the table. And uh, he wasn't going to let her make these excuses. Well, look, had I known she was uncomfortable, I would have stopped. I'm not trying to make anyone feel bad. I, it was totally misunderstanding. She, she just didn't know what I was trying to say to her. So, okay, so Ray wasn't having This is what Ray wrote back. Oh, sorry, I said one more thing Vanessa wrote. She wrote, uh, honestly, it's a bunch of experiences. I'm pretty weird, and I misread a lot. And then sometimes I've been rude. So it makes sense. But yes, people are also scrutinizing extra and looking for stories where none exist due to preconception. So uh, a lot of things in this tweet. I'm pretty weird and I misread a lot. First of all, this, this is already trying to like be like a little bit self-deprecating to, to people will read this and go, you know what? I'm kind of weird too. Okay, yeah, I understand. I'm kind of misunderstood by others. Yeah, okay. Vanessa, she's in the same boat as me. She's trying to put that out there like that. Like, I'm pretty weird and I misread a lot. Like So hopefully those reading this who also may be um, a little bit different, we'll say, oh, yeah, I can relate to her. I'm weird, too, and people never understand me either. But th- that's why she put that out there. Uh, then she said, uh, conceded a little bit, yeah, then sometimes I've been rude, but then she has to qualify it with people are scrutinizing her extra and looking for stories where none really exist just because they have a preconceived notion about her. So she she has to finish with that, that uh, really a lot of the time she's being falsely accused just because everyone's looking for a reason to criticize her. So Ray got mad when he read that, and he said this. Yeah, she was, quote, looking for a story, he's saying sarcastically. She had absolutely no idea who you were, and you asked, do you even know who I am, when she three-bet you? <laughs> so so, so th- this recreational player in her first tournament ever, three-bets Vanessa's self, probably, you know, probably three-bet was with a big hand, too. You know, probably Ray's fiancé had aces, and Vanessa raised the Jack-8 offsuit again, and... and, and yeah, Ray's wife nervously three bets her, and then Vanessa self actually says to her, "Do you know who I am?" <laughs> I mean, are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? How can you act this way? 
So she actually said this. Do you know who I am when she got three bet? But but then she didn't say who she was, I guess. So <laughs> so, so then she said he writes even, he writes even after she busted when she told me the story she didn't know who you were. Then we were at dinner, and a friend read the hand history online, and she was like, "Oh my god, that's the hand I busted on." The reporter didn't know she was my fiance, so they didn't have her name. She was just a random, but they had your name and what you said. So I showed a picture. Uh, and she confirmed it was you. So I guess she must have busted against uh, Vanessa, and they reported this on Poker News. Like, you know, a player in seat five uh, raised, and then Vanessa re-raised, and they got it all in, and Vanessa won. Like, so whatever it was, they someone had pointed out that the, you know, someone had read about that hand, and she's like, oh, that's the hand I busted on. So then they looked, and, you know, it's like, is this the girl you were playing with? Yes, it was. So... It was confirmed for sure it was Vanessa, but prior to that, Ray's fiance didn't even know who Vanessa was or what her name was, so it was not a preconceived notion because she had no idea who she was. So, so Ray's fiance comes home and, and says, "Oh my God, I played with this complete bitch who just criticized me the whole way and asked me, do you know who I am?' When I three bet her, and I couldn't believe the way she was acting, and I don't know what this girl's problem was." And so, <laughs> then Ray's like, "Oh, do you know who it is?" No, I don't know the girl's name. And then, and then they find out later it's Vanessa Selps because of the picture. And then they ask, was this her? Yes, it was. So this was not from any kind of preconceived notion. She came home, complained about the way she was treated by this one woman at the table who was awful. Awful meaning the way she acted, not the way she played. And, and then it turned out to be Vanessa. But, but, but somehow Vanessa still thinks she did nothing wrong there. Now, what did Vanessa say back? Um, how many tweets did Vanessa write back to that point? Zero point Zero. Yeah, zero point zero. She did not respond to Ray further because there wasn't much she could say. But you may say, okay, well, that was 2016. Maybe in the last two years she improved. It's two, still two years ago. Maybe, maybe I think Vanessa's 32 now. Maybe, maybe, maybe when she was 30, she turned over a new leaf after that World Series and stopped mistreating people at the table. She could have been 29 and 8 months, too, so she yeah. was still in her 20s. Yeah, yeah, she could have been, you know, some people just don't grow up till they're 30, so yeah, yeah. Well, a guy named Ryan Franklin showed up and was yet another person to point out that Vanessa is a huge hypocrite. He's, he wrote, do you know what it feels like now, do you know what it feels like now when you're at the table and telling every amateur what they did wrong or how you would have found uh, X here fold when they didn't? Enjoy being a hypocrite. So I, I guess uh, he was saying to her that uh, all she ever does is uh, berate people and, and, and brag about how you would have been able to fold in a spot when you were behind when that person didn't, and, uh, and that she's a hypocrite. He wrote that. Now, remember, he, did, he hasn't said this was him. He was just saying that uh, she's doing this to every amateur what they did wrong. You know, so Every time an amateur misplays a hand in her opinion, she lets them know it and how much she would have done better. This is what Ryan wrote. He's uh, at Hit the Panda, H-I-T-T-H-E-P-A-N-D-A. Hit the Panda on Twitter, Ryan Franklin. Uh, So Vanessa responded to Ryan Franklin. This was on uh, July 5th, by the way, in the morning. She writes, "Um, okay, let me know when I did that, please. And then a few minutes later, she says, I'll give you a hint. You're thinking of 2010 when I did it to Varconi, Robert Varconi, who won the main event in uh, 2002. Uh, who didn't even know, who I didn't even know was an amateur. 2010, she writes. So F off, seriously. 
<laughs> so, so she decides that he must be talking about this thing from 2010 where she berated Robert Varconi. Why should she berated Robert Varconi? She claims, oh, I knew he was a pro because he, he, he won in 2002. Uh, who cares if he's a pro or amateur? Why, why should she have berated him? But then she's saying 2010, she's repeating to, to mock him for bringing up an eight-year-old thing. So F off seriously. Now, keep in mind, Ryan Franklin said nothing about this stuff. He didn't mention Varconi. He didn't mention uh, 2010. She's just nasty writing to him. I'll give you a hint. You're thinking of 2010 when I did it at Varconi. 2010, F off seriously. So then he wrote back, I'll give you a hint. It was last year when I played with you at WPT Florida and numerous other times with others who played with you. Self-reflection is dope, I hear. <laughs> Owned once again. So, nope, it wasn't about Varconi in 2010. He didn't even know about that. It was about him. She berated him at WPT Florida last year. And then also he knows others that she's berated recently as well. And he tells her that self-reflection is dope. <laughs> that she should learn to do it, basically. Owned again. First by Ray Henson, then by this Ryan Franklin. So then, just in case you think maybe Ryan Franklin's a troll making this up. Maybe, maybe Ryan Franklin wasn't really at WPT Florida. Maybe he's exaggerating. The, someone popped up named uh, Jazzbrell and said, Ryan is one of the nicest guys. He's not throwing shade for no reason. So this Jazzbrell sprung up and backed Ryan, saying, this is a guy who doesn't ever start problems. Uh, he's one of the nicest guy I know. So Vanessa wrote this. Okay, well, I, I honestly don't remember. I like to discuss hands with other pros after the fact. I'm sure I don't recognize the position I'm in, and, and it can come off as berating. It, it's not meant to be that. Okay. Um, this is not someone who's just a little bit brusque, a little bit uh, too direct, and comes off as, uh, as rude. This, this is someone who has been seen on TV, and during just live events that aren't televised being very condescending, very nasty, very insulting, and very demeaning to people who are playing poker with her. She's been seen doing this so many times. and I, Even I didn't realize that this is still going on as recently as last year. And, and the only reason not this year is she hasn't played much this year. Even I thought that this was toned down. But apparently it hasn't. So, uh, so these people coming out, these randoms coming out with stories where, where she just was awful to them or their fiancé or... Or other people, it, there's so many stories out there about her doing this, including recent ones. So this is not a misunderstanding. A misunderstanding is like once, if you if you make some kind of comment that uh, you didn't mean as bad as it sounded, and then you realize later, oh wait, maybe I came off too harsh. That's not even what I meant. This this actually happened uh, not in a poker manner, but uh, two days ago I was in line at the lovely sports deli at the Rio late at night. And there was a guy standing there with his girlfriend, not exactly in the line. He's kind of like to the side of the line. So I, I get in the line, and the guy immediately says, whoa, 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 whoa. I'm, uh, you know, we're in line here. I said, oh, no, that's okay. I understand. That. That's fine. I did. I, you guys were off to the side. I didn't know. I'll go behind you. So I got behind them. Well, um, so then the guy who got behind me, I started just having conversation with him. And then I was having conversation with the same person at, uh, while we were waiting for our food. So I, I, I guess... The guy who had yelled at me looked and, like, 
it, it seemed like I wasn't a bad guy to him, and I guess his girlfriend gave him a hard time for being rude to me. So he came up and apologized and said, hey, I just want to let you know I wasn't trying to be rude there. I, I, I didn't think you were trying to cut in line. I understand uh, it didn't look like we were in line, so just sorry. And I said, no, 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 it's no problem. I just I, I thought you were just telling me you were uh, – you were in line. Like he was a little bit rude about it, but it, he was like it didn't bother me that much. It wasn't that bad to where I even thought about it for more than like a few seconds. So, um, but, but you know, his girlfriend saw it and, and told him that it kind of came off the way a different way than what he meant. So he went over to tell me, "Hey, I didn't mean it that way. I wasn't trying to be rude." So, um, that type of thing can happen on a one-time basis, occasionally, whatever. But Vanessa is known for doing this all the time. And in a way that's so over-the-top and angry and demeaning and condescending that there's no way it's an accident. There's no way that she's not meaning to talk down to people. I I believe it is in her personality. It's not an excuse, but I I believe it's in her personality. She's not sitting down at a table thinking, oh, how am I going to be a bitch to people today? But, But nevertheless, she is a bitch to people there at the table, and she makes no attempt to control it, despite years and years of criticism of it. And just in case you think she was unaware until now, that she had this reputation. Um, remember that stupid... Uh, well, actually, it wasn't, it was, I shouldn't say stupid. It's kind of moderately stupid. That, that micros thing that they used to do of uh, that cartoon, that poker cartoon. Uh, they, they actually got real poker players to voice themselves on the micros, and uh, they got Vanessa Selbst. To, uh, she didn't voice any characters, but they showed like that they were calling her on Skype. And they had Vanessa Selps playing herself, like, start off by saying that she's, uh, you know, always nice and sweet, and then, like, going off on them and start yelling at them. So the, they wrote Vanessa Selps' character, playing herself, to be really, like, mean and nasty and just go off on someone for no reason, and had Vanessa Selps actually act it out. So would you think when they write this part for you, and then you acted out, wouldn't you think you would be aware at that point that that's the perception of you, and then at that point, ten years ago, maybe work to change it? But she hasn't. She hasn't at all, and that's because she believes she's above everybody else. She believes that she's more moral than everybody else. She believes that she's a better player than everybody else. She believes that uh, she needs to let you know how superior she is. And it's very hard for her to just keep her mouth shut. She sees you play a hand badly, even if she's not in the hand, she feels she's got to tell you Hey, you know, I would have folded on the turn for this reason because, you know, you know, I had to yeah, I, I would have known I had to be beat there if he raises this much. So that's why people relish this moment so much. Is that all the criticism aimed at so many people including a lot of amateurs over the years. All the criticism berating and the nastiness that has come from Vanessa over the years at the poker table about the way people played hands. That she played a hand horribly. So now it's time for her to receive the same treatment. Totally fine. Totally fine for people to do that. Uh, I I got a message from someone uh, that Vanessa abused that old lady on ESPN. I mean, there's so many different incidents of this. She just has no self-awareness. She she really has no self-awareness at all. Now... Trader Risk, you asked, uh, you know, maybe this is not just on Twitter, maybe it's not just the poker table, maybe it's uh, bled into other areas of her life. The answer is, yes, it has. Uh, she got a job at the end of 2017 uh, working on Wall Street. And uh, she got in trouble there. 
And the way we know this is because she stupidly tweeted it out. She stupidly talked about it on Twitter, what happened. And basically she was at a company party. So it wasn't uh, at work, but it was some kind of party for work. And she got drunk. And it's not clear exactly what she did, but she really went off on someone there. About, uh, again, some sort of perceived uh, homophobia or misogyny. Whatever it was, she just went off on someone without any good reason to do so while she was drunk. So that person went to HR, made a complaint, and then uh, they called her in, and uh, I, I think they basically wrote her up and gave her a warning. And she tweeted about this, and the reason she tweeted about it was she was saying, yeah, explaining the experience, and that, uh, uh, but, but that everybody's okay with it now. Everyone got over it. Uh, it, it was a positive resolution for all, so uh, she has no problem talking about this. And people are like, you know, you really shouldn't put this stuff out there about yourself. <laughs> you really should keep these things to yourself when you mistreat someone at a company party and go off on them when drunk and get in trouble at work. This is the type of thing you kind of keep to yourself. Maybe you tell your close friends or family. You, you don't go advertise this on Twitter. But but she did. And I'm sure the company must have been pissed. Oh, I'm sure they were. And I'm, I'm, I'm sure they were, like, they, they were probably sorry they hired her at that point. But uh, the, you know, they, they probably couldn't fire her yet because they needed to wait for more with you know fearing a wrongful termination they, this stuff i'm just guessing about but uh yeah they, they couldn't be very happy about this and uh so yes uh this this is not just on twitter it's not just at the poker table but even at work she will uh go off on people for these perceived slights she definitely has some kind of personality disorder and can you, she's married now to another woman uh who actually isn't bad looking by the way her wife her wife is doesn't look like her her wife is feminine and just looks like you know her wife doesn't look like a lesbian unless you you know someone told you she was but what must her wife go through if this is the way she acts all the time i i wrote on the forum and i'm serious about this if i were single and then i was dating like the the hottest girl in the world if, if she acted the way vanessa acts i would actually dump her i really would there'd be no way i could stand it so I, I can only imagine how this her wife is treated. Maybe she tolerates it because of the money. I, I don't know. Um, I, I think the wife is foreign, so maybe you know maybe she's from a country where women are, aren't treated all that well anyway in marriages. I, I don't know. I mean, Vanessa definitely has the man role in in that marriage. I'm sure, but. Uh, I, I also think it's incredibly hypocritical that someone who's always complaining about uh, the mistreatment of women and misogyny and all that uh, mistreats women herself. Like Ray Hansen's fiance. I mean, she, she, she can't blame misogyny at the table when she's at a women's event. But I'm sure if asked, she'd either uh, keep saying that she was just discussing hands or if, or if her back's against the wall, she'll claim she was uh, sensing homophobia. There's always some excuse. Always some excuse why you're the victim and you had a right to treat people this way. So um, it's funny because a long time ago, before I mean, I, I, my initial thing with Vanessa Selps was when she had an issue with Dustin Neverwin Wolf at the PCA like 12 years ago. But that was kind of Dustin's thing, and yeah, I felt she was in the wrong. But uh, she actually threatened to beat up Dustin, which I thought was funny. But <laughs> she, um, you know. 
the the one thing I at least respected about her was that after she blew up and became a very well-known player, that she was still speaking out against the shady sites. On, like on 2 Plus 2, she would go out and make posts uh, about lock poker and about other uh, you know shady poker sites out there. And I thought, okay, I respect Vanessa for that. She, you know, she could just say, hey, you know, I'm, I'm too big of a deal now to care about 2 Plus 2 and shady poker sites. And she didn't really play on them anymore. She was just a tournament player. Uh, but, but she would still speak out against them. I said, oh, that's great. You know, I, I at least respect that about her. But then so much came out about her that uh, I don't respect at all. That this is someone I really dislike, despite the fact that she hasn't scammed anyone or ripped anyone off. And I don't think, you know, I mean, she did have that shady thing with Jason Mercier where she tried to, get, you know, get out of a bet she made that wasn't looking good. But other than that, she uh, she hadn't done anything shady. But boy, her personality is is very very unlikable, and she pretty much embodies like every personality characteristic I dislike. Aside from dishonesty, I don't believe she really has dishonesty in her. But but aside from that, though she has a, a degree of dishonesty in, in how she makes the excuses for all of her behavior. But I think some of that is delusion. But uh, boy, she has an unpleasant personality, and uh, and the arrogance is off the charts. So she she really hung herself with all this because all she did with this whole thing was was bring forth the discussion about how she treats people. That, that's why all this stuff came out. That's why all these people came forward and talked about how she mistreated them or their fiance. Like uh, that's why all this came out is because she she had the nerve to tell people that those criticizing her play are the reason poker's not fun anymore. The reason that amateurs don't play anymore. And all people to say that. I mean, who's going to say this next? Helmuth. <laughs> I mean, if you do this stuff, you, you don't make a comment like that. So, that backfired on her pretty badly. Uh, Another controversial situation at the World Series of Poker main event occurred involving uh, Maurice Hawkins. Maurice Hawkins is a black poker pro, very talkative at the tables. Someone has described him on Poker Fraud Alert as uh, quote the chatty black guy type, which you know it sounds a little bit racist, but he actually is. You know, he if you picture like a black poker player who sits down at the table and uh, uh, talks a whole lot in kind of a stereotypically black fashion. When I say stereotypically black. I don't mean like he doesn't sound ghetto or anything, but you know he just sounds like a like a very talkative black guy. Uh, yeah, he seems to have some intelligence. It's not. Uh, I'm, I'm not trying to say anything uh, bad on that front. He's just very talkative. He, he, he's, uh, you know, he seems like he has some intelligence. He, he, he doesn't really say anything offensive. Uh, he's been at my table before. This was, uh, I think, uh, two years ago he was at my table at a World Series event. He got moved there. He didn't have many chips. He was mostly folding because he was short-stacked and looking for a spot. Eventually he busted. But, uh, yeah, he was very talkative. But, uh, you know, the table, he made the table more fun, and everyone liked him, so nothing bad to say about uh, my time playing with Maurice Hawkins. But there was a little bit of controversy last year about him when someone who was staking him claimed that Maurice stiffed him out of uh, 22K. 
and it was just settled very recently. And you know, before I get into what happened with, with Maurice Hawkins at the main event, I want to give you a little update on that one. Because uh, there, there's a, a, player, a, a guy named Hal Lewis, who is a lawyer and poker player, that he backed Maurice Hawkins in the 2016 World Series of Poker, and he claims that uh, Maurice Hawkins was being backed on an event that he cashed, and that Maurice Hawkins claimed that he was not being backed and didn't owe him anything, and they had a big dispute about it, and uh, there was actually uh, a... Uh, I don't know if there was a an actual lawsuit, but there was going to be... Anyway, it, it was a big dispute, and it was reported on Poker Fraud Alert in uh, 2017. Uh, someone else on Poker Fraud Alert, a listener to this show, found some an arrest record for Maurice Hawkins from 2011, where he was arrested for a resisting officer and uh, trespassing, though the more details of that were not known. So, I mean... It, it, he doesn't have a spotless history, but for the most part, uh, his reputation isn't bad. Uh, some who have played with him said that they found him annoying at the table with the too much talking, but again, it's, it's nothing terrible. Uh, regarding the dispute with that lawyer, with uh, Hal Lewis, who supposedly backed him, they came to an amicable settlement. This was just reported a few days ago that they came to an amicable settlement. And in fact, uh, this is what uh, this, uh, this is what Maurice Hawkins said. Our staking deal was in fact handled correctly and it was a gross misunderstanding. Uh, <clears throat> then uh, Hal Lewis said, at the end of our business relationship, I thought Maurice Hawkins and I were participating in a tournament which he thought I was not staking him. There was a misunderstanding due to a number of miscommunications between us. This resulted in mistakes and errors in the accountings between us where I thought he owed me money. He thought that he did not. We've resolved this amicably. I have nothing but good things to say about him, his having made me a considerable amount of profit in the relationship we had together. So I don't know who was really in the right and wrong in that one. I don't know if it really was totally misunderstanding, miscommunication. I don't know if maybe Maurice could have tried to shoot an angle and... Uh, you know, play an event knowing that he'll claim that Hal was staking him if he lost and that uh, if he won that he wasn't being staked. Who knows? Uh, but but whatever it was, at the end of this whole thing, they must have had an agreement to you know both come out there and say that you know that they amicably resolved it and everything's cool and it was just a misunderstanding. So I, I would think after all this and you know Hal Lewis had threatened at the time he's going to release tapes of, of Hawkins that would prove his point. Somehow they came to a settlement. I, I think that there may have been enough doubt to where neither was clear enough about this to where they realized it was probably in their best interest to just, you know, maybe Hawkins would pay him some portion of that and then they'd both just say it was settled amicably. That's that's what I think probably happened, if I had to guess. Anyway, that just came out, but that's not the real main story today. The real main story has nothing to do with any of this. In fact, the real main story has nothing to do with anything that Hawkins did wrong, to my knowledge. What happened was that an Italian guy at the table with Maurice Hawkins, remember, is black. When Maurice won a pot, the Italian guy said to him, and this is someone at the table, not a spectator, 
What's up, N-word? Isn't that a weird thing to say to a black guy at the table when you're white? And they had no history? Well, that's what I'm still trying to figure out. That's what I'm still trying to figure out. I don't know if they had history or not. And I still don't have an answer to that. But the poker pro in question, the Italian poker pro in question, has been identified. Actually, I don't know if he's a poker pro, but he is a uh, prolific player in Italy. Not a very well-known player. But uh, he has been identified by somebody, a a poker fraud alert uh, forum member and radio show listener who brought this to my attention. And uh, indeed, he's correct. So this is a poker fraud alert exclusive that the name of this person who said, what's up, N-word, to Maurice Hawkins after Maurice won a pot is Adrian Lovin Sorin. That's Adrian, as you'd expect, uh, A-D-R-I-A-N, Lovin, L-O-V-I-N, Sorin, S-O-R-I-N. That doesn't sound like an Italian name, but it is. He is from Italy, and... uh, he does not speak English very well, which complicates this a bit. If this was an American saying it, you'd say, okay, well, this must be a racist. But an Italian, I'll, I'll get to why this could have actually been a misunderstanding, speaking of misunderstandings. But I'm, I'm going to play you just a little bit of an interview in Italian, just so you can hear the guy's voice. You probably won't understand it. I will not understand it. But he, here's a little bit of an interview with Adrian Levin Soren. Sei in compagnia di Adrian Lovinsorin, giocatore rumeno che fa parte di questo team internazionale targato Italian Poker Team 2015-2016. Adrian ha vinto il titolo di campione italiano Freeze Out 2015-2016 e si è classificato nono nella speciale classifica che premia i migliori giocatori. He sounds very feminine, doesn't he? No, that's, that's actually the woman introducing him. Riassoluti. Adrian, è la tua prima volta qui a Las Vegas? Sì, è la prima volta. E come sta andando? Bene, bene, mi trovo bene qua a Las Vegas. Voglio fare ringraziamenti a tutto il staff dell'ISOP e tutta la squadra ISOP che siamo venuti qua. So, um, that, that's his voice. Uh, as you can see, he's a fluent Italian speaker. He's an Italian guy. The English is not uh, very good, apparently. He looks like a middle-aged, bald, kind of heavy-set guy. That's what he looks like. So... Maurice complained the minute that was said. Again, I don't know the context. I don't know if they had a history at the table. I don't know what would have prompted that statement. But definitely it was said. Definitely it was heard by a lot of people and has been verified by people at the table that he really did say this. So here's what Maurice Hawkins tweeted at the time. And at the time, Maurice Hawkins was mad because he felt that the World Series didn't do enough about it. But then... Later, when he found out they did more than he thought they did, then he praised them. But this is what he wrote at first. This was uh, about 24 hours ago. About 23 hours ago, actually. On July 6, 2018, 1.22 a.m. Well, here at the World Series of Poker, you can say, shut up, N-word, and all you do is get a penalty for the rest of the day. Basically, not disqualified. So take what take it for what it is. I am not protected from racial slurs or anything. Had to take an L, meaning a loss, and I didn't like it. Hashtag Hawks view. Then he went on to say, can't see myself playing a tournament where a man can call me a racial slur, then just get a penalty. Wonder if that's the rules. Can't respond because it's against the law and on camera. Hawks view. So I guess he meant responding physically. <laughs> and then someone asked him, uh, Tony Burns asked him, 
I personally do not tolerate racial slurs on any level. If, continue, if confirmed by witnesses, I would disqualify the player from the tournament. I've encountered this type of situation once in my career. Depending on the venue, they could also pursue further measures if they deem necessary. And then he wrote back, well, not in the World Series of Poker. Here, anything goes. So he was very mad that uh, he believed that this guy was only disqualified for the day, but was uh, able to come back for day two. Apparently not. Uh, it has since come out that the guy was disqualified. And uh, Jack Effel actually personally came over and uh, walked the guy out of the room and told him he was disqualified from the event without a refund, that the guy just lost the 10K. I don't know how many chips he had, but I uh, there, there is a picture of the guy just kind of standing in the corner waiting for uh, a decision on this. And it's definitely the same guy in that video I just played you. In fact, he, and he even has a little Italian uh, flag logo on his sleeve. So then Jack Effel came over and removed him. Now, at first, it uh, it was reported that you know by, by Maurice that he actually said you know shut up and but it was actually what's up, and uh, that was Dutch Boyd who confirmed that. Dutch Boyd said it was what's up. I was on the next table. English was like his fourth language. He pretended he didn't speak English at all after the incident. Fucking racist, banned for at least a year, in my opinion. That's what Dutch Boyd wrote. And then Dutch also posted a picture of the guy. So, uh, I will say that him pretending he doesn't speak English at all after it was very suspicious. But the question is, since the guy is Italian, and since we still don't have the information whether Hawkins had actually had issues with the guy... Is it possible that this guy didn't understand what he was saying? Is it possible that uh, this is a guy who speaks very little English and that he had seen this phrase either in a rap video or perhaps even uh, in a movie? Like uh, in the movie Rush Hour with Chris Rock, there was this clip. having trouble loading here. What's up, my nigga? <laughs> that was from Chris Rock's character to another uh, black guy in the movie. What's up, my nigga? Yeah. So, what if he saw something like that and just thought that was like a greeting? Or saw it in a rap video? Yeah, if if you're an American or a Canadian or even a Brit, you, you know that's absurd. You know that uh, you, you, as a white guy, you would never say that to a black guy, even in a friendly fashion. But but what if he really thought that's like a friendly greeting you give to a, a black guy? What if he thought he was being funny? What if he didn't understand the the history behind that word? Being from Italy, some got really mad at me for suggesting this, and I'm not saying that is what happened. It is possible the guy was just a racist and didn't like Maurice Hawkins and said that to him for some reason. But uh, I also think it's possible that due to the language barrier that he didn't understand. Now, someone else pointed out on the forum that casual racism is frequent in Italian life, that uh, in Italy they have a lot more of that and that uh, they're a lot less sensitive to that over there. And that perhaps he thought that saying something like that would just be funny. 
But uh, I also still think it's possible the guy was just repeating something he heard on TV or in a movie or in a rap song and didn't quite know what he was saying. Uh, unless there was a history between them, then I then I would have to say 100% that it was it was something meant to be offensive. But if if they had no problem with each other and then Maurice won a pot and he says that to him, you'd, you'd think that may be just like a failed joke. And I, I think that really should have been taken into consideration. Whereas if someone just drops a racial slur out of nowhere, then that's a different story. Now, there's also the question of if you want to say that it was a racial slur, that it was intentional to be offensive, what is the appropriate penalty in a poker tournament for that? Should it be a warning? Should it be some kind of penalty for time where you're sent away from the table and your tips blind off for a certain amount of time? Or should it be disqualification, or should it even be a barring from that property or all the properties of that of that uh, company? This guy got the second harshest. He got a disqualification, but I don't believe he's barred from Caesar's properties, but he got disqualified. I don't know if he's disqualified from just this event or if he's been banned from the World Series, but he was kicked out of the main event and did not get a refund. Uh, the question is, was that too harsh? Was that not harsh enough? What do you think, Troy Ruski? What do you think that they should have done here? when this was reported, but let's just say you don't know the context. Uh, what, what, do you, what do you think should be done? I mean, it's hard to say if you don't know the context, but I'd say based on what Dutch said, yeah, the disqualification minimum. And what about you, Brandon? What, what do you think it should, be, should have been done? Brandon's still here? I see. I see him here. I just don't know if he is here. Well, Brandon, if you can hear this, then you can chime in any time. Anyway, uh, here's how I feel about it. Uh, I agree that the context really needs to be investigated with someone foreign. You you need to make sure this wasn't uh, something that really is a misunderstanding, where someone who doesn't speak English well said something that he didn't think was offensive, and then learns, unfortunately, that it is. Uh, if an American says it, then you can say, "All right, well, you know, any American knows not to say that word. A white American should n- should never say that to a black guy at the table under any circumstances." So, you know, there there's no excuses for it. The with someone foreign who barely speaks English, you, you do need to kind of figure it out. And uh, I, I would say the factor that would allow you to figure it out both be talking to the guy about it, and if if the guy shuts down and pretends he doesn't speak English at all, then you may have to disqualify him just for being a jerk about the aftermath. But uh, provided he talks to you, you know, listen to his story and kind of come with a common sense conclusion uh, as to what you think really happened. If they had history, I think probably you have to assume it's, it is some sort of uh, racial slur and then do something. As, as, so as far as disqualifying someone for that, if they're going to disqualify people for racial slurs or other similar slurs, you know, if someone does an anti-gay slur to somebody at the table or uh, an anti-Jewish slur, whatever. If you're, if you're going to take the position that the World Series should disqualify people for such slurs, I'm fine with that. But then they need to also treat with equal harshness, or perhaps even more harshness, any threats of physical violence. And I think at po- in poker rooms, those get forgiven too often where people have an altercation and then someone threatens 
physical harm against someone else. Because I think that's even worse than being called a slur. I, I, th- I think that's much worse. It may not be as politically incorrect. And I'm not, I'm not saying, like, in response to something else that someone says it's equal, or, uh, or, or you know, let's say someone calls you the N-word and then you respond back with a physical threat. Well, okay, you can say that uh, the guy responding back with a physical threat then because he was antagonized with with the racial slur first, then you, you, you can forgive that or give him a warning. But I'm saying just something out of nowhere where two people are arguing and someone threatens someone else physically, I think that should be dealt with equivalent harshness. I think that should be an automatic disqualification as well. And a lot of times it isn't. A lot of times it's a warning. Now, something that's uh, less than a threat, like, uh, like hey, let's go outside and settle this, that's not as bad. That's That's asking someone if they want to go outside and fight you where you can just decline but but someone actually saying like hey if i see you out there i'm going to i'm going to you know beat you to a pulp whatever it is uh if that sort of thing is said there then i i think that should result in disqualification as well and often it doesn't and and the reason i'm bringing this up is because if we're going to advocate for something that with a harsh punishment for using any kind of bigoted slur then you have to revisit other very bad behaviors at the poker table and disqualify for those too. We, you, you can't just pick one thing that's offensive and, and disqualify for that. Now, definitely the optics are the worst when someone does something like that, and that's, I think, also why the World Series of Poker felt that they had to disqualify the guy. It was because if they didn't, especially with Maurice making a big deal about it, uh, they would look very bad, that they're tolerating this, they're letting the guy say that and then come right back and play the World Series, and, and they're like, what if he won? What if this guy ended up being the winner after having done that? That would look terrible for the World Series of Poker. So it's safer for them to just disqualify him. Because, like, like how many people are going to come out and say, oh, you know, this guy who dropped the N-bomb at the table to a black guy, um, that, that's too bad. You know, you, they shouldn't have disqualified him. He seems like a nice guy. Like, like hardly anyone's going to defend him. So it's much easier to just go harsh on him and say, all right, you're disqualified because very few people are going to stand up for him and say, no, 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 you know, you, you, you did him wrong here. Even those that think he was a little bit too harsh probably won't say it because they know he's guilty of what he said. So it was much safer for Caesars to disqualify him, and I'm sure they knew that too. Uh, but I, I would still, if I were the tournament director, I would still try to figure out what the context was and go from there. If the context really was racism, then yes, fine, disqualify him. I, mean, I agree that it has no place at the poker table. I, I agree there should not be uh, racial slurs used at the poker table. I, I agree with that. I agree people should be able to play without dealing with that. So, I'm just wondering how far will they go with disqualifications with other things that are not race-related? Or are they just being politically correct here and being very harsh with that, but uh, letting other really terrible behavior go without... Uh, Appropriate punishment. And the worst kind of behavior is something that's directed at other players. So like when there was that disqualification and and banning last year for Jared Blesnick for basically throwing a tantrum after he was busted out of an event and tearing up cards and crumpling up cards and acting like a jerk, like, he didn't directly do anything bad to other players at the table. He was just making a big scene, and they were tired of him acting this way 
because I guess he had done it before. He got back in because Helmuth went to bat for him, but putting that aside, um, that stuff is less offensive than when someone directly goes after someone else with something, whether it's a racial slur or a threat or whatever. So, Anyway, that's who it is, though. Adrian Love and Soren. I wonder if he can enter other events this year. There aren't many left, but could he? I don't know. Or has he been banned from the World Series entirely? I don't think they'd have to ban him from the whole thing this year, and maybe indefinitely. Yeah. I think that'd be safest for them. This is what... Uh, and just the right thing to do. Now, this is what a European on the forum wrote. Uh, this is Gimmick, who's uh, from Europe. He wrote... He's not from Italy, though. I, I, I won't say where he is, because I don't know if he makes that public, but he's not from Italy. But he wrote, uh, Most of Europe considers the N-word a slur. I think most of them have even their own variants that are very similar. Uh, for Italy, that might be Negro or Negora, or Negra, or Negra, I guess it would be. The, the word for black is narrow. For Spain in, and Portugal, it's a bit different since their word for black is Negro. Uh, guess, guessing it depends mostly on if, used, if, if it's used to refer to the race or just the color black. Uh, the Germanic base for color black is something close to Schwarz, so anything sounding like, like uh, the N-word is considered offensive. For S- Scandinavians, it's Svart and Neger, N-E-G-E-R. Uh, uh, for Finns, Musta and Nikeri. And sometimes the common slur for blacks is like a variation of, of your blackie, like Svarting for Swedes. Uh, Finns will say uh, Mustelanian. Uh, uh, Finns referring to gypsies say Mustelanian since they were the blackest people Finns were in regular contact with before the 90s. <laughs> so that was the black people to, 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 to Finland were the, the gypsies. That's funny. So he's saying they all have little slurs over there. But maybe if, if you know if these words are used all the time in these countries, it's not seen as big of a deal. I don't, I'm still not convinced that this guy just said that, meaning that. It's just such a weird thing to just say out of nowhere in a tournament that you pay $10,000 to enter. Right, but wasn't what he was saying gimmick that he should know better? I mean, he was definitely knew what it meant. Because yeah, there were other words to use. He said most of Europe considers that a slur, yes. So, I don't know. It's a, it's a weird thing. I, I'm i not defending him. I'm, I'm also not quite condemning him that, that he was meaning to say something like that. It's a, I'm kind of in the middle on this one where I'm not sure what the guy meant. It's just such a weird thing to say out of nowhere. It's just really weird. So... Uh, Here's a little update, by the way. This is what China Maniac wrote. This has nothing to do with the uh, what we were just talking about, but this is something I want to update everybody on. You all remember the JSIP scam and how Poker Fraudler tracked down JSIP years later and pressured him to pay things back with threat of letting everyone in his life know what a scammer he was, <laughs> which, which is a very valid threat because it's the truth. So... This is what China Maniac wrote. He said, Jason paid it all back. It took five years and, and seven months, but he paid it all back. Thanks to Drexel mostly for his efforts on this and also a bunch of other members that helped. I would mention them by name, but, but there's too many to count. Anyone who's owed money 
that responded to PMs etc. were paid back. I would guess that was over 90%. Some people vanished from the forum and never responded to PMs, etc. Any extra money that was left over was put into various free rolls or donated to other causes. I guess that he paid back over 10k when it was all said and done. The only money that was not collected was the 4k or whatever that he sticked, stiffed Pikachu for. Pikachu is free, free to collect his debt if he wishes. We tried to help Pikachu, but... Uh, with this, but he was terrible at communicating, so I guess he really didn't care about it unless he's dealing with it on his own. So, having witnessed this whole process and been in communication with China Maniac and uh, Drexel about it, they did a great job. And this is one of the few cases in poker where a scammer is is tracked down and pressured and forced to pay. So, that was great. It's a happy ending, and, and uh, it was a lot of work for those that uh, did this. You know, Chinese Maniac, Brandon, they, they put a lot of work into this, and uh, not for any personal gain, just to get it made right. I mean, Brandon was owed uh, some of the money, but n- not not in comparison to how much work he put in for this. So uh, very good that they both uh, you know did so much here and that a lot of other people contributed to help and that uh, the forum came together and didn't just shrug their shoulders and said, oh, we got screwed, but okay, that's life. You know, they they did something about it. That's always a happy ending. And uh, I'm not going to excuse anything Jacep did, but, it, you know, at least he paid back. There's some scammers that just would never pay. So, at least, you know, now it's true Jacep did this out of fear of it affecting his current life, so I'm not going to give him that much credit, but he did pay back. So, uh, again, it wasn't voluntary. He didn't just show up and say, hey, here's money for people, but... Uh, People did track him down, and he realized it was the best thing for all that he start doing that, and he made monthly payments, which took a long time, but it all added up. So, that's good news. So, uh, if you did, he just make the final payment, Truff? Is that where that came from? I'm not sure if he just made it or if uh, China Maniac just decided that at this point it's done. I, I thought it was already done, but China Maniac just posted it, so I, maybe some one other payment was made or something that uh, I didn't know about. I, they, they were managing the whole thing. I was a, I was not that much involved in the process. So them, that's amazing. Yeah, that is very good. So if you play the main event. Something that is probably your dream scenario is sitting down, looking and seeing pocket aces, raising, and somebody re-raises you, and you re-raise them, and they re-raise you, and you go all in, and they call. It's probably your dream scenario, unless they had the other aces. But provided they don't have the other aces against any other hand, isn't that exactly what you want in the first hand? Where you have a pretty high chance at starting with double your stack after just one hand in a very deep event like the main? I know I would love that. Now the best scenario would have that happen and then the other guy has ace king, because you have like you're like a nineteen to one favorite to win the hand at that point. Trader Risky, do you know what the hand that plays best all-in pre-flop against aces? The worst is ace-king. What do you think the best one is? Um, it's not any other pair? 
It's not a pair. I'll give you that hint. So I'd say nine ten suited. You're close. It is six seven suited. It's the best hand to have against aces. And a, a different suit than the aces. Six seven, a different suit than the aces, obviously. Oh right, I was thinking eight nine. Right, right, because right, ten nine ten, the kings. Oh, no, right, yeah, okay. Why would it that be different? Why wouldn't it be because of the straights? No, I know, but nine ten, the aces aren't affecting the straights. Same as six seven, no. Um, because if there's a a two three four five, the six seven beats it. That's why. Okay. Oh, I see. Okay. Oh, I see. So, Got it. so the the yeah. um, I'll, I'll put. So, I'm looking at the poker calculator here. Pocket aces against six seven suited of a different suit than the aces is a 76.81% chance to win, 22.87 for the 6-7 to win, and then 0.32% of a tie. If I change the 6-7 to uh, 9-10 suited, it's a tiny bit worse. It's a tiny bit worse, 22.61. And let's see, 6-8. 7-8. Oh, 7-8 is the same as 6-7. So, I'm surprised it's oh no, but but tie is a uh, tie is a little bit down. Yeah, so tie is a little bit down. The, the win is the same. The tie is down. And uh, let's see, let's see five six, five six. Looks like five six and six seven are the same thing because because of that thing with the straight and so so anyway, the five six or six seven suited are the best two to have. Doesn't feel like it, but those are the best two to have here against aces. Ace king is the worst, but kings is still pretty good to be up against if you have aces. With kings, you are a 82.36% chance to win and against a 17.09% chance uh, to lose for kings of a difference. Uh, so that's exactly what happened. Max Steinberg had aces and an opponent, probably a recreational player, got it all in with kings pre-flop on the first hand. And at the main event, you have to know how to fold kings pre-flop early in the event because it's so deep at that point. It's super deep at that point. I, I believe you're playing, uh, I think the blinds are 5,100. So everybody's super deep, and you, you do not get in with kings against aces pre-flop because the only hand that's going to get in with you probably is aces unless you're against somebody who just shoots off with ace-king when they shouldn't. Uh, I folded kings pre-flop a few years ago in the main event. I think it was three years ago. Where is day one? I raised, and someone th- three bet, another person four bet, and then another person five bet. And it came back to me with my kings, and I let him go. And everybody else folded too. The guy who five bet was a the guy who was like in his fifties, who I hadn't seen get out of line in the time we'd been playing together. This is the only time he did anything like that. So, and he did it, he did it without much hesitation either. He didn't he didn't have the look of someone. He was an amateur also. He didn't have the look of someone who's like concerned should he do it with his hand. It just seemed like automatic. Like he's got aces and so confident. So I laid it down. Anyway, uh, this person didn't lay it down. And then, what do you know? 
on the flop, a king. Yep. And it did not improve for Max Steinberg, and he was out after hand number one in the main event with pocket aces all in preflop. So this was not a case where the king flopped and Steinberg couldn't get away from it. This was all in preflop. That's pretty ugly. That is pretty ugly. So, uh, Steinberg said he hoped that uh, he would be well known for something he did in the main event, but he didn't picture this. When he went into the main event, he pictured that uh, if if he was going to have a lot of publicity, it was going to be because he won it or made the final table, not not because he was out on hand number one. So that was uh, unfortunate for him, especially since he got it in so well. I swear, I feel like that would happen to me. I feel like in that scenario, I feel like that would be me who'd get you know, hit with a king there on the flop. Uh, pretty ugly. This is exactly what he wrote. Well, this is a first. AA on the first hand of the main. Get it all in KK versus KK. K in the window. Two players said they folded the other aces. <laughs> so he had no hope. He didn't even have I mean, any. For him, because he's a pretty successful tournament player. Yeah, right? and, he, and he has a bracelet. Yeah. So, I mean, I know you want to obviously, you know, to, you know, when it's, if he three bets it and the other guy four bets it, he has aces, so he's got to probably put them on kings. Should he just call the fourth bet and see the flop and make sure it's not a king there? Because he has, because he probably has a big advantage in the tournament, and why risk it? Yeah, the the only problem is, though, if you flop the ace, then you're not going to get action anymore. That's the problem. Yeah, no, I hear you, but it's like, does he, but it's right, but you'd want to risk your tournament life. I I would do it for for 82% 82 to start off with the, if if this is like the only main event I could ever play in my life, then then maybe no, but uh, if you can always come back next year, there's other tournaments you can play too. And if you have an 82% chance of doubling your stack on the first hand, you take it. It's not like 50-50 or 60 It's 82%. That's a pretty high chance to come in with you know, double your stack. That's a nice advantage to have. So uh, Anyway, that, that was on day 1A, by the way. That was... Uh, he was the very first person to bust in the whole event. The person that's so sick. The person who beat him was Michael Rack, who I've never heard of before, which doesn't surprise me. Michael Rack. Let's see if he has any tournament winnings. No, I I, I can't even find him anywhere except for reports about this. Oh, no, he is in there. Let me see if he's on the Hendon Mob yet. So he has. He's from Memphis, Tennessee. And he has some very limited results, mostly three-figure caches. So he mostly plays small events. In fact, he's never even entered an event with a buy-in, or he never cashed an event with a buyer a buy-in higher than eight hundred dollars prior to the main. So this is a much uh, lower limit player, and probably what happens since he's used to playing lower 
events. In fact, he was playing the Daily Deep Stacks for $235 at the Rio last year at the same time the main event was going. He's probably used to having to put it in with Kings. Though you'd think at the Deep Stacks he'd at least be used to not doing that at the, on the first level. But maybe he's just one of these guys who just can't bring himself to fold Kings. Some people have a very hard time folding kings. They just they just feel weird about it. They just they start getting their head, okay, what if it's ace king against me? What if it's queens against me and they can't lay it down? They just they just feel like if they fold kings they're gonna regret it. Well, there's probably too the image he has at the table. He probably thinks like these guys are trying to take advantage of him. Though, though there was no image yet at the first hand. The first hand no, of the I event. know, but just him. Is it, what? How old is he? Yeah, I, I don't know. I I've, get the impression. I, I haven't seen a picture of him, but yeah, I mean, it's it's possible he could think that someone's uh, trying to take advantage. But yeah, it it could be that he just thinking, okay, there's so many ways. You know, what if they've got the other kings? What if they've got queens? What if they've got ace king and can't lay it down? You know, I, I, so there's only one hand that can beat me. Okay, I've got to do it. If he's got aces, he's got aces. Like it's probably something like that. So. Uh, or he could have been saying, I'll just flop the king. Now, here's what I, I'm going to take a look at. Here's what I'm going to take a look at. I want to see if Michael Rack made day two. Let me see here. So I'm going to look at... Uh, let's see here. Day eight. Okay, so... Look at, I'm going to look at the two days. Wait, so he played day one. So I don't have to look at C because he played A. Okay, so I'm going to go to day two A, B, counts by chips. Now, see, now th- this is the problem. They, they just changed it to the day three information, I think. Yeah, they did. He definitely didn't make day three. But let me see if he made... Uh, see if I can find... Day two. See if he made day two. No, he didn't make day two. So he started out with a hundred thousand chips, but didn't make day two. Which you know that can happen. I mean, I had seventy nine k in chips. I almost didn't make day two. But yeah, he almost didn't make day two. I mean, he didn't make day two. Let's see how the guy did who busted Vanessa Selbst. Uh, now to get his name again. Oh, it was Honer, right? Well, he didn't make day two either. Am I looking at the wrong thing? I think he didn't make day two either, which would be crazy. Let me see. Maybe it was flight B. No, he didn't make day two either. What the heck? What the heck? Yeah. 159,000 in chips and he didn't make day two. That uh, honer guy who busted uh, Vanessa Selbst. I have to wonder if he's a guy who couldn't lay down a hand <laughs> because he called off all those shifts with Ace Queen. I thought he did that because it was of self's image, but maybe he just has a hard time laying down a hand and he just ran into big hands. 
That's something you got to learn to do in the main event if you're going to get far. In this deep event, you can't just call off with good but not great hands and big pots or you're going to get destroyed. Now that's interesting. I would have thought he would have made day two. All right, so... i move on here to another topic. Not much more to say about aces against kings and aces losing other than unlucky. So this is probably going to be a first. The World Series of Poker is about to finish without a double bracelet winner for the first time since 1999. So every year from 2000 to 2017, they had at least one person who won two bracelets. But this year it has not happened yet. And we're almost at the end. So this year there were a few that came close. I know Sean Deeb had a first and a second. I know Scott Bowman, who used to actually be part of Never Win Poker, he had a first and a second. But uh, nobody had two firsts this year. And there's only the main and a few other events after the main that are remaining. So it's still possible, but uh, not all that likely. The last time it happened was in the year 1999, as I mentioned. And let's see here. I'm trying to find... I, I had an article about this, but I lost it somehow. Let me see if I can get this back here. Ah. <sighs> I, I had this article up, and it's just I can't find it now. I actually prepared this. I'm not I'm not producing the show during the show this time. I actually had it up. Okay, I found it again. So, since 2000, here's a list of who won more than one bracelet in one year. In 2000, Chris Ferguson did, including the main event. In 2001... Scotty Wynn and Nani Dollison. Never heard of Nani Dollison. In 2002, Phil Ivey won three bracelets in one year. And then Lane Flack also won two. That's where he got the nickname Back-to-Back Flack. 2003, Chris Ferguson did it again with two bracelets. Then Men, the Mastered Wynn, Phil Helmuth, John Juwanda, Johnny Chan, and Lane Flack. They all won two bracelets in that year. 2004. And that was... the That was... uh, just before the poker boom really got going. That's when they had poker on TV, but Moneymaker had not won yet. He won that year. 2004, the first year of the poker boom, or the first year of the World Series after the poker boom, that is. Uh, Ted Forrest won twice, and so did Scott Fishman. 2005, Mark Safe, who was complicit in the whole absolute poker, whole-carding, super-using scandal. Complicit meaning that at the very least uh, he tried to cover it up by claiming that the evidence he saw didn't convince him, which I called him out publicly for. Uh, He won two bracelets that year. He was the only one to do it in 2005, but close to winning two bracelets in 2005 was a young man, well, not that young, but a 33-year-old man who got a first place in $3,000 limit hold'em and a third place in $1,500 limit hold'em, known as Todd Wittellis. But he didn't quite do it. 
First and third for me. 2006, Bill Chen won twice, as did Jeff Madsen, who was only 21 years old. Madsen actually had a huge year getting two firsts and two thirds that year. Tom Schneider did it in 2007. John Fan did it in 2008. In 2009, Jeff Lissandro scored three bracelets, and then two bracelets were won by Brock Parker, Greg Mueller, and Phil Ivey. 2010, it was Frank Casella. 2011, Brian Rast did it. 2012, Greg Merson won two bracelets, including the main event. 2013, Tom Schneider did it again. He also did it in 2007. 2014, George Danzer managed to do this and also got uh, very deep in the main event. Uh, he may have finished second or third in the main. He was he got very far in the main, too. Uh, 2015, Max Pescatori and Brian Hastings both did it. In 2016, Ian Johns, Jason Mercier, and Benny Glazer did it. That's when there was a controversy with Jason Mercier and Vanessa Selbst, where uh, he had a bet with her that he would win three bracelets at very long odds, where he would have won like two million bucks off her against ten thousand, and he started off winning two bracelets right away, and she got very nervous. Uh, she ended up buying out at some point, and then he didn't win the third one anyway. In two thousand seventeen, David Bach and Nipun Java both won two bracelets, and two thousand eighteen has not happened. Now we're only talking about the main World Series of Poker, not the WSOP Europe. Why is that this year? Uh, just randomness. It just hasn't happened. It was close. You know, Sean Deeb almost did it. Scott Bowman almost did it. It just, it just didn't quite happen. So just, just an anomaly of statistics. I actually would think it's easier to do now in some ways because there's a lot of these 10K events with small fields. But then again, in the past, especially the past prior to 2003, there were a lot of smaller fields in general. So I think it was even easier back then. So that is interesting that nobody has done that this year. There's been some people who've had great World Series, like John Hannigan has had a very, very strong World Series. And there's been some others who've just repeatedly gotten very deep this year. But anyone who's won a bracelet has not won a bracelet at any other event this year. So far. Let's see, is there any other World Series of Poker topic? Oh, yeah. Uh, I will give Caesars props for one thing. They're very good at marketing the World Series of Poker. With everything they do wrong, this is one thing they do right. In that with poker shrinking each year in popularity, which it is, somehow the World Series of Poker remains very strong and keeps growing. Now, there was some concern at the beginning when certain events like the Colossus were down significantly in participation. And there was some belief that maybe the World Series of Poker is finally starting to, I wouldn't say struggle, but uh, decline slowly. But I, I didn't really keep track of the numbers as the World Series wore on. I did notice the events that I played were generally around the same field size, like very, very close to last year's size. So to me, it looked like it was 
about the same, didn't grow, didn't shrink, which which is an accomplishment because uh, poker is shrinking. So if you can stay the same while poker shrinks, then you've done a good job. But the main event is up even more. It went up last year to be the third biggest main event, only behind about 7,200 something people last year, only behind 2006 where Jamie Gold won, where it had 8,700 people, many of whom qualified online back when that was easy to do before uh, the UIGEA was passed. And then uh, right after that, then they lost a lot of main event entrants and it stayed down for a while. Uh, not way down, but it was you know it was down in the 6,000s range. Uh, it did hit a small peak, secondary peak, in 2010 when 7,319 people entered. That was the year I got 88th. And this year, even bigger than 2010. 7,874 people entered the second biggest main event field ever and the second biggest... Um, I guess it's not the second biggest field non-main event because it... Uh, the Colossus and other ones have had bigger fields. As far as unique entries, I don't know what's the biggest because uh, Colossus has a lot of re-entries. It probably still was bigger, but you can't really compare that. It's so much of a lower buy-in. But uh, the main event, second biggest one ever, only second to 2006, 78, 74 entries. One of them mine. So main event doing better than ever, aside from 2006. In fact, I think if it keeps at this rate, then... Uh, I know if it keep it if it keeps at this rate, then it's going to pass it. Uh, whether if this keeps up, I don't know, but it, it does seem on the way. They they added about six hundred people this year, so you know possibly in a few years we'll exceed eighty seven hundred, which I never thought I'd see again. So why does this do so well? Why is the main event bringing so many people out? Why why is the World Series in general at least holding about the same? number of participants in the preliminary events for the most part, aside from Colossus? And and why is the main growing if poker's shrinking? And I, I think it could be a few factors. Uh, number one, I think the economy uh, improving is helping. Definitely the economy uh, crashing in 2008 hurt all forms of gambling, including poker. Uh... I also think they've they've done a good job marketing internationally. I think in general the World Series is just very well marketed. That they really do the, do a great job with marketing it and making it very appealing for people to travel from all over the world to attempt to, to win the big prizes and the prestige of a World Series of Poker bracelet. And it seems like the World Series of Poker bracelet is the most coveted trophy, so to speak, in poker. Even with all the other poker tournaments out there, that the World Series of Poker bracelet is what a lot of poker players really, really strive to win, at least the ones who play tournaments. And you ask a lot of them who are playing, and you know, they're very excited about the big money on top, but then they also say how excited they are to actually win the bracelet. So they, they've done a very good job making the bracelet something people strive for. Something that people dream about, something that people really want to win. So whatever they're doing, they're doing right. But that doesn't surprise me because 
I've noticed in all my years of dealing with Harris and now Caesars that marketing has always been one of their strong suits. That's that's basically what's kept them going. That's the one thing they haven't really screwed up. They've they, they you know they invented the total rewards program, which has been imitated by so many other casinos now. And in general, they've they've done a very good job marketing and convincing people to come down to their casinos and play. And with the World Series of Poker, they've done a great job convincing people to play there. So I'm not one of these people who would say, oh, if I was in charge of marketing, I could get even more people. No, I I don't think I could. (laughs) I think they're doing a great job. I think they're doing a way better job marketing it than I could do. I think operations-wise, I could do a lot better with certain things. In fact, I know I could. But marketing-wise, they've done a superb job. And anyone who would question that, answer, how are they growing the main event with a $10,000 buy-in? How are they keeping most of the other events at about the same level when poker is contracting so quickly? I shouldn't say quickly, but it's, it's noticeably contracting each year. And yet the World Series of Poker isn't. Why is that? They're tapping into the whole Italian racist community. <laughs> yeah, that's, maybe that's what it is. Maybe, the, maybe, maybe they're... Uh, Maybe they're running ads over there about... Yeah, uh, they're in the alt-right uh, newsletter. <laughs> the alt-right Italian newsletter. Yeah, that's a, I, I don't know what they're doing, but the, the, they're, they're appealing to all walks of life, apparently. Even the Italian racists. You know, you know what's funny with the World Series of Poker is that... Okay, so they've been at it at the Rio since 2005. And... There are some things they keep tweaking every year that they got wrong before that they make better. So the majority of the the tournaments themselves run very well now, where they didn't always in the past. But now, uh, for the most part, you know these massive field tournaments they they run without any kind of major flaws. They've gotten a lot better at, at preventing the gigantic payout lines. You know, they're inevitable in things like the Colossus, where a lot of people bust at once. I understand that, but they, you know, they've improved that situation. Uh, they, they've improved the registration situation, except they kind of ruined it a little bit for the Diamond people. Uh, but a lot of the fail before is gone, and it is not easy to run giant tournaments of that size. In some cases, uh, some of these tournaments are, 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 you know, several are running at once and do it as smoothly as they do now. Now they, they kind of learned on the job over the years. They didn't start off this way, but uh, now a lot of this is done pretty well. So I give them credit for that. I just, I'm just left scratching my head at some of the stupid things they still do. And some of the things where you just ask yourself, why? Uh, they're good with coming up with new innovative events to make it so it's not really stale to where people have new things to try, new events to play, uh, new little gimmicks. So I give them credit for that, but I, I like just, I know this is related to TV, but still, to, to have a 325 dinner break for the main event and only give 60 minutes and, and still not keeping late night food options open except for that crappy sports deli and, 
you know, not, still not. You know, last year, having most of the bathrooms out of order was a disaster, and, and making excuses for it. And, and la- you know, last year trying to uh, force you to register with an email in order to view updates on the tournaments, like just weird things like that that get done. I just, what are they thinking? It's so strange because there's some tough things they do well, and then some easy things they screw up badly. And I know you can't be perfect. I know if I was running it, I'd probably screw up some things too. But some of these things are, are so simple that there's no way if I were running it, I'd screw them up. And and when it, when they're brought to their attention, they don't fix them a lot of times. Or they don't fix them at least until the following year. And then like the playing card problem, especially last year where they were getting junky cards. They, they have to prevent things like that. They, they have to avoid mistakes like that. But marketing-wise, they've done a fine job. I, no criticism from me for the marketing. Brandon, where are you? You still here? I mean, let me text him. I don't know what, what's that. He, I, he couldn't have fallen asleep. I don't think so. Oh, Calwatt woke up at uh, about 15 minutes ago. He he can come on if he if he's listening. Calwatt can come on. Um, I don't know if he's still up. He said just woke up, but he may have just gone to the bathroom. <laughs> he's probably not ready to get on right now. I'm going to text Brandon and ask where 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 he is. He didn't hang up on us. He's still here, but he's just not here. It's weird. All right. Uh, I'm done with the main event and World Series topics in general. No more. I've talked about this enough. Uh, I want to talk about the player's card fiasco I had at a downtown property that I'm not going to name. But uh, since I'm going to be losing my seven stars on February 1st, 2019... I've been uh, sampling other properties, so to speak, to uh, you know play some video poker and see what kind of comps I get. And I, I've been doing it all over, including downtown. So one particular property downtown, I got a new card. It's one I've never played at before, and I signed up for their players club. They gave me a card, and I, I asked just before I walked away, I said, hey, can you give me two extras? Because, you know, sometimes I'll lose the cards or whatever. I wanted to have three of them. Sometimes one of the cards will go bad. So it, to not have to go hassle with that, I just wanted two extra cards. Why not? So she said, okay. She printed the two extra cards. So I walked away with three cards in my pocket, all identical, you know, all my card to go put in the machine. I go over to a video poker machine, and uh, I ran some play there for – about uh, four hours or something. I was doing it for a while. I stopped at about 9 p.m. This is on July 4th. I stopped at 9 p.m. to go outside and see the fireworks, which didn't exist. There's there's no fireworks downtown. There should be, but there's not. I'm going to say something. Finding information on fireworks displays, like anywhere, is very hard. In Vegas, it's hard. In L.A., it's hard. Like There's very few articles that are accurately giving you a list of fireworks in the area. It's, it's very tough to find unless you already know what's there. So in Vegas, like I, I couldn't find, at least on my phone, any kind of like 
definitive article about what fireworks were going off in Vegas in, uh, on July 4th. So there were a lot of people out there like waiting for them, but they never came. So I stayed there for like 25 minutes, and I almost saw a fight out there, but other than that, there were no fireworks. So I went back in, and I had earned uh, 2,765 points on my card, which is worth uh, $27 in comps, which could either be used for comps on property or free play. Uh, but but the bigger thing, and the bigger thing I was going for there, was I wanted to see what they would offer me after I ran this play. I wanted to, you know, within a month or two they send they send you offers in the mail or by email, and then you know you see what what comps you get from this type of play. So I, I wanted to see. So I put my card in. I said, "Hello, Todd. You have zero points." I said, "What? How's that possible? How how could I possibly?" have played all this time and had zero point zero points. How's that possible? And I watched them count up. I, I, I saw it said I had 2765. I even pulled the card out and put it back in before I walked away to watch the fireworks that didn't exist. And it said I had 2765 points. So how come when I came back there 25 minutes later and put my card in, it said I had zero points. And I said, well, maybe they mean zero points this session i was like i searched all the way through their system it still said zero 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 i couldn't figure it out i was about to go walk to the players club and ask him what the hell's going on and then i had a thought what if what if i was somehow playing on the wrong card what if the three cards they gave me weren't identical and i pulled out my three cards and i came to a very, very disturbing discovery. Two of them were Todd Wittellis, ending with the numbers 792, and one of them was Alicia Lopez, ending with 793. And I took the Alicia Lopez card, and I put it in the machine. Welcome, Alicia. You have... 2765 comp points. That was not good. Not only did Alicia have 2765—that is $27.65 of comps that I had earned, but the bigger problem was that she would be getting credit for all my play and receiving offers worth far more than $27 in the mail. And I would not. So, of course, the right thing to do at that point is to go to the Players Club and tell them what happened and have them fix this. But knowing casinos and how difficult they can be, I thought this may not be all that easy. So I went to the Players Club, and the woman was there who handed me those cards. And I said, hey, you know, you know do you remember that I gave you, uh, that I asked you to give me two extra Players Club cards when I signed up here at the end? Um, well, when you gave me two extra cards, uh, one of them must have been somebody else's because I got this card for Alicia Lopez, and you'll see her card number is one above mine. So somehow that must have accidentally printed, and I got one of hers, and I accidentally inserted hers. And she said to me, well, this wasn't my fault. You only asked for one extra card, which I gave you. I gave you two cards total, not three. (laughs) 
I said, no, 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 no. That's not true. I asked for two extra cards. You can check the cameras here. You'll see you handed me one first. Then I asked you for two more, and you gave me two more. And I said, furthermore, what are the chances, if, if you say I got this myself somehow, what are the chances of all cards in the casino for me to have accidentally picked up that I would have picked up someone's card who is exactly one away from me sequentially in card number? So she says, well, I don't know, but I only gave you two. So we're arguing about that back and forth. And I said, well, look, forget that. What can you do to fix it? So she's, I don't know. I, you know, There's probably nothing we can do. So I was like, no, no, that's not a good enough answer. So I asked for her manager. She called down a supervisor. The supervisor at first, it seemed kind of promising. She said, well, um, so first I suggested, can you just move my name over to Alicia's account. They, they verified to me that Alicia Lopez had not played anything. That the only play they saw on there was that one machine from me. So that uh, she hadn't played it all. So I said, okay, since she hasn't played it all, can you just transfer my name over to her account? They said, no, we can't. That would be a gaming violation, meaning a violation of state law. So I said, okay, fine, maybe it is. Can you at least copy my play or transfer the play over to my account. She said, yes, we can. That's what we're going to do. So we're going to transfer over your 2765 comp points, and we're also going to transfer over your play. I said, so you're going to, you're going to transfer it over so I get the offers, right? She said, yeah, that's what I'm going to do. I said, you can do that? She said, yep. I said, you're sure? Yep, we can do it. I said, okay, good, good. So this is going to be solved. So um, can you do that here? She says, um, yes. Uh, and this is about, I think, uh, 930 when I was talking to her about this. She said, yes, I, I can do this. Um, check back at 3 a.m. <laughs> and I said, no, 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 wait a minute. Why, why 3 a.m.? Just do it now. And she says, no, no, um, I've got higher priority things to do right now. Um, I'll get to it before 3, though, I promise. And I said, no, this is insane. This is You guys screwed this up. You guys gave me the wrong card. Clearly... Uh, yeah, this wasn't something I just found around somewhere. She's well, I don't know that you, you know, I, you could have just accidentally picked up that card sitting on the machine. I go, no. What's the chance of me picking up a card at the machine accidentally that is one sequentially ahead of mine? Furthermore, you can check the cameras and you'll see that there were no females anywhere near any of the machines I was playing the entire time, which is true. There were no females at all anywhere around where I was playing the entire time I was playing. So there's, a, so, so there's no chance. So she wouldn't even own up to the fact that, that her employee had done this, that she still was saying you know, it was probably my fault. But she says, look, I'm saying I'm going to do it for you. You just got to wait till 3 a.m. because I've got other things I have to do here. I said, but why isn't this a priority? I said, I, said, I want to keep playing here, but I, I don't feel comfortable playing until I can see in front of my face this is fixed. And she says, well, that's up to you, but you know I have things to do. I, you know, I'll, I'll get this done today. If you're not happy with that, you can you can try to go with, go to someone else to see if they'll fix it for you. I said, but why is this not a priority? She says, well, oh, it is a priority. I said, I said, but you just told me it's not. She said, no, just these other things are a higher priority, but yours is still a priority. Like she doesn't know what priority means. Then, if if, if there's three things to do, and mine's the third most important, then mine is not priority, unless you want to call it least priority. So, so then I said to her, well, no, this is not priority. It sounds like you're going to squeeze this in whenever you can, but you're going to do other things. I said, if there's something super urgent, then fine. But I, I, to me, it just seems like uh, you just don't feel like doing this until later. So she says, 
well, sir, this is a big process. You don't understand. Uh, this can't be done in five minutes. I said, no, I'm not asking for it to be done in five minutes. Whatever time it actually takes to fix, I'm perfectly fine with waiting. So if this whole thing takes an hour to fix, then go ahead and uh, you know take the hour to do it, and I'll wait an hour. That's fine. I just want you to start on this now. Just start working on it, and however long it actually takes, it'll take. I'm sorry, sir. All I can do is promise 3 a.m. So I, I feel like I'm tearing my hair out. So I go, okay. The other problem was like, I I can't even count on it. I'm not going to stick around till 3 a.m. I can't count on it's going to happen. I'm not going to be downtown for a while. I won't be able to even know. So I wanted to have it fixed right there and then, or at least at least for you know within a short period of time. I'd go somewhere else for a little bit and come back um, and see it fixed. I didn't want to wait till next time I come back downtown to see if they actually fixed it and then deal with it you know days or weeks later. So, I asked for her manager, and she told me that would be the casino manager who is over at the pits. So I went to the pits and found the casino manager pretty quickly. I explained it to him, and it started out as a very good conversation. He agreed that it was insane that they were trying to blame it on me. He said, you know, he agreed that with Alicia Lopez's card being one higher than mine that the chance of me randomly picking it up somewhere and accidentally playing on it sounds like it's zero. And I said, exactly. So why are they blaming me? He said, they shouldn't be doing that. I'm going to talk to them about this. That's, that's crazy. They shouldn't be saying that to you. I fully believe it was their mistake, he told me. So I said, good, good, good. So we're, you know, we're off to a good start here. He knows this wasn't my fault in any way. Also, they told me at the desk before that it was my fault for not checking the name on the card. I'm like, why should I be checking the name on the card? You gave it to me. I should, I'm going to in the future after this, but... So he agreed that also wasn't my responsibility. That this was all their fault. He, he agreed. So I said, okay, well, so uh, how can we fix it? He said, well, let me tell you what I'm going to do here. Um, and he also agreed that you know the waiting till 3 a.m. was ridiculous, too. He told me that they shouldn't be doing that either. So he said, I'm going to go look into this. I'm going to get gather more information about this. And I'm going to come back in five minutes. And I'm going to tell you, you know, how we're going to handle this. So I said, okay, thank you very much. So he walked off. I waited. It probably took 10 to 15 minutes, not five. But he came back, and this is where it got weird. So he says, all right, I have good news for you here. So I have made them start the process immediately. And within about an hour, that 2765 points that uh, you earned on the other card will be on your card. In addition, for all your trouble here, we're going to give you 30, uh, we're going to give you 3,000 more points. So we're going to give you $30 free play for what happened here on top of the 2765. So, okay, thank you. Appreciate that. And, and by the way, I, I showed them I'm a seven star. I showed them that I'm a, I, I have a high status at another property. Um, so I, I was showing them this to make it seem like I'm a high roller that they you know they don't want to lose my business that I'm new here. So I, I, I approached it from that standpoint, and he knew all that. So th- this all seemed very good until the next thing he said. Well, the next the thing he said in response to me because. What he wasn't addressing still was the most important point, and that is what about the offers that Alicia Lopez is going to get instead of me? The offers based on the play. You know, come back in a month, come back in two months, and we'll give you this much free play, this much food. The, you know, these hotel stays. Like, like she's going to get that instead of me. So I, I asked him, okay, so what about the offers? And he goes, well, well, the, look here, you got back your twenty-seven sixty-five points, and you got the thirty dollars. So and I go, yeah, what about the offers? Uh, look, we fixed it for you, didn't we? He didn't want to talk about the offers. I'm like, oh, crap. 
I knew the offers were going to be the hardest part to fix. Because I don't know if they even have a mechanism to tell, since they can't, by law supposedly, I think I believe them, by law they can't just transfer her account to mine, Alicia Lopez, you know, so I don't know if they had a way in their system to tell their system, hey, um, I don't think they can manually enter my play into their system from the machines. They can do it from blackjack, but they can't do it from the machines. So, so that that I I just don't think there's a mechanism to do that. That's just my assumption. I'm not sure, but that's my assumption. So I had a feeling the offer thing was going to be tough because human beings don't generate the offers. The offers come from a computer. The computer looks at my video poker play and, and it decides based on my video poker play that I, I should be getting such and such offers. So I didn't know if the computer could be manually fed. Hey, Todd played this many hours at, at this level, put this much coin in and, um, you know, you know, so so consider that for his offers. I don't know if they have a way to make the offer computer function that way. So I asked him, and he just he was really trying to avoid discussing the offers. For some reason, he thought that just by telling me this that I'm, I got my points back and I got thirty you know thirty dollars worth of more points that I should be happy. And I, I keep saying no, this is not the most important thing. Yes, I wanted my twenty seven dollars. Yes, the thirty dollars you gave me is nice, but that's not what I'm worried about. The offers are much bigger than that. So I, I wasn't letting him avoid this. I just kept hammering him with my concern about the offer in a polite way. But but he he was not wanting to answer. He wasn't refusing to answer, but he kept trying to pass the buck. Oh, my boss is going to call you tomorrow. You know, I, I I made sure to call her up and, and bother her during his, her Fourth of July celebration with her family uh, to let her know this is important. And she promised she'll get back to you tomorrow, which, by the way, she didn't. She never called me. But uh, you know, she'll have all these answers for you. I said, okay, that's fine. If I have to wait till tomorrow to find out about the offers, that's fine. But uh, what can you tell me? Uh, so so from your knowledge, do you believe that this could be transferred over? He says, well, uh, it's actually a gaming violation for us to remove anything from the other account. I go, okay, that's fine. I don't care if Alicia gets my offers, but I also get my offers. If she gets duplicate offers to me, even though she didn't earn it, I don't care. That's between you and Alicia. But I don't want to lose my offers to her because it was my play. And by the way, I had lost like, I think I had lost uh, like $217 in the process of this. Not huge money, but I still lost. So he said, no, I understand that, but you have to understand it's a gaming violation to transfer the stuff over. I said, okay, but what about copying the stuff over? It couldn't be a gaming violation to basically give me the identical play on my account since it really was me playing, right? He says, well, actually it is. We can't copy it over either. That's also a gaming violation. And I said, wait a minute, how could it be a gaming violation? You can prove right now by checking the camera that all that play on Alicia's card was from me. And you have seen my ID to verify that I am who I say I am. So if you can verify that I am Todd Wattellis, that Todd Wattellis did this play that's on this other card, and that it was mistakenly put on that other card, how could there possibly be a gaming violation to put my actual play, my true and correct play, on my card for your records? How could that possibly be illegal? Even if it was originally on the wrong card on somebody else's name, if you have verified, and I have stated that it was my play, and you have verified that I am telling the truth, 
that it was my play, how could it possibly be against the law to put into your system that was my play? And I still think that's impossible to be against the law. I don't have the law in front of me, but I'd be shocked if that's against the law. But he was holding fast, telling me, sorry, it's a gaming violation, we can't do it. We can't do it. We can't transfer her play. Your, we can't transfer the play on her card to yours, and we can't copy the play from her card to yours to where you both have it. So, of course, this begged the question. I said, "You said that they're going to fix my offer situation, right?" He said, "Yes." Okay. So, if they can't transfer her play, which is really my play, and if they can't copy the play over to my card. What other possible way is there to fix this? How, how could it possibly be fixed if these two things cannot be done by the law? And he says to me, those are your words, not mine. <laughs> I said, no, 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 these are your words. You told me it's illegal. He said, yes, I did tell you that transferring is illegal and copying is illegal of the play. Yes, I told you that. I said, okay, so then that would make it impossible. He says, nope, that's your assumption. I'm not telling you that. (laughs) I said, but it doesn't make sense. How is there any other way? If you can't manually enter my play as an exact copy of her play, which is really mine, and if you can't move that play over to my card, that's the only two ways it can be done. (laughs) There's, There's no other way to fix it. Again, sir, that's you saying that, not me. It was the weirdest conversation. And I said, look, I'm not asking you to promise me anything. I know it's going to be up to your boss. But can you tell me like a hypothetical way this could even be done? I'm sorry, sir. I don't deal with hypotheticals. I deal with reality. (laughs) I I couldn't believe the conversation. We went back and forth and back and forth. And I tried in so many ways to get out of him how this could possibly be done. And he just wouldn't answer. He found every way to get around answering that question. And just kept telling me to wait for the phone call. So finally I gave up. I Finally I said, okay, well, I'm not playing again tonight. And to be honest, the offer thing is very important to me. If it can't be fixed, I'm never coming back here. If it can be fixed, then I will come back here. And you'll lose a high limit player. I'm just letting you know that. So he says, no, I understand. And we'll try to do what we can. So... I walked away, very frustrated, very irritated that the guy wouldn't be straight with me and was you know, avoiding talking about the offers and then telling me that any way to fix it is illegal. But then when I say, well, then how can you fix it? Then saying, well, those are your words, not mine. I, I hate that type of double talk. I hate the type of double talk. If you don't know the answer, just tell me I don't know. Just say, I don't know how we'll fix it. That'll be up to my boss. She, she might be able to find a way. I can't think of a way myself, but maybe she can't. Tell me that. Tell me the truth. Or tell me, no, we won't be able to fix your offers. It's regrettable, but there's no way to feed that into the computer. It sucks that this happened. Maybe we can look at some other way to uh, compensate you in a different way for it, you know, with a, you know, some kind of manual offers we do or some kind of manual free play we give you. But uh, you know, something, just don't tell me that uh, this weird stuff like these are your words, not mine. Uh, yeah. Just tell me honestly. Tell me something that makes logical sense. Don't tell me that you're going to do it, but then the only possible ways to do it are illegal. And then when I question that, just tell me those are your words, not mine. That's, that's stupid. And of course, she never called me either. You know, he bragged about how he interrupted her time with her kids, his manager, on 4th of July, 
and, and she took it so seriously and took time out of her evening to listen to him. But then when she actually is at work the next day, she doesn't call me. So I, I just went to go cash out. I, I grabbed, I, I walked over to the cash out uh, machine to feed my ticket. I had a ticket for $73 and change that I was going to feed into the machine to get my remaining money out and uh, leave. And I reached into my pocket. I found some papers in my pocket, but you know what was not in my pocket? Was the $73 cash out ticket. Through all of this, when I was pulling the stuff out of my pocket, these players' cards and other stuff I was pulling out to show them, I must have let the cash-out ticket fall out of my pocket somewhere. And it was gone. I walked back everywhere I was. It was gone. Someone else must have found it and said, oh, wow, a $73 cash-out ticket. And someone got a nice 4th of July bonus of $73 that they didn't earn. So uh, I also lost that $73. (laughs) that That was a lovely evening. So it's still not resolved to this day. I've never had that happen to me in my life where I played on somebody else's card accidentally. But look, Alicia Lopez, she's she's going to get something big. Yeah, you know, she's going to get some nice offers in the mail. So she, she didn't play. She signed up for a card, didn't play. So I can see in like two months she's going to get these offers. You know, come back downtown and uh, yeah, three hundred dollar free play. She go. Oh boy! Look, look, honey! I didn't play nothing. They gave me three hundred dollars to come back here. This is a great casino. She's gonna be so happy, Alicia. I'm gonna make Alicia's day. She doesn't even know it. She's gonna get all this free play. She's gonna not know where it came from. She's gonna tell her friends go down there and sign up for a players club card, and they're gonna send you all these great offers. <laughs> She's gonna have no idea. She signs up for a card, never plays, and get these great offers in the mail. And that's going to happen for sure, because they said it's a gaming violation to remove that play from her card. So she's going to get it. She is going to get offers. And I think that's why they are hesitating to help me, by the way, is because they know there's no way to stop her from getting these offers. And I think they don't want me getting the offers, too. I think like, I think part of them doesn't really want to give away that. I also think it's very hard to fix. I think it's a hard thing to fix, and I think they also know they're going to lose money because we're both going to get the offers and only one of us earned it. Even though the wrong person could be getting the offers, uh, I think they're thinking stupidly short-term and just feeling like, hey, you know, we, we don't want to give double offers for what happened here. So the stupid thing is Alicia, you know, they shouldn't want this because the person who didn't play getting the offers is just going to come in and run the free pay and leave. They, they should want the, the 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 high limit player to come back. But it's just typical casinos being short sighted and incompetent and not having anyone who can fix problems. There, there should totally be a way to at least copy the player over. There should at least be a way. To, I mean, this this must happen all the time. Not not so much from the players' club giving the person the wrong card. That's probably very unusual. But someone picking up the wrong card. Someone accidentally playing on their wife's card or their girlfriend's card or. Uh, their friend's card accidentally, you know, I, people do it on purpose too. But I'm saying when it happens accidentally, there should be a way to transfer the play over. And if it's illegal to do, there should at least be a way to copy the play over, especially if it's very clear it was an accident and that uh, there's no way that the two people who are involved are uh, have any kind of relationship with each other. So I, I could see like if 
someone's wife's card is run up with play, and then the guy goes, "Oh, that was actually my wife's card." No, you know, I I, I meant to do it on my card. So can you transfer the play to my card or copy the play to my card? And then they'll think, "No, I don't want to do that because now the wife's going to get the offers and the husband's going to get the offers. They're going to get double offers they don't deserve." So screw them. But clearly, I'm not in cahoots with Alicia Lopez. I don't know who she is. I have no way to find her. And she's just going to get those offers, and I'm not gaining from it in any way. So there should be a way to fix this. I don't know exactly how there should be a way to fix this, and it, it doesn't seem like they're going to. So that was all a waste. It was a waste of time, a waste of $300, a waste of aggravation. It was very frustrating. So something else that's frustrating that happened, uh, not related to the Players Club, but back to stuff at the Rio, the restaurant El Burro Baracho is Guy Fieri's restaurant. And yeah, he's not ever there personally, but this is his brand. This is a restaurant he conceived and came up with a menu and... Caesars Entertainment is in love with celebrity chefs, so they have restaurants from Gordon Ramsay and uh, now Guy Fieri. They also have uh, who is it? Uh, oh, I'm forgetting. Um, they have others. I'm forgetting which other ones they have contracts with. Oh, I know the Giada. They have a contract with her. They have various celebrity chefs that they have developed restaurants for. El Burro Baracho is kind of a low to middle end Mexican restaurant. Um, no, I shouldn't say low to middle. It's a middle end re- uh, Mexican restaurant. Definitely not high end, but it's also not really cheap. And um, it's okay. It's not something that's really good. It's not terrible. It's kind of in the middle. I preferred what was there before. It took it took the place of Buzio's, the seafood restaurant. But uh, it's okay. And it's one of limited food choices at the Rio. So if you're staying at the Rio a long time, it's going to be an option you're probably going to want to use at some point just for variety, even if you don't like it all that much. Starting in 2018, I'm not sure when, they opened a new feature in that restaurant. And that is a takeout window. So they actually cut a hole in the wall of the restaurant facing the hallway, the same hallway that you start walking through between the hotel and the World Series of Poker, and made it into a takeout window. And the takeout window is considerably cheaper than the same items in the restaurant. For example... There is a plate of three tacos you can order. And the tacos in the restaurant, which come with rice and beans, is $20 for three tacos with the rice and beans that come with it. At the takeout window, there's no rice and beans, but it is only $9. Also for three tacos. So it sounds like a much better deal to go to the takeout window where it's $9 for the same three tacos as it would be for $20 in the restaurant. Yeah, you don't get the rice and beans, but the rice and beans is not worth 11 bucks by itself. So this is what I thought. I thought, okay, good. The days of me going inside the restaurant and ordering at the crowded bar for takeout, these are all over. Now I now I can just order the uh, order from the takeout window. 
Uh, so I did that a few times last month, and I, I, I noticed something. The first time, for whatever reason, I didn't notice it. But uh, the second time, I definitely noticed it. And that is the portions were crap. That these tacos had very little meat in them. In fact, what they did is they kind of laid them down together in a takeout bat, uh, like a little takeout uh, container, and then they just dropped some shri- dropped some diced meat on there, and then added the cheese that I had requested, and then that was it. And since these tacos were laid down together, there was some overlap on them. So, so when you pick up one. Uh, you get most of the meat, and the other, two, like the center one, gets most of the meat, and the other two hardly have anything because uh, they were overlapping. But you can say, okay, well, who cares? You can just manually transfer yourself whatever meat between the three tacos so it's equal. But anyway, the bottom line is, overall, there's very little meat, very little meat. To where this nine dollars, which seemed like a good deal, is not a very good deal because you hardly get any meat. You're mostly eating uh, you know, tortillas and uh, and cheese and uh, very little meat in each one, and and no side dishes. So, um, that's the first problem. Now, the other thing is, the first time I was there, um, I had, uh, there was a discount I qualified for, a 25% discount I qualified for, and, uh, and I asked them for that discount, and they told me I can't combine that, I, you know, I can't use it at the takeout window. Now, the takeout window is already so cheap that they can't give me that discount. Even though I'm entitled to it inside the restaurant, outside the restaurant, I'm not entitled to that discount. Because it's in the takeout window, they've already discounted it so much, they don't want to discount it further. So I said, come on, I'm a seven-star. Like, I talked them into it, and they did it for me. Okay? And I ordered more than just the $9 tacos. I ordered some other stuff. Well, the next time I came back, and I asked for that discount again, they said they can't do it. I said, no, 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 the manager said they could. So they bring the manager over, and the manager confided in me that he got in trouble and that several other employees got in trouble, that upper management audited the day sales and found that someone authorized me getting a 25% discount when, when they're not supposed to give that at the window. And they actually called several people into a room and chewed them out for giving me that one 25% discount. <laughs> Can you imagine the micromanagement to, to scrutinize each sale? It's not like I I, I ordered something like a thousand dollars worth of food and got a twenty five percent discount and they, they was discovered. This is one or, one order that was less than twenty dollars. I got a twenty five percent discount, and, and someone actually. I mean, the spending time with that on that with all the fail at the fucking with the food at the Rio. Yeah, someone in upper management, right, actually went through this, found one single 25% discount. They told me it was just me. They said they found mine in there and called several people up there and chewed them out. So what an awful place to work. Anyway, so so I said, okay, no, I, and, and they weren't BSing me. Like I had several people telling me that there was some trouble about it, and then the manager like expanded. So like several different people gave me the same story without having like talked to each other about it. So they definitely weren't like giving me excuses. At first, I thought they may have been lying to me, but then by the end, I was sure they were telling me the truth. So I said, okay, I understand. And the manager was very nice about it. He even gave me like a free drink because that happened. I didn't ask for anything, but he gave it to me. So I said, all right, good, good. 
But back to back to the thing on that same order when I walked away and brought it to my room, I'm like, you know, these are very small. These tacos. This this I don't remember this problem last year when I came here. I remember last year the tacos had quite a bit of meat in them. I mean, they were a lot more expensive. It was twenty dollars, but. And, you know, I got the 25% discount, so I paid 15 but still, you know, like, I didn't feel like I was getting ripped off. I felt I felt like there there's plenty of food in there. This time, they were so tiny. The amount of, the, the amount of meat, it was just so little. And this was twice now. I just, the first time I noticed it, but didn't really think much about it. The second time, I, I thought much more about it. I was hungrier. And I, I was kind of upset about this. So, I thought, all right, well, um... I'm going to get the facts on this if they've just, you know, if they're giving different portions at the window versus the restaurant. And maybe I'm going to just go to the restaurant from now on and take out from there because this great deal of the $9 isn't a very good deal because I'm not getting the rice and beans and I'm getting tacos that are significantly smaller. So the next time I came back there, maybe about a week later, I went to the takeout window again and, uh, I asked them, I said, uh, are, are these smaller? And they said, eh, well, yeah, it's, it's cheaper here. So, yeah, we give a little bit less. Like, well, it seems like a lot less. Is it, you know, how much less is it? To me, it seems like it's uh, you know, at least, you know, it could be half or maybe even less than half. She said, I don't know if it's that, but, yeah, we give less. It's cheaper. You have to understand. You know, it's $20 in there. This is $9. I go, yeah, but, you know, still, you know, it would be nice if you guys disclosed this. <laughs> I'm not getting the same. On the menu, it looks identical. Well, yeah, but you know, you're still paying less, so I'm like, okay, fine. Uh, I don't have time right now to go into the restaurant and deal with this. Um, fine, I'll just order from here again. Uh, yeah, I'd like three tacos, but uh, um, I, I want to add cheese. She's like, yeah, it's gonna be a dollar extra for cheese. I go, well, you know, they waived that before. No, we're we're not waiving that anymore either. It's a dollar extra for cheese. I go. But I mean, I'm asking you, there's a bunch of other stuff that comes on the taco. I'm asking you to leave all that off. I'm saying replace all that with cheese. Uh, yeah, um, no, we, we were told very specifically that it's a dollar extra for cheese. So we have to charge you that. I'm really sorry. It's like, oh, okay, fine, fine. Charge me a dollar extra for cheese, whatever, $10 now. So I said, oh, um, I, I also noticed last time I didn't get enough salsa with it. Um, can you give me a little extra salsa? Oh, yeah, sure we can. Uh, that'll be uh, 50 cents extra for each uh, little container of salsa. <laughs> I said, come on. In the restaurant, you guys don't do this. I'm sorry we were told it's 50 cents extra for each container of salsa. I'm going, come on, look. Look, the portions are much smaller here. I'm not getting a good deal here like you, know, like you think I am because the portions are so much bigger in the restaurant. I'm already paying a dollar extra for cheese. I'm already leaving off a lot of the things you're not going to put on, so you're saving money on that. Uh, I'm a seven stars member here. Please don't nickel and dime me 50 cents for each of these extra salsas. Can you please just give me some extra salsa? I actually ordered two things of the tacos. I ordered two of them for, you know, for, it was going to be $20 because it was a, um, and no discount. So it was going to be nine plus one times two. So they're getting six tacos, you know, three and three. So I said, look, I'm, I'm going to get one salsa with each. Can you just give me two salsas with each? You know, one, one for each order. So, well, I don't know, we can't do this. So, in the meantime, like an assistant manager walks by and hears this. And she's like, what, what is he looking for? And she's like, well, he wants to get extra, you know, two extra salsas and not pay the 50 cents. She's like, and I go, look, I'm a seven star. She goes, just give it to him. Just give it to him. Fine. Just give, give, him, give him the extra. So, she was 
the assistant manager very willing to give me the two extra salsas with that. And you may say, why am I arguing about a dollar, you know, two times 50 cents? Because it's stupid. Because they, sh- they shouldn't be nickel and diming me like this. As a Seven Stars member here, when I'm not getting a good deal at that window, they, they shouldn't be nickel and diming me for every little thing like this. So the assistant manager right away said, okay. So I thought that's over. Remember, I am paying for the extra cheese, which I, I really shouldn't have to pay. But, I, but I'm paying for the cheese, but that's where I drew the line. So she agreed to give me the extra salsa. So they, I paid. They gave me my number, and, and I stood back waiting for them to call my number. So they called my number. I go up to the window, and the woman who makes the food and then gives it to you a very uh, surly, kind of angry, sort of middle-aged woman. Uh, very unpleasant demeanor. She already didn't like me because she heard my whole discussions about the you know, about the cheese and the, and about the local discount before. And I could tell she had a lot of disdain for me already. She thought I was some obnoxious cheap Jew who who uh, was trying to you know finagle them. I, I could tell. I mean, she didn't know I was a Jew, but you, you know what I mean. So she already like had an attitude with me before this, because what would happen is like I'd ask her something, the cashier would ask her, and then she'd say no. This wasn't the assistant manager; this is just the one who makes the food, who I guess is above the cashier. Anyway, um, I only get one salsa with each one instead of the two that they promised me. So I thought, okay, she probably just wasn't told. So I said, oh yeah, uh, the assistant manager right there said that I, I'm supposed to get uh, two salsas with each one. She said, no, sir, that's 50 cents extra for each. If you want to go pay for them, you can do that right now. I go, no, no, no. She said I can have two extra for free. She says, oh, no, no, I, I'm giving you two. I'll, I'll do that for you. I'll give you two. I go, no, 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 I, I have two orders, so I automatically get two. She says, yeah, well, I'll do that for you. I say, you're not doing it for me. I already paid for that. The, this I've paid for for sure. I made two orders of tacos. I should. Get, I automatically get two salsas, right? She's like, oh, yeah. I said, okay, well, so can you give me two extra, one for each order? She's like, that's supposed to be 50 cents. I said, the manager over said I can have it. So she, she gets really mad, grabs two salsas, slams them on the table in front of me, and says, there you go. That'll be 50 cents next time. Have a nice day. So, as you can imagine, that didn't fly with me. So I walked into the restaurant. I said, oh, yeah, I'd like the manager, please. So they called a manager down. This was a different manager than I had dealt with before. I think this guy was higher. I think he was the, in fact, he told me he was the manager of the whole location. I don't know if he's the one who chewed the other manager out, but, but uh, they brought him down and, and I told him the whole thing. I said, look. Yes, I'm a seven stars here, and a lot of this is, you know, especially offensive because of that. But that's not even the reason I'm complaining. I'd be saying the same things if I were a gold or had no cards here. Um, the takeout window, they give you far less of a portion than than in the restaurant, right? And he says, "Yeah, that's true. You know, we charge less, so we give you a smaller portion." I go, "Well, yeah, but this isn't disclosed anywhere, so it's very misleading." And you know, I thought I would be getting the same tacos. I'm actually not, and uh, so it's actually not that great of a deal. He says, yeah, "Yeah, I can, I can see how you, you know, I can see how that would make sense." So I said, "So I don't understand why, why are they balking and, and nickel and diming on everything and acting like and, and refusing this 25 percent discount? Why are they doing all that at the window? Like I'm already getting such a wonderful deal when I'm really not. When you're really just giving much less for less money." And he didn't really have an answer for that. He was very polite and friendly, and he and he told me, you know, I, he was most bothered by the way that woman acted there. He was he was very upset about that, and he believed the story that that she did this. 
that number one that she, you know she didn't like that that her assistant that her manager told me to that I could have the salsa for free, so she tried to charge me anyway, and then slammed it down in front of me when I went and sarcastically said, "Had a, have a nice day, and I'll, that'll be fifty cents next time." Um, you know that you know, he believed all that, and uh, I could tell he was legitimately bothered by it. Interestingly enough, I haven't seen her since that happened, so I I have a feeling she I have a feeling she's probably been in trouble before for her attitude and got fired. I'm not sure, but w- when I've walked by, I've looked and I've never seen her there since. So it's possible she got fired. But that, that's her problem. She was very noticeably rude. This wasn't just like an annoyance. She slammed it on the table in front of me and sarcastically told me to have a nice day and it'll be 50 cents next time. And you, you can't treat the customers like that. If you, if you are going to treat customers like that, then you should start your own business. And then you suffer when the customers don't come back. If you're working for somebody else or working for a corporation, you have to treat the customers with respect. Because if the customers don't come back, the owners of the business suffer, not you. So as an employee, you never have a right to mistreat the customers. So anytime I report that, and I reported it exactly as it happened. I didn't embellish. I didn't lie. I told exactly as it happened, and then they could act as they wanted. But uh, I wasn't trying to get her fired, but at the same time, I wanted her boss to know about it when I got treated that way. Especially because her, her manager already said I could have the damn salsa for free. And she resented that for some reason. I'm not sure she's fired. I just haven't seen her since then. And before that, I saw her every day in that uh, location. Would she be number 10, Jeff, if she does get fired? <laughs> I don't know. I've lost count. But, you know, I've done people a favor. You know, you may say, oh, Jeff is so awful. He's getting people fired. I'm doing people a favor. The only person who's getting hurt by this is the one who gets fired. But the people who are gaining from this are, number one, the better employee who's getting hired in their place, who was formerly unemployed. Number two, the customers who probably also would have been abused by this person. Number three, the business itself. So uh, it's never a bad thing when a bad employee is replaced by a good employee. For some people, people for some reason, people always think, oh, if someone loses their job, it's a tragedy. No, no, it's not. Because there's people sitting who are unemployed who want that job. So... If someone's doing a crappy job at work or mistreating customers and they are replaced with someone who's much better, then it's a win for everyone except the bad employee. It's a win for the customers. It's a win for the business. It's a win for the new employee. So uh, it's one thing if someone gets fired for something accidental or a human mistake, but not when they mistreat customers. When that happens, I, I, I don't feel any sympathy. And you may say, oh, Druff, you've never been in this position. You've, you've never worked in a job like that. You've never had customers get fresh, you know, frustrate you to where you, you just can't stand it anymore. Wrong. Wrong. When I was much younger, I worked in some minimum wage type jobs. And at those jobs, there were obnoxious customers who didn't treat me very well. And I never talked back. And I, I never did anything like that. I just took it because that was part of the job. So, yes, I was in that position. I I didn't love it, but uh, I knew that was part of the job. I knew that I could not go off on them or be rude to them because um, they were frustrated or they weren't being all that uh, nice to me. And by the way, I wasn't being nasty to this woman in any way to make her act this way. I was being firm that what I was told I would get, that I would get, but I was not being a jerk or... Or, or, or insulting or demeaning it or anything like that. 
Anyway. So the, the manager was very nice. And in fact, uh, Trader Risky, you saw him. You met him. Because I went uh, shortly after that during the Limit Hold'em event, the 1500 Limit Hold'em. At the dinner break, I actually went with Trey Daruski, and we ate in the restaurant. And uh, without me asking, the manager gave me a $20 discount. He wrote it on his business card uh, that he signed that I'd get a $20 discount the next time. So then when I presented it to the server, she went and got him, <laughs> and he came down and talked to us briefly. So, yeah, the manager was very nice. Um, I did tell him, look, you know, we, we do kind of need to solve these things for the future, you know, but, but the, you know, we meaning just, I, I was not, we would, I think, you know, I feel the restaurant needs to solve these things. What I told him about the portions, about the, uh, the nickel and diming that I don't think that's, uh, it's right. I don't think that's the, I think it's making people frustrated. And, and also there's, you know, there's no point in nickel and dime everybody if they're really just giving much smaller portions. They're, they're already saving money that way. So I didn't really get much of an answer on that, but you know, those are just my suggestions. I don't have a right to run the restaurant. I don't have a right to tell them what portions to serve. I understand that. Those are my suggestions. That's why I dropped it there. I just told them the way I feel is a better way to operate and in a respectful way. Um, but but you know, he he offered that twenty dollars discount for next time, and um, you know, he was very nice about everything. And I could tell he took seriously my complaint about the way that woman treated me. So when I went with Trader Ruski to eat there, I don't know, if, Trader Ruski, did you see the portion I got? Did you really look at it or no? I mean, yeah, I mean, it looked like three pretty big sized tacos. Right, they were. You're, you're correct. Yeah. They were. Yeah, the rack and everything. They, they, they were much, I mean, they were much bigger. I estimate two to five, 2.5 to three times the amount of meat in each taco compared to the window. So my memory was correct that these were much larger tacos than, than I had gotten in the past. Uh, so that's why I was so surprised to see what they were giving at the takeout window. So I thought, okay, well, now I have my answer. It wasn't my imagination. These tacos are much, much bigger in the restaurant. It's worth paying the $20, especially because I get the discount in the restaurant. I don't in the window. So I'll pay $15. Much better to pay 15 and get three large tacos instead of three tiny tacos for $9. Plus I get the rice and beans. So I said, okay, solution, do, do the restaurant next time. Screw the window. Well, um, I, I hadn't gone back there until tonight, right before radio. I just ended up eating at other places. It, it just didn't happen. I, I actually tried on main event day one on July 3rd to come in. And um, they told me there was such a long wait for them to make the food because they were swamped that you know, basically it would be ready after my dinner break was over. This isn't their fault. This is the World Series' fault for that situation. So I, I left and went somewhere else that was faster. Uh, again, not a complaint against the restaurant there. But uh, the first time I actually ended up ordering food from them since I was with Troy Daruski was tonight, before radio. So I kept to my plan to go into the restaurant to order. So another dumb thing at the Caesars properties now, and they're even doing the sports deli, is that if you take anything to go, they hit you with a charge. So, uh, at most of the places, you can talk them out of it, especially if you're wait a doctor. Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Would they charge? So, if you went to the bar and got your stuff to go, they would charge you a service fee? Yeah, a $3 service fee. 
Oh my God, those motherfuckers! <laughs> and and hold on, they do it at the American uh, Bar and Grill in the Rio, oh, and oh. and even worse, they charge a dollar at the freaking sports deli to put it in a box. So yeah, so, 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 so here's I mean, that's basically like the room service fee, right? It's worse because if you sit down in the restaurant and they serve you the food, and you go, you know what? I'm actually out of time here. Can I box this up? They won't charge you. It's only if you take it to go they charge you. But if you sit down in the restaurant, don't eat a bite, and then take it to go in the same packaging, it costs. It doesn't cost anything. Is that insane? And and uh, the re- the real reason for this is they're trying to screw the poker players. They're trying to screw the poker players who are going to take it to go. That's why they're doing it. So um, now at the it, this has existed for years, by the way. So I've always been able to get them to wave it. They waved it at they wave it at the American Bar Grill for me. They they wave it at the uh, El Borobracho, because I'm a seven-star, they do this. I, I cite that I'm a seven-star, and can you wave it? And they say yes. Um, and, and whenever they, if, if they give me any slight resistance, resistance, I mention the fact that I could just go in and sit down and order and then just take it to go free. And they go, yeah, you could. I go, so why not just cut that out and just give it to me? Okay, yeah, we'll give it to you. Okay, that, that's always how it goes. Or sometimes they just say yes right away. The only place they won't say yes under any circumstances, even for seven-stars, is at the sports deli. But the sports deli, they give you, like, if you take it to eat there, they give you, like, a paper plate anyway. So I just take the paper plate up to my room. Who cares? Like, I don't need the box. I can just walk it up to my room. Uh, and that's what I've been doing. I won't pay that dollar. But back to the thing with the uh, El Burro Bracha. So I go in the restaurant today, shortly before radio. And I order it from there. I get them to waive the service fee. And the the woman behind the bar tells me, oh, we were told not to do that anymore, but hey, I'll do it for you anyway. So I thought, okay, that's nice. And what I actually do, to show you that I'm not as cheap of a Jew as you might think I am, that $3 they waive as a reward for waiving it, I give it to the person who waived it. So I give it to them as a tip. So uh, this way they get rewarded for being cooperative. Because I, I don't mind giving the $3 to them. In fact, I asked them when it's a, I said, the service fee, does it go to you guys or does it go to the store? No, it goes to the store. When I hear it goes to the store, it pisses me off. Because it shouldn't. If they're going to give it to me for free for eating the restaurant, I should get it for free for takeout, for the same food, for the same price. So uh, anyway, um, so as soon as she said that, I knew I was going to be tipping her that $3. So then I said, can you waive the, the extra charge for the cheese? Yeah, I can do that for you too. I go, okay, sweet. This is where I should have been ordering the whole time. And the portions are bigger. Okay, so she tells me to come back in 10 to 15 minutes. I go walk off and do something else. I come back 15 minutes later. I get my order. On the bright side, uh, you know, the billing was all correct. She didn't charge me for anything extra. I gave her her $3 for the tip. And uh, everything was done right. One little problem, though. The portions are small again. Now, not as tiny as in the takeout window, but noticeably smaller than what I had just had in the restaurant with Trey Daruski about two weeks ago. And I go, oh my God, not this again. So I, I had a feeling that anything to go was probably made by the same people at the window. And, the, and it was the same thing where they were kind of like overlapping each other, the tacos. So, you know, that, that makes it so they can even be smaller, but look bigger until you separate them and see that there's much less meat. So... Just overall, by far less meat than what I had with uh, Trader Ruski sitting in the restaurant, and I figured they must have been made you know, by the, the, the other ones at the window. So, oh my God, I'm not going to pay more in here and, and get less. This is crap. So, 
Yeah, I was polite about it though, and I asked, you know, I told I told her what the issue was, and she said, "Let me get my manager." Well, her manager was not who I expected. Her manager was actually the chef, not Guy Fieri, but the chef came out, and he introduced himself, and, and I told him the whole thing. And he was a Mexican guy. He only spoke, you know, he spoke some English, but he, uh, English wasn't his first language, clearly, but he understood me. Uh, and he was very nice. And right away he says, you know, I'll make more, I'll make extras for you. Uh, no charge, no problem, I'll make extras for you. How much do you want? Two or three, I'll make them. So, okay, for this time he was definitely going to solve it, no problem. But I said, okay, that's very nice of you and I appreciate that, but, uh, and, and I accept your offer, but, I, I may come back here tomorrow or the next day. I'm going to be here for a little while. Um, what do I do in the future? So he didn't quite understand. I said, no, no. I, he says, oh, wait, you want the extra tacos tomorrow? I go, no, 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 no. I want them tonight. But when I come back on future days, I don't want them to be this small again. So I, I know they make them much smaller over there. My problem is I think maybe they're the ones asked to make the takeout orders, and that's why they're making it much smaller. And yet I'm paying for, for the full size. And he says, what? No, they're the same thing over there. I said, no, no, they're not. They're much smaller. Everybody's verified. Even the manager's verified. He says, no, it's not supposed to be. It's supposed to be the same everywhere. I said, so you're telling me the $9 three tacos at that window are supposed to be the same size as the ones in the restaurant? He said, yes. I said, then why aren't they? It's a, it's a very noticeable difference. He said, well, I don't know about that. I'm going to have to ask them why they're making them so much smaller. <laughs> so... So he insisted to me that he's going to... So I said, well, sorry, are you going to tell them to stop making them smaller? He says, um, next time you go to the window, tell them you talk to me and they should make them bigger. So I said, okay, that's what I'll do. So that's what I'm going to do. Then what a mess, though. I mean, this is so typical Caesar's property. Here's the simple way to do it, okay? If you're going to make smaller portions... You know, decide either, yes, they're going to be smaller there, or no, they're not. And then call them mini tacos, or put some asterisk that people can see easily, you know, not same portions as restaurants, something making it clear they're not buying the same thing for cheaper, that they're actually getting something inferior for less money. And then let them decide. Or even give a second option. You can get, you know, three mini tacos for $9, or three regular tacos for 20 That'd be fine, too. But number one, don't describe them identically as, as on the regular menu, and then give less. Even if it's cheaper, you know, don't do that. Number two, you know, figure out the truth. Figure out, it, you know, is it actually smaller there? Or is it actually not smaller? Or is it, I, I'm now thinking it's possible the people in the window uh, didn't know what they were doing and making it smaller. But then the, the manager told me they're supposed to be smaller. So I don't know what the hell's going on. I really don't know. But uh, that that was part of the delay in, in the radio because I wasn't going to have enough from those three t- small tacos they gave me before radio. So I, I waited for them to make those extra ones. And uh, so that took extra time. And then as I'm eating, then I've got to be bothered with this unexpected visit from security to check the rooms. That uh, traders, have, have, I, have I fully explained what they're doing now? I, I don't think I have, right? With security? Yeah, I mean, you went into it on past shows, but... No, today. I found out more information today. Oh, I I thought, oh maybe that was during the agenda. Okay, yeah, it was. I think it was the agenda. See, the agenda is its own separate show. That's the problem. So I, we do something on the agenda. I go, did I talk about that already? Go, oh, wait, that was that was the agenda topic. Okay, so so let me tell you guys this uh, 
change here at the Rio and how it's going to affect all Caesars properties. So as Trader Ruski said, on previous shows, I did talk about the change in do not disturb policy at Caesars properties that they would go they were going to be coming in after 24 hours of a do not disturb on the door and that uh, either they're going to force you to open the door for them or if you're not there they're just going to come in that was supposed to be in place for the entire world series of poker however due to the labor dispute that was going on citywide Part of that dispute had to do with whose responsibility it is to do these checks. Uh, Caesars wanted the maids to do it at first. Uh, they didn't want to do it. They wanted security to do it. Then, then there was the idea that maybe the maids will do it, but security will watch them. So um, the union was unhappy with all of this and just wanted security to do it. And I guess eventually that's what the agreement was, among many other things that... Uh, the union and the hotels came to. But this was not implemented because they hadn't totally finalized the agreement, the labor agreement. And uh, so it took some time. And for most of the World Series, they were not coming in at all. Whereas before, even before the Stephen Paddock thing, they would attempt to come in after three days unless you talked to them about it beforehand and convinced them not to which obviously those days are behind us. We There's no way I can convince them not to after what happened. But in previous years, I could. But this year, I didn't have to worry about that because they weren't trying to come in. I stayed here for nine straight days at the Rio in June, and they didn't come in once or even try to come in. That was the first for me. That was nice. That was the first, though. So I was very surprised tonight when they knocked on the door and they said to me, security room check. And I actually heard them doing it to the place next door, too, to the room next door. So I opened it up, and they told me they need to come in and inspect the room. So one security guard stood at the door. The other one walked around the room to look at it, probably to see if there were any guns hidden here, any bodies hidden in here, or whatever. He didn't go through my stuff, but he, he walked around the room and looked at everything. The other guy, as I hit, stood at the door. My assumption is that they have one guy at the door just in case uh, you know someone who's in the room decides to jump security because security found something they didn't want. So they always have one guy posted at the door to uh, stop any attack on the other guard. This way they're separated. There's no way you could attack both guards at the same time. So, you know, probably something like that. So one guard stood at the door. One walked throughout my room. Then he said my room looks fine and that he just needs to call it in. So he went to the the room phone to make a call but was having trouble reaching whoever needed to call to get clearance to check off my room, which is so stupid. Why why can't the guy just check off something he's holding and then show it to them later? Why why does he have to call in every single time? Okay, I checked this room. It's good. Like, there's got to be a better way than to use the guest's individual phones in the room to call to some department to say they've checked it. That seems very inefficient to me and weird. But that's what they were doing. So while this guy was trying to get a hold of who he was trying to call, I asked the other guard at the door what he was doing. Or you know why they're here, why this wasn't happening before. 
when this started and what the actual policy is. So this is what he told me. He said, we started about a week ago. The policy is we're supposed to come into a room if the Do Not Disturb has been on for 24 hours or more. I said, does that mean you're coming back tomorrow? He said, no, but uh, probably the day after. He says, you know, sometimes we come in, sometimes we don't, but the policy is 24 hours. Uh, we can choose you know, not to do it, but, but it'll never be all that much more than 24 hours. So I've actually been here since uh, the very early morning of July 3rd. Actually, not even the should I say the early morning. So late at night, July 2nd. And this is the first time they've come in like this. And that was uh, July 6th. So it took four days. So I asked, is this going to be happening at All Caesars Properties? He said, yes, but it's not happening right now. The Rio is the test program. We started a week ago. We're going to see how this goes. Then it will soon be implemented at All Caesars Properties and stay that way. And uh, so that's what's going on. So very soon at All Caesars Properties in Vegas, they are going to be entering rooms as much as every 24 hours with the Do Not Disturb up there. And if nobody is in the room, they will just come in. Then they have to go through your room, and then they have to use the room phone to call in that it's clear. And nothing to do with the maid anymore. Now it's all security doing it. Though if the maid comes in then that counts too. So if the maid has been in the room in the last 24 hours, then they don't come. But if the maid has not been in the room in the last 24 hours, then they come. But it won't necessarily be every day, according to them. So that is the new protocol here, which sucks. But I'm glad I got to avoid it for most of the World Series. Let's see what else we got. Um, I have to grab some drinks because I've run out of drinks and the refrigerator is too far for me to extend the wire so let me just play something for you guys Here, I'll play the, the little thing with me and Phil Helmuth again <laughs> and uh then I will come back. It's a, a short break. We're pausing for a short break. I, Brandon's still on here, but he's, he's not on here. I don't understand it. Anyway. Ian dropped. I'm tapping out. Oh, you're, you're tapping out? Show. Yeah. I'm just, oh, I'm just. Okay. I can hardly hear you anyway. Okay. Good night, Trader Ruski. Okay. Thanks. Sounds like he's in a box. All right. Uh, I'm going to play this for you for a little bit, and I will be right back. What's up, Philly? Good time, man. Who won? When you come over, man, when the guy, the guy puts his money in at six hours or something? Exactly. That's how they do against you. Six hours. It's good for poker to be great players, though. It's good. Make people want to keep playing. Phil still got a lot of chips. Lots of fun. You're having fun, huh? You're having a blast. What's better than playing with Mr. Helmut? 
Go get him, Phil. Hang in there. Hang tough. Don't worry, Daniel. I'm just going to show him the Sorry. Sorry. That's what I do. Sorry. I know. I know. Look, you can see I was putting my money in. He still had one pair. <laughs> bad, Chris. Bad. <laughs> We're doing the little vlog. Okay, that's Daniel about to interview someone else. I will turn that off. So uh, let's see what next topic we have here. I got a message in the chat room, a private message from Vegetera asked, doesn't all this arguments and situations affect your state of mind in a negative way? That's a good question. By the way, if it seems like broken English, it's because uh, he's not, uh, English is not his first language. He's in Europe. But uh, I think he's in Sweden. Anyway, um, does this affect my mind in a negative way? Well, I will tell you. Um, the answer, I guess, is yes and no. Yes, it does frustrate me. Yes, it does irritate me. Yes, it can put me in a bad mood. These are all true things. So you may say, well, then you've got to learn to ignore it. You've got to learn to get past it. You've got to learn to just not let them bother you. The problem is that if I don't say something, then it will affect me in even a more negative way. If I feel like I've been screwed or ripped off in some way and didn't do anything about it or say anything about it, then it actually eats at me. And it'll actually affect me more than had I done something about it and gone through the frustration. So it's it's actually less stressful for me to go through the little battles about this stuff rather than just deal with it. I realize that... Uh, Others are different. That you may be different. But for me, it's it's important to get these things rectified. I, I don't require perfection. I realize that mistakes happen, that things aren't ideal. Things vary from day to day. Some things are better, some things are worse. Um... Some things aren't even worse the hassle of getting corrected. Like in this room, uh, they have a lot of air conditioning problems in the Rio. This room, thankfully, the air conditioner is strong enough to cool the room. The bad thing is that the thermostat is very inconsistent. So sometimes I have to set it all the way down to like 63 degrees, and, and other times you know I have to move it to 71. It, it just is all over the place where I have to put the damn thermostat, and most Rio rooms aren't like this. This one, for whatever reason, the thermostat is screwy. I don't mind if it's kind of shifted. I don't care if I have to set it to where it says 63, when in reality it's not really 63 in the room. As long as I learn to where I, I, I can put it to where the room's comfortable. But here it's kind of like different every day, or even several times a day it changes. So sometimes I'll walk in the room and it's freezing, and I have to warm it up. And then, um, yeah, sometimes I walk in and it's hot, and I've got to cool it down. It's a pain in the ass. In fact, during the show, this has been happening. But I, I didn't bother to get them to fix it. It's hard to get the, the air conditioning maintenance man up here. I've dealt with that before. It's, you know, so I just figure, okay, I'll just kind of adjust it. And if, if it couldn't keep the room cool enough, which has happened before, then I, I have to have the guy up here. But it's just a matter of playing with the thermostat and adjusting it you know, a few times a day. Fine, I'll do that. Like, so 
And, and I'm not going to call them up and say, oh, you owe me something because the thermostat's bad. No, yeah, I'll just let these things go. So I don't require perfection. I just, uh, things just have to make sense to me. So I don't want to overpay for something that I can get for the same price at the same place in a different way. So I, I don't want to pay for more for the tacos that they're going to be the same tacos of the window that are cheaper. I don't want to pay for takeout when I could sit down in the restaurant and then take it out for free. Those things really bother me. Top Top in chat. I haven't seen him in a while. He said, uh, referring to the downtown situation with a player's card, what a beat. This is probably the golden nugget. They're the only place they ever call me and no-mailed me because I didn't give them action after mailings. It was not the golden nugget. Nikki, who's in chat, she said in relation to why they could not fix that issue with copying my uh, play over from one account to another. He said, they probably don't have the ability because then they can do that for friends. It's actually a good point, Nikki. That, you know, what if someone, what if they were to enter phony play for friends to get them free offers and then split the proceeds? This way, the machines have to basically enter the information themselves into the system, and there's no way to game that. It's very possible that's that's the reason why. It's also possible they just didn't build it that way because they didn't see a need for it. But that's a good point. Nikki, by the way, is a, a real female who listens to this show. She's been in the community for a long time, and uh, she lives in Vegas, too. So, um, I'm going to give you a little update on Phil Galfon's new uh, Run It Once poker site. We've talked a lot about that before on here, so I might as well give you this update. I'm not going to discuss it for very long. And this update is not as controversial as the other updates, where uh, Phil was making some decisions I thought were stupid. This one, uh, I don't love it all, but it's not that terrible. So, Phil has decided that the seating should be automatic. Phil does not like the fact that people will grab seats to take position on fish or that they can run seating scripts to immediately sit down on the table as soon as certain fish sit down. So, on this new poker site, the only way to take a seat at the table is to press a button called Auto Seat, and then it will choose a seat for you. So there's no way to choose your seat at the table, and there's no way to have a seating script ready to grab a seat at a certain table if a fish sits down. So you can't control the table you're at, and you can't control whether uh, you know, which seat you get at the table. He 
He wrote, to the professionals, don't worry about picking the best table, about finding the perfect seat, and then buying in for the right amount based upon the makeup of the table and your opponent's stack sizes. Don't worry about designing a HUD for our games or about whether or not to use a seating script. Don't spend half your mental energy staring at the lobby. Don't fear being exploited by multi-accounters and data miners. So, basically, uh, you're just going to say, seat me at this table of these limits, and they're just going to drop you there. Bovada already does this. Except Bovada is obnoxious because you can't even watch the tables that are going or see what's going. So that stops games from going because people can't even see what's running before trying to sit there. There's also tricks to change seats on there that I won't get into. I assume those won't exist on Phil Galfon's site. Also, you're not going to be able to select the buy-in, as was mentioned in that little quote that I read to you. Everybody is going to have to buy in for 100 big blinds. You can't buy in for more, you can't buy in for less initially. If you rebuy, I, I, I don't know. Maybe it just tops you off back to 100 big blinds. But that's what you have to buy in for. And if you can't afford 100 big blinds, you can't play. So like at 510 No Limit Hold'em, if you don't have $1,000, you can't play. 2-4, if you don't have $400, you can't play. And you can't buy in for less. So they're doing this both to prevent people from purposely stacking themselves deep against players who probably aren't that good um, against deep stacks. Or maybe if there is a player at the table who's a big fish who has a deep stack already from winning, that this way they can stack them in one hand. So they, you know, that prevents that. And also the, they're preventing the short stacking, which was a big strategy that was used by several people on uh, poker sites, including poker stars, for a long time where they would simply buy in for the least money that's allowed, usually 20 big blinds. So like at a 5-10 game, they would buy in for uh, $200. And then they would play tight. And then when they'd play, they'd go all in pre. So the reason short stacking works, there's a few reasons for it. First of all, you don't have to make decisions pre-flop. Second, uh, there's no way anybody can run you off your hand. Third, you're never risking too much. As soon as they'd win, they'd leave the table and either come back or sit at a different table, again, with a short stack. Uh, f- furthermore, anyone who would play against them would learn that you don't want to enter a hand against this person or they're going to commit you to all your chips. So picture yourself at a 5-10 no limit and you're in the cutoff and you have jack-9 suited. So you put in just a standard raise. You know, maybe you raise $25 or something. And then the button goes all in for 200 Well, you're not going to call for with jack-9 suited. So you're going to fold and they're going to win. 
so they just play tight, and then they wait for a, a good hand that will run out well at, you know, for showdowns. And then anybody who's raising with a hand that doesn't meet that description is going to either have to be after fold or, or, or probably get crushed if they call, unless they happen to have a good hand themselves. So it, it's it's hard to play against these short stackers. It's hard to exploit them. It's hard to counter their strategy. So Galfon decided that he wants to do away with that. So no short stacking on his site. So how do I feel about these rules on his site? I, I think the high minimum buy-in is actually a good thing. I agree that the short stackers are a nuisance and they're kind of exploiting the game and that uh, doing away with that can be helpful. And also, they also tend to take advantage of recreational players this way, because recreational players aren't as good at figuring out the right time to fold in those spots. So they'll have something like sevens or ace-queen, they'll have a hard time getting away from it, and then find themselves every time against the hands better than that. So uh, I, I don't mind the hundred dollar, the hundred blind minimum buy-in. I, I don't like the fact that there's no way you can adjust your buy-in. I, in fact, I think that maybe they should make the minimum a little bit less. Maybe make the minimum seventy big blinds. Let you choose between seventy and one fifty blinds, or something like that. I don't think that everyone should be forced to buy into games for just a, a, a very set amount of blinds. Uh, they also claim they're doing it because it'll prevent recreational players from sitting at games that are too big for them. So, this way, if someone happens to have uh, $1,000 in their account, they don't try to sit at uh, 2550 So this way, only players with a deep enough account to sit at the game with a proper bankroll can sit there. But I think 100 is a little too high for a minimum, and I, I think that 100 as a maximum is too low. So I don't really like that. I don't think it's terrible, but I don't like it. The auto seat stuff... Um, I, I don't like. I, I don't like it, because... Um, yeah, you know, sometimes you want to play a game that uh, appeals to you, and this is for recreational players too. Sometimes recreational players, you know, they're not blind; they can see. They can see when there's an action game. Maybe they want to be part of the action game. Maybe they, maybe they don't want to be automatically placed at a game full of nits. Maybe they see an action game running; they want to sit in it. Now they can't. So I, I think you have to give people some choice, and and if you want to combat seating scripts, then you should. Then you you should program the system to. Notice when people are sitting too fast, when they're when people are clearly using seating scripts. That's not too hard to program the system to recognize that, and then ban those people. But and I could even see restricting the practice of sitting by yourself, like have a maximum number of tables that could open. Period at any kind of limit where where they're empty. So this way you don't have a, this embarrassing-looking lobby of, of 50 people sitting there alone at a table. 
and then a recreational player wonders, okay, well, why aren't they playing each other? I can see trying to combat that, and there's ways to do it, but I don't like the auto-seeding, auto-table grab. I, I wouldn't even mind so much the auto-seeding, but where you can choose your own table. That, that could be a happy medium to where you're not allowing people to take position on the fish necessarily, but you're allowing them to choose where they're going to play. So I think they're trying to control too much. Like if there's two games running, and one is a good game, one's a horrible game, and then you click auto seat and it drops you in the horrible game. Like you know, and then what happens if you stand up and, and try to reseat? Is it possible it'll sit you in the good game? Because that's a way it could be exploited easily. Or what if what if you just sit but then sit out, and then open the good game? Yeah, then it'll sit you in the good game as your second table. So there's got to be ways around it anyway. So those are the changes he announced at the moment. Not the changes, the new information he announced regarding his site. If anybody wants to call in right now at this late hour, it is uh, 2.39 in the morning, 775-FRAUD-55-775-372. 8355. I expected to see crappy ratings. We actually have a lot of people listening right now. This might be the most number of listeners we've ever had at this time of night. We're not even that far off of our peak for the night. Surprises me. I thought most of you would be gone by now. Because it is uh, quite late. Especially for the East Coast. Actually, the East Coast people are waking up now, some of you. 5.40 a.m. over there. Alrighty, so... The World Series of Poker Hall of Fame finalists for 2018 have been announced. The eight who have been on the ballot before, but not elected, include... Chris Beerin, the one that Helmuth was berating for making that bad play at uh, PLO8. David Chu, Maury S. Gandhi, Bruno Fertusi, Mike Matisau, Chris Moneymaker, Matt Savage, who's being nominated for, uh, not for play, same with Maury S. Gandhi. These are... Um, behind-the-scenes guys, and then Huck Seed. Those are the eight who are already on the ballot in the past. The two new names, John Hennigan and David Oppenheim. Now, Hennigan has had a very good World Series of Poker in 2018. He's in contention for the Player of the Year. He won a bracelet this year. Oppenheim does not play many tournaments but is well-known as a very good high-stakes cash game player. Uh, So these are eight players and two behind-the-scenes guys. Matt Savage is a tournament director. Maury Escondi, or Escondani, I guess is the way you pronounce the name. He is a TV poker producer. I always felt, first of all, that these should be separate from each other. There should be the Hall of Fame for 
behind the scenes guys and be in the Hall of Fame for the players. They shouldn't be competing with each other. You shouldn't be deciding whether Matt Savage or you know, Mike Matisau is elected. That's stupid. It's comparing apples and oranges. I mean, this would be like saying, uh, you know, who do you think should be elected to the uh, NBA Hall of Fame? Uh, Kevin Durant or Adam Silver? It should be a totally separate process. So going through the list, so I'm just throwing out right away those two who were behind-the-scenes guys, because I just don't think that's what the this part of the Hall of Fame should be at. There should be a separate part they make for them. They shouldn't be competing with the players, and as long as they're competing with the players, I don't think they should be dominated. They should be elected, because there's only two that win each year. So two will win, eight will lose, of these ten finalists. So, but let's go through the eight who are players. Chris Bjorin, he's been around forever. I know there's, you know, he, he's well known and liked in Europe. I, I just still don't think he's done enough. Uh, David Shue, I've said every year he's getting screwed. I haven't seen him this year, by the way. Maybe I'll see him at the six max limit hold'em, but I haven't seen him this year. This is the first year I haven't seen him at the World Series of Poker. He's the all-time leader in limit hold'em caches or amount of cash, amount of money cash. He's the all-time leader. I think I'm like twelfth now. I was once number like nine, I think, but I've fallen. Actually, I was once higher than that. I was once uh, I think in the top five a long time ago. But but anyway, now I'm like uh, number twelve or something. Uh, but he's not just good at limit holding. You know, this is a a very good poker player, and he gets screwed because he is not. A very, uh, he doesn't have a big personality, shall I say. He's very quiet. He's not interesting to watch. He's not interesting to talk to. He doesn't give an interesting interview. He's just a quiet, older Asian guy is what he is. Nice guy, though. He's a nice guy, but just very quiet. So for the fans, he's not that interesting. But I, th- I think he deserves it. He, if you look him up, he has very good numbers. So I always feel like he just gets screwed because he's not part of any poker cliques. He's just a, a quiet Asian guy who wins. Bruno Fatusi, uh, you know, I think this is someone who you know, he does have a good record. I actually played against him at the PLO8 event. I doubled up off of him too. <laughs> I, I, I did uh, a check raise all in on him with a not a short stack, but kind of a semi-short stack, and got him to call when I had a full house. I, I love that move in PLO8, because uh, once someone's showing aggression in that game, they're pretty much almost sure to bet the next street. So it's very easy to check-raise people all in in that game, where in other games they're they're raising with position and stuff, and a lot of times in PLO8, if the turn doesn't change very much, they're, they're, they're betting pretty big again. So... Anyway, uh, Bruno Fatusi, successful tournament player, but I, I think more he got the nomination because of his fame in France. I think if he were an American, that perhaps he wouldn't be nominated. So, 
I'm not saying it would be terrible if he got elected. I just don't think he's the top two in this field. John Hennigan, I, I think uh, he's probably would be my number two that I'd put in. He has a very good reputation for his ability in uh, both cash games and tournaments. He has the nickname of Johnny World because he is good at every game, which is hard to do in poker. There's uh, so many variants of it that it's hard to be good at everything. I, I think it's time to bring John Hennigan in. So I'd actually vote for him and David Chu. Mike Banisau isn't a bad choice. Uh, if, you, if you look up, boy, he's, he's won a lot of tournaments for a lot of money. And you, know, you have to put aside his off-the-felt problems. But as far as his poker play, he's, he's really been very good. Uh, he would probably be my number three choice on this list. Uh, Chris Moneymaker, I understand why he's there. But, but really, he's there because of the influence he had on the game. Not really because of his poker play. And the influence he had on the game was more due to timing and his fortunate last name for poker. Rather than anything he really did, aside from winning a main event, which had fewer than a thousand entrants. So, Chris Moneymaker, this is his real name, by the way. The reason his last name is Moneymaker is when his... Uh, one of his ancestors came into the country and wanted to choose an American name. Sometimes they were encouraged to choose an American name based upon their profession. So I think his uh, this ancestor must have been you know, someone who, who worked on coins or something like that. And uh, so he says, okay, well, I'm a, I'm a money maker. Like He actually makes money, not earns money, but actually makes it. That's where money maker came from. So yeah, how convenient that... Just as the TV poker boom is beginning, the winner of the main event is named Moneymaker. And he's an amateur who won his seat through a $40 tournament online. I mean, perfect story. So, yeah, has he been a good ambassador of the game? Yeah, yeah, he has been. He was like an everyman type. Everyone could look at Chris Moneymaker and, and see themselves in him. He wasn't an intimidating poker pro who just seemed like leagues above you. He seemed like just an average guy who was able to get all the way through and win the main event for $2.5 million on a $40 buy-in. So everyone looked and saw him and said, I could be that guy too. He's, you know, he's no, no more special than I am. He, he doesn't seem like someone who uh, has poker skill I could never acquire. I could be him, people thought. And that's why they got into poker. That's why a lot of people got into poker. So... Was his 2003 win important for the growth of poker at the time? Yes, for sure. There's something called the moneymaker effect describing that. Should he be in the Hall of Fame for that? No, I don't think so. David Oppenheim, uh, very good cash game player, very well respected. And even though I am a cash guy myself, I, I again, this is someone who, if he were... Put into the Hall of Fame, I wouldn't think it was bad, but I, I think he needs to do more tournament-wise to qualify for the Hall of Fame. Uh, especially because the Hall of Fame, is, it's owned by the World Series now, 
and it really does focus more on tournaments, great tournament players, and uh, while cash figures into it too, uh, I, I think someone who just doesn't play tournaments much, it's a much harder to elect them. But again, he has accomplished a lot in cash poker, and if he were elected, I would say that's uh, fine too. Huck Seed, I have to give a big no to that. He had uh, he had his time in the late 90s and early 2000s. Uh, he really hasn't done anything in a long time. He's much more of a poker has-been than anything else. Taking a look at Huck Seed's Hendon Mob. Um, you have to go all the way back to 2013... To find a cash for more than $19,000. He also has only cashed in three World Series events since 2015, and he's cashed in none in 2017 or 18. As far as I know, he's not in the high limit cash scene. He's not even like a, uh, a David Oppenheim. So Huck Seed is really more of a has-been who was destroying tournament poker and then uh, kind of fell off the map for the most part for whatever reason. Also, if you look at his caches, it's a little bit uh, misleading because a lot of them were invitational events with very little competition. I'm not even sure if he paid his own buy-in to those. So if you take those out, it's not quite as impressive as it looks, especially in recent years, or even semi-recent years. So I don't think he should go in. He hasn't uh, maintained consistency, in my opinion. Now, the Hall of Fame still has its voting problem, and that's the biggest issue I have with it, even though it, uh, the World Series of Poker owns it now. They still have a good old boy network for electing people, because it has a very flawed voting system, which can be exploited by groups, by voting blocks. First of all, the nomination process is kind of BS. It's, it's, it's not transparent at all. But even putting that aside, once people are nominated, it, it's very easy to rig the voting if you have some people who are willing to do it with you. And the, the voting is not open to the general public. The voting will be done by the WSOP Election Committee, and the committee includes the existing Poker Hall of Fame members who are still alive. There's 28 of them. And the, an 18-person Blue Ribbon Media Panel. Why am I not part of that? Uh, haven't I earned that by this point? Can't I be part of the damn 18-person Blue Ribbon Media Panel? Come on. Look, look at all the good coverage of everything in poker. I mean, yeah, I'm not covering... I'm not a beat writer on the tournaments, but look, look at the poker news stories the extensive coverage I have provided and the deep digging. Why am I not part of this? A blue ribbon panel. 
Anyway, an 18-member Blue Ribbon panel. I hope at least Kev Math is part of it. He definitely deserves it. And the panel, by the way, would have one representative each, so they're not going to have like two people from Poker News. And that's it. So it's 46 people voting. Now, you're supposed to be voting based upon these items. The player must have played poker against acknowledged tough competition. The person has to be at least 40 years old. They have to have played for high stakes. They have to have played consistently well. They have to have stood the test of time. That's where Huxeed fails. And they have to have contributed to the overall growth and success of the game of poker if they are not a player. So, here's the problem with the voting process. Is that each voter gets 10 votes that they can just distribute among the finalists. So, for example, I just told you of these 10 people, I would pick David Chu and John Hannigan. But that's not just me saying, okay, I vote for Chu and Hannigan. That would be the fair way. The unfair way, which is is what's going on here, the unfair way, is that I can actually weight the votes in whichever way I want. So, while some people might go through this list and say, well, I think eight of these ten deserve votes, so I'm going to give uh, two people two votes and, and uh, the other six people one vote. Some people will do that, but others will say, hey, look, I want one person to win really badly, so I'm going to give them all ten votes. And that can really, really affect it. So if I looked at this and said, you know what, I feel strongly that David Chu and John Hedigan should be elected, I'm going to give them five votes each. Now, that'd be my right to do. But that would make my vote for Chu and Hedigan much more powerful than someone who, who's split up the votes among a lot more of the candidates. Now, you may ask, what's wrong with that? Well, first of all, as I said, this gives one person the, uh, the power to have their votes count more if they concentrate their votes on one or two players. And second, if people create voting blocks and all agree to put all ten votes on one person that they prefer, they can pretty much seal the election, no matter how much other people vote. So let's say um, I, I am a Poker Hall of Fame member. And I've got friends who are Poker Hall of Fame members. existing. So we all have ten votes. Each of us has ten votes. And I get together with six of the other members who are close friends of mine. And I say, you know what? I'd really like to see um, Huxeed get in. But I, but I don't think Huxeed's going to win. I don't, I don't think if the voting just goes naturally, I don't think he's going to win. And while I acknowledge that some of these other guys deserve votes, David Chu, John Hennigan, David Oppenheim... Mike Mattisau, well, I acknowledge that these guys probably deserve some votes. We, we can't waste our votes on them. We've, we've got to concentrate on Huxeed. So I'm going to put 10 votes on Huxeed and zero for everybody else. You six also do the same thing. Agreed? 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 So all these people agree. 
And they have funny voices, too, as you can hear. And now Huck Seed has 70 votes right off the bat. He's got a 70-vote lead. And so there's seven of us that do this. That leaves 39 people to vote. Well, if these 39 people spread their votes around, it's going to be very hard for anyone to catch Huck Seed, who starts off with a 70-vote lead. For example, let's say that uh, the best of the remaining nine averages two votes from all the 39 people, which is pretty hard to do. Of all the other 39 people, you average two votes. They still only get 78 and barely beat Huxied, making Huxied probably the second-place winner, which means he would still get in. So I just demonstrated there how, how seven people agreeing to get together and put their entire ten votes on one person can pretty much guarantee that person gets elected just because they give that person such a tremendous lead and the others voting are not likely to concentrate their voting that way on one person. So the 10 votes that can be distributed to where you can give 10 votes to one person really, really allows too much power to those who really want to see certain people elected, especially if they get together and do it. And this is not just conspiracy theorizing. This has actually happened. And this is how we've seen some unlikely people elected because the they had voting blocks that would get together and all agree to put all 10 votes on one person. This has really happened. And there's no reason not to change this. Why should there be 10 votes to spread around? Or if you really want to give people the opportunity to do that, then say, okay, 10 votes to spread around, but the most you can do for one person is three. Something like that. This way, even the, the voting blocks can't be that influential. So going back to our example, if seven people got together and wanted to elect Huxseed, the most they could do is give him a 21-vote lead instead of a 70-vote lead. That's what they should do. And they, they can even say it's up to 10 votes. You're not, you're, you know, you're not required to use all 10 votes. In fact, uh, I, I believe currently you're not quiet, required to use all 10 votes. So people could just vote three for Huxseed and nobody else, but still it wouldn't give him that giant of a lead because uh, the other 39 people voting, you know, they, they, they would allow others to catch up who are more qualified. So this is the problem, was where you just, uh, you know, six, seven people can get together and rig the whole thing. And have. And this has been brought to their attention many times, and the, they don't want to change it. Okay, so I want to tell you guys about the... Opportunity in Atlantic City. This is a long show, by the way. It's a long show. The show's coming up on seven hours, and I'm not even done. No wonder I'm starting to get like a sore throat. Atlantic City is doing a players' card matching program. When I say Atlantic City, I mean really several casinos there. That 
is very good. And if you've ever desired higher tier cards at properties where you really don't play much, now is your chance to get them if you go to Atlantic City. Now, I want to preface this with this is not a tremendous opportunity that you should travel across the country for. This is something where if you're going there anywhere, if you live close, do it. If you're not, then don't. So, like, I'm not going to fly in from the West to go do this. I'm guaranteeing you that. If it were worth it, I would, but it's not worth that much. But it's one of these things, if you're going to be there, or if you're close, then do it. So, a status match is where if you have a player's card at one property, or one group of properties, that that you can go to other properties and they will match it to approximately their equivalent card. Caesars already does this. Caesars, you, you, uh, any Caesars property, not just the ones in Atlantic City, you can go in and get Total Rewards Diamond, which is the second highest level, just by having a higher card at one of many other properties around the country. So keep that in mind. And uh, you can find a list of these on, on uh, VegasCasinoTalk.com. If you go to the Total Rewards and M-Life portion of the forum, you can find the thread about that there. If you want Diamond, you can just get it for free that way if you have a higher card at one of many properties around the country. But this is not really what I'm talking about here. There's an Atlantic City-only promotion going on by several casinos where they match each other's cards. So what I'm going to do is I will tell you each high-level card, and then I will list all the cards that you can use to match with it. And if you hear your card mentioned as one that can be used for a match, and you want one of the cards that I name here, then you can just go and get it. So let's say you want Total Rewards Diamond. Of course, that would be good at any Caesars property around the country. Total Rewards Diamond. You get out of resort fees. There's special lines. Um, you get into diamond lounges. Actually, no, you don't. I forgot about that. You need 25000 to get into those for free. So forget the diamond lounges. But you, you can get... Uh, there's the special lines. There's the no resort fees. There's the free parking. And then there's some other smaller benefits. If you have any of the following cards, you can go into an Atlantic City Caesars property and get it matched, and you can get the diamond card, even if you have an existing card. If you have MGM, M-Life, Gold, Platinum, or Noir, if you have the Golden Nugget 24K uh, programs, Elite, or Chairman, if you have resorts, casinos, star star card at level red carpet or paramount. If you have the Tropicana Trop Advantage card of black or platinum. And as I said, you can also do this at any... This is Atlantic City only, but then also if you're not in Atlantic City, you can go to a Caesars property and get matched to Total Rewards Diamond with one of many other cards around the country. And you should check that thread on VegasCasinoTalk.com in the Total Rewards and M-Life section to see that list. Also, if you have a Wyndham Diamond card for Wyndham Hotels, you can get a Total Rewards Diamond match as well. That's also on VegasCasinoTalk.com. Now, what if you want MGM M-Life Gold 
which is the third highest card. The highest they have is Noir, the second is Platinum, the third highest is Gold at MGM M-Life. You can get, that's actually that's the third out of five there, by the way. There's five levels there, that's the third out of five. If you have total rewards, seven stars or diamond. If you have resorts, star card, that's level red carpet. Or if you have Tropicana, Trop Advantage, Black or Platinum. And by the way, this is Atlantic City only. Don't try this in Vegas M-Life properties. But MGM properties in Atlantic City, total reward, seven stars or diamond, resorts, red carpet, or Tropicana's Black or Platinum. Now, you can get higher cards at the Golden Nugget in Atlantic City, but it was noted by a listener that these are light versions of the card, meaning that uh, they have much lesser benefits, so it's probably not worth it. But if you want to anyway, you can get a light version of the Golden Nugget 24K Elite card, which is their highest level, but again, you're getting like an inferior version of the card. If you have MGM, M-Life, Gold, Platinum, or Noir, if you have Total Reward, Seven Stars, or Diamond, if you have Resorts, Red Carpet, or Paramount, or Tropicana's Trop Advantage, Black, Platinum, or Gold. And if you don't have those, you can also get a light version of Golden Nuggets uh, 24K Chairman card, which is one level below Elite. If you have Total Reward Platinum, MGM, M-Life, Pearl, both of which you can get for free just by getting a credit card. Uh, Resorts, Epic card or Tropicana, Trop Advantage, Copper card. I wouldn't suggest bothering with the 24K cards, though, because as I said, they're, they're like a light version of the card, and they actually make it very... They're different colors, and they make it very clear. It says trade-up stabbed on them. So, much... You, you don't get as much for that. Those won't get you much respect. A lot of times these higher cards are also good for respect on property. Because the, the employees on property don't know how much you've actually played. So you can get favors done for you. If there's employees mistreating you, you can complain about them and you know, you'll get your word is taken a lot more seriously. I'm, I'm not joking about that. It's really true. So if it says trade up on there, nobody will give you any respect. And the benefits are worse. Now, Ocean Resort in Atlantic City, they will give you a black card, which is their highest level, if you have any of the following. MGM, M-Life, Platinum, or Noir, Total Reward 7 Stars, Golden Nugget 24K Elite, Resorts Red Carpet, or Tropicana's Black. Any of those will get you Ocean Resort's Black, which is their highest level. If you want the second highest level at Ocean Resort, which is Platinum... You can match that with MGM M-Life Gold, Total Rewards Diamond, Golden Nugget 24K Chairman, Hard Rock's uh, Wild Card known as Rock Royalty or Elite. Either of those two will get it. Resorts Paramount or Tropicana's Platinum. So any of those will get you the second level card at Ocean's Resort called Platinum. If you want to get the third level card at Ocean Resort called Gold, you can ha- show them Total Rewards Platinum, MGM per- uh, M-Life Pearl, Golden Nuggets 24K Premier, Resorts Epic, or Tropicana Gold or Copper. At the Hard Rock, if you want to get their top, 
top-ranked card, which is called Rock Royalty. And by the way, the Hard Rock, has, it's kind of a weird program because they have different Hard Rock programs at every Hard Rock. So Rock Royalty isn't everywhere. But uh, Rock Royalty in the Atlantic City Hard Rock, you can get. Though sometimes you can trade, you, you can match within proper, you know, within Hard Rock. So sometimes you can go rematch them. But uh, Hard Rock's Wild Card Rock Royalty, which is their highest level, you can match with a lot of different cards, some even outside of the Atlantic City area. In Atlantic City, you can use a Total Reward 7-star or Diamond, MGM M-Life Noir Platinum or Gold, Golden Nuggets 24K Elite or Chairman, Resorts Red Carpet, Tropicana's Black or Platinum. But also, if you have cards from any of these properties in the uh, East Coast, uh, you can also get the Rock Royalty card. This includes Maryland Live's Jade or Chairman, Foxwood's Diamond, Mohegan Sun's Leap, Ascend, or Soar, Parks Elite, Resorts World, which is different than Resorts, Resorts World, Platinum or Black, Sugar House's Signature, Sand Bethlehem's Preferred or Chairman, Hard Rock Seminole, The X-Card or Elite, Hard Rock Backstage Pass Platinum, which is another Hard Rock, I'm not sure which one, and then Hard Rock's Rockstar Rewards Legend from another Hard Rock. So any of those can get you the Rock Royalty. The second tier Hard Rock card in Atlantic City called Elite, you can get for Total Rewards Platinum, MGM M-Life Pearl, Golden Nugget 24K Premier, uh, Resorts Epic or Paramount, Tropicana Trap Advantage Gold or Copper, and then the out-of-market cards, Maryland Live Platinum or Black, Foxwood Platinum, Mohegan Suns Ignite, Parks Premium, Resorts World Silver or Gold, Circa House Preferred, Hard Rock's Backstage Pass Entourage, and Hard Rock's Rockstar Rewards Hall of Fame. Any of those will get you the Elite card at Hard Rock. Now, what properties will do this, specifically in Atlantic City? For its total reward, their properties are Bally's, Caesars, and Harrah's. MGM M-Life, that's at Borgata, that's where you get that match done. Ocean Resort is where you get the Ocean Resort card, of course. Golden Nugget Atlantic City is where you get the Golden Nugget card. And Hard Rock Casino, formerly the Taj Mahal in Atlantic City, is where you get the Hard Rock cards. On VegasCasinoTalk.com, you can also find a link to the benefits you will get for each of these cards, so you can see which ones are worth doing. Somebody asked on Vegas Casino Talk, uh, what do you really get? What, what's really Is it really worth doing? What, what do you really get for this? So, at Ocean Resort, you actually get uh, free slot play. So... That's actually pretty good. You also get um, at Hard Rock for being Rock Royalty. You also get uh, free play. So you get a hundred dollars at uh, Ocean Resort and one hundred fifty at Hard Rock. So you get that right there. They claim they offer complimentary show tickets, but uh, I don't know. Yeah. You know, what you really get for that. I know that uh, one of them is the Howie Mandel Comedy Club, if that appeals to you. So, someone else suggested that if you have a Seven Stars Companion card, you might be able to kind of fool these casinos into doing the match anyway, because according to a poster named Narakil, who also listens to the show on VegasCasinoTalk.com, he said that they don't look very closely, so if you just flash a card that says seven stars, they don't really look that closely and see companion, especially if you 
maybe put your finger over the companion part. <laughs> that uh, they they may do the match, and also that they're not checking the expiration dates very closely. So you can even give them an expired one, and if they catch it, just say, "Oh, I brought the wrong one." That's not my suggestion. This is from Narakil, but I think these might work. And there's not much risk. At worst, they're going to go, oh, we can't do it. Sorry. They're not going to arrest you or anything like that. So that's another thing you may want to think about. Uh, The Borgata is, as far as location-wise, if you don't know Atlantic City, that's not very close to the boardwalk. So you have to drive there or take an Uber or something. That's kind of like a little, uh, I want to, don't want to say an island, but it's like on a hill by itself. The, the rest of these are on the boardwalk, but the boardwalk's pretty long. So if you want to walk from Caesars Atlantic City to where the Hard Rock and Ocean's Resorts are located, it's about 20 to 30 minutes to walk. So it's not super close, but it's doable. So yeah, it's something you should do. You're not going to get all these great offers. They're only going to offer you things based on your play. These are guaranteed benefits. That's what you need to know. So don't think if you get Ocean Resorts Black, for example, they're going to send you $1,000 free play offers. They're not. They will only send you that based upon your actual play at those casinos. The the reason you want, would want an, a, a upper-tier card is, number one, for the guaranteed benefits, and number two, for the respect they will show you. or And number three, for... Upgrades in the hotels, they're much more likely to give you free upgrades to things or give you better rooms if you request it if you are a higher tier card. And often the hotel side of these properties does not have access to your play. So like at Ocean Resorts Black, I have a feeling if you have that card, uh, no one's going to see there except for the casino that you haven't actually played there. So I would get them if it's not going to be a lot of trouble for you. It's not, not worth a separate trip for Atlantic, to Atlantic City, but if you're there, it's worth doing at least some of these, especially the ones with the free play, the hard rock and oceans. Finally, final topic. And then we will be back on Friday the 13th. Final topic is an accusation Regarding a casino I've never heard of before. And that is uh, called Spirit what is it? Spirit Mountain Casino in Grand Ronde, Oregon. I don't even know where that is. Grand I, I know a lot of Oregon. I don't know where Grand Ronde is. I'm gonna look it up on the map right now. Well, now I see why I don't know where it is, because it's in the middle of nowhere. Grand Ronde, Oregon, is kind of central west Oregon. Not too far from the coast, but not that close either. And not particularly close to any large city. It's southwest of Portland and west of Salem, but not particularly close to either one. It's, uh, if you continued on the 22 west, you would get to Pacific City on the coast, if you know Oregon. But it's not going to be that close to anything. Uh, It is an Indian casino. Indian casinos tend to be uh, rather petty and selfish. 
So I watch out about Indian casinos, and this isn't. I'm not trying to be racist here against uh, Native Americans. I'm just telling you that a lot of these Indian casinos are, are, are run by uh, a, a few very greedy tribes people who don't always uh, have the benefit of their entire tribe in mind, and they're all they want to do is enrich themselves, and uh, will sometimes be very petty about very small things. They're often not very customer service oriented, shall I say. So listen, listen to this accusation from a user on Poker Fraud Alert named Puck66. The Bad Beat Jackpot at Spirit Mountain in Grand Ronde, Oregon has not been hit in four years. The qualifier is quad eights beaten by a better hand with both whole cards playing in both the loser and the winner's hand. For those of you that don't understand that, that means you have to use both whole cards. You can't just play the board. So where you can get screwed on this, well, there's a lot of ways you can get screwed. But like uh, if you make quads, let's say you have uh, one seven in your hand. Actually, it wouldn't be good enough. It has to be quad eights. So let's say you have, let's say you have quad eights. These are three eights on the board. Let's say the board is eight 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 king queen, and you have eight seven in your hand. Oh, that hand wouldn't qualify for the bad beat jackpot, even if you lost it. I guess you couldn't lose that hand. Eight 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 king queen. Let's say eight 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 queen jack, where where a straight flush beats you. Okay, eight 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 queen jack. If you had eight seven. And you got beat by a straight flush, you would not win that jackpot. Why? Because the seven doesn't play. Because what your poker hand would be would be quad eights with a queen kicker. So you'd be using everything on the board except for the fourth eight. So here you'd have to be, you'd have to have both whole cards making that hand. Now, if you if you have a pocket pair in your hand and make quads that way, then for sure you're making the quads with with both whole cards. So it doesn't have to be with a with a pocket pair in your hand, but it has to be both whole cards play. So it has to be quad eights or better loses to someone else who's using both whole cards. So if you lose to a one-card straight flush, that's also no good. So this has not been a hit in four years. So the bad beat jackpot, for those of you that don't know, they take a portion of the rake. They have a special rake just for the jackpot that goes directly into the jackpot, and that's how the jackpot gets bigger. So every raked hand, they take you know like a dollar for the jackpot, and that increases the jackpot a dollar and goes up and up and up. Well, as you might imagine, it's a large jackpot at this point, having not been hit for four years. However, when it got to $100,000, they stopped raising it. They said the jackpot is capped, and they're not going to continue raising it. I don't know why, but they've decided that uh, maybe, I don't know if it's the state law, I don't know if they've just decided it's high enough. Whatever it is, it is not going up anymore. It got to 100000 and it stopped. So wouldn't you think that means that they're going to take less out of the pot? Because prior to the jackpot stopping, they were taking $5 rake out of every pot. And some of it was going into the jackpot. Now they're still taking $5 from each pot, but the jackpot's not going up. Now they do have what's known as a mini bad beat jackpot, which is hit when aces full of kings loses instead of quad eights. Aces full of kings are better losers, which is a lot easier to lose. 
and that gets hit usually about once a month. They're still putting money in the mini bad beat jackpot, but not the regular one. So Puck 66 suspects that they're just pocketing the money that they're collecting for the jackpot for the regular one that's already been kept. Which should be illegal because any jackpot money has to go to the jackpot, and even if they close down the casino, they're always required to give the jackpot away in some way. They can't just keep it. That is not a rake. A jackpot is separate from the rake. So someone posted back, who is skeptical of Puck's claims, did you ever fucking consider that maybe the jackpot drop is what's funding the mini jackpot entirely now? Stop assuming the worst. So this is what Puck said back. And that's a good point. You know, How do you know that they're just not making the mini bad beat jackpot go up faster? Now that the regular one has been capped. So Puck said back, I asked them about the bad beat not increasing anymore, and they point out that the the mini bad beat jackpot uh, is still going, but they cut me off before I could ask if it's still going into the bad, about what was going to the bad beat now uh, is going to the mini bad beat. I didn't go there all the time. However, I haven't ever seen the mini bad beat higher than what it usually is. So what he's trying to say here, he, he didn't write that very well, but what he's trying to say here is that he asked them, that they cut him off and didn't want to answer any further, and that he's been observing the mini bad beat jackpot, which is hitting on average once a month, and it, it doesn't seem any higher than it usually is, which it should be if it's, if it's increasing at a higher rate, because if they're no longer funding the regular bad beat jackpot and funneling that money to the mini one, because the regular one's capped, it should rocket up much faster. And he says it's not. It's, it's increasing at about the same rate. So it really does look like they're probably just keeping it. We're not sure, but it kind of looks like that, according to Puck66. So that same person then responded and said you should go report them to the state authorities. I, I think you should, too. I'm not going to get involved, but... That is very suspicious. So if, if for whatever reason you live in that area, if you live in the Portland or Salem area of Oregon, and you do go to this casino, the Spirit Mountain Casino, and that you're uh, playing there, I, I would nail down an answer from them. I would ask them how much of the rake is going to the jackpot how much was going before to the regular one and how much was going to the mini one from each hand and how much is going now. And if it's all going to the mini one now, then why are we not seeing it increasing at a faster rate than it is when the regular one is being funded as well? And see what answer they give you. And if you don't get a straight answer, then go to state authorities, go to the regulators and complain. It would not surprise me if an Indian tribe is playing fast and loose with this, and just once it got capped, they're keeping it. Also, find out why it got capped. I don't know why it's even capped. Maybe it's state law, maybe it's not. Maybe the cap it really is a way for them to just uh, steal jackpot money. They think, hey, 100K is high enough, that's, uh, you know, that's going to entice people here just as much as 150K would, so screw it, we're just going to cap it at 100 and, and, and pocket the rest. So this doesn't affect most people here. I'm sure most of you have never even heard of the Spirit Mountain Casino in Grand Ronde, Oregon. But nevertheless, an interesting situation 
that I thought was worth discussing at the end of the show. So we'll be back on July 13th. That'll be our next show. Then we will be back six days after that on July 19th. will be the next show. What's up, my nigga? <laughs> Don't say that to Maurice Hawkins. That's a tip. Then uh, 10 days later, July 29th. And then you have to wait again 10 days till August 8th for the next show. Those are the shows on the schedule. Then we should be back August 15th, August 22nd, August 29th, etc., etc., etc. And uh, at least for a few months, the, that should be pretty consistent. So th- those are the plans. The show will go on, even if it's not uh, on a regular schedule at the moment. But hey, we're, at least I'm doing it. At least I'm finding time to do it. You know, I, I could be doing so many other things. There's so many other things I could be doing here in Vegas when I'm not playing World Series events. I could be running more video poker. I could be spending time with friends I have in the area or friends I have who are visiting Vegas in the moment. Um, I could be taking phone calls from people. Oh, what the heck? I'll do that right now. Call you on the air. Oh, uh, yeah, Struff. This is Puck. I said I would try to call in at this if I was still awake. Okay, welcome. Um, well, good. I, I know I, yeah, so, I mean, I figured because of the Indian Casino, I didn't know there really was, um, you know, I only go there to play poker, and then I go play poker in the, you know, up in the Portland area. And, I, I mean, I honestly... I, I don't know who to complain to because I figured the Oregon Lottery wouldn't have any, you know, they, what are they going to say? They're going to be like, it's a, it's a tribe. What, you know, why are you com- coming to us? So, you know, I mean, it's a, you know, I mean, there's what, like four or five inning casinos in all of Oregon. Is there even a, you know, I mean, who's really regulating that, right? Cause, well, I, I don't you know. know. Okay. So that- I don't know Oregon very well, but there is regulation. This is why. Like the Indians can't just say, okay, we're going to start taking sports bets and we're going to, you know, we're, we're going to have, uh, craps games. They can't just do this. They can't just decide to do what they want because they're on Indian land. There, there are rules that they have agreed to adhere to and, um, with, with the gaming and they, they've entered, uh, tribal compacts with the state and they, they have to adhere to these rules. Now, where you're screwed is if you have individual issues with them if you if you individually get screwed by them in some way uh then you're screwed and and you have to go to one of their tribunals over there and basically complain to them about them and good luck with that but as far as adhering to laws regarding their gaming in general that they do actually have to adhere to that so that's why i would contact the oregon lottery if they're the ones who are managing this and ask them, and the problem, the problem may be getting to the right person, because the typical person who answers the phone at the Oregon Lottery who would be managing so many things is going to say, what, a bad B jackpot? I mean, what do you mean? What do you mean they're, 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 they capped it? What does that even mean? Like, they're not going to understand it. So you, you have to find who you can reach, what you need to do if you do want to report them. And if you don't, that's fine, too. I know it's a, not a huge matter, but if you do want to report them, I would call the Oregon Lottery, ask if they regulate poker for Indian tribes, the poker rooms that Indian tribes run, and 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 uh, 
ask who you would talk to about that because there's probably someone there who is knowledgeable about the rules they have to adhere to regarding poker. And they, they must have at some point come to some sort of agreement with the state regarding the jackpot. And someone must have some knowledge of that. I think there may be like only one person in all of Oregon who would have that knowledge, but, but uh, see if they can put you in contact with that person. And it, it may be easy and it may be incredibly difficult. And if it's incredibly difficult, you probably have to give up. But uh, that, that's what I would suggest here as far as reporting this. Uh, do you have any idea why the 100000 is capped like that? No, I don't. Like, like I said, I go there probably once a month because, really, I like to go play in the Portland poker rooms. There's, you know, there's no rig. You just pay a door fee. There's no bad, bad beat jackpot. And, you know, it's just a straight-up poker game, really. Um, there's some weird rules in Oregon that you have to kind of deal with by going to those. And, you know, but to me, it's worth the weird rules from time to time just to not have a rake. Um, you know, I'd rather pay a five dollar door fee than go play than go pay five bucks a hand. Um, so I don't go there that often. I go there once, you know, probably like once a month or whatever. Because every once in a while, you get you know you get, you get some, somebody doesn't know what they're doing, walk into the poke, you know, walk into the poker room and and whatever. But no, I don't because, like I said, when I I didn't want to be too confrontational. I just kind of was trying to inquire. Um, curious mind type of questioning to him on that. And like I said in the thread, I got cut off. Like, it, you know, I got cut off and, and then when I, and then when I asked, you know, they just hurry up and change the subject. And that's, that's actually why I started post. That's actually why I made the post was because they didn't give me an answer and because I did get cut off and because they didn't want to talk to me about it, which to me is already suspicious. Yeah, it you know, is. When, yeah. You know, so. Yeah, it is. I, I don't know what their issue is. They, well, I think I do know. They probably don't want to own up to what they're doing. And, yeah, I, I would say that's suspicious that they couldn't tell you exactly what's happening. It kind of reminds me of, of, of that casino manager I talked to at that uh, property downtown. I'm saying, what about my offers? And he keeps trying to give me weird responses that don't directly answer the question and then seems kind of irritated when I keep trying to nail him down on – what they could possibly do for me because I think maybe he knew the answer is probably nothing and doesn't want to admit that to me and drive me away. So yeah, whenever you get these evasive answers, it's usually because they don't want to tell you the truth. So yeah, so, I mean, good for you for calling this out. And if that, if you really want to uh, take this further, that's, that's what I would suggest is call the Oregon lottery and try to find the person who would be managing the compliance with the law regarding their poker room. And then go from there, and make sure they understand this is not about a personal grievance you have with them. Say this, you know, this isn't about uh, any personal dispute. It's about something that I believe they're doing in general that's breaking the law. And uh, and see if they can put you. And then just try to explain it just as simply as possible, or even start asking questions. You know, ask the person if you get a hold of that person who would be in charge of the regulation of the poker rooms. You ask them, uh, you know, what are the laws regarding the bad beat jackpots that they have in poker games, and and how they distribute the money. And whether they can keep any of it for themselves, you know, what are the laws regarding that? And if he, and if he says, well, the law is that every dollar they take in through the bad beat jackpot uh, rake that, that has to be redistributed to the players, then say, well, I don't think it's happening. Let me tell you what's going on there. And then, and you can also ask the regulator: is uh, is there a law requiring they cap it at a hundred thousand, or 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 can they make it as high as they want? So, you know, find that out too, and and see where you can get. Sometimes, sometimes you get 
a surprising amount of cooperation and the bad actors get in some kind of trouble and sometimes you run into a brick wall trying to report something and have to finally give up. I've, I've seen I've seen both happen with these type of things. So you never know. Yeah. I think I, I mean, I think I probably will go further because to me it's also, you know, the the casinos in in, you know, in Oregon have been trying to shut down the poker rooms in Portland using social gaming. The Oregon lottery's been going hard. So, you know, for me, even if it just if you can somehow put a, you know, put an official tally on the books that hey, the casinos aren't, you know, aren't boy scouts either type of type of scenario, then, you know, it's it's worth it to me for that just cuz I mean, it's a much better deal to go play in the poker rooms than it is to go play in the casino. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, 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 and it's also, also the... I have to walk by people smoking in casinos versus poker rooms. They don't like, it's just so much better atmosphere. So. Yeah. Well, and, and just, it could yeah. be the, just the principle of the matter too. If you just see something that kind of pisses you off that, uh, there's some wrongdoing going on, then sometimes it's just worth it to go report them and have the satisfaction that you've reported it and, and done your part to have it looked into. And if you you know you don't have to make a life's mission of it, but yeah, sometimes just reporting something like that is is worth doing. And I've I've done it before. In fact, I once reported this is not a casino thing. I reported a a Taco Bell to the health department once, not over anything with the food, but I, I went in with Benjamin to a Taco Bell, and before we ate, we went to go wash our hands, and only hot water was running. And that's that's so frustrating when you're trying to wash your hands in in a public restroom. And there's only like really hot water, and especially for a kid, you know, kids hate washing their hands as it oh, is. Yeah. So, so trying to get him to wash his hands with this super hot water is like, you know. So, the first time I brought this to their attention, they said to me that, uh, um, you know, okay, they'll, you know, they'll get this fixed. Then I came in probably a month later. There's the same situation. So I, asked, I I told you guys about this a month ago. What happened? There's still only hot water. And so I was told, well, what happens is uh, teenagers come in and play pranks on us and just turn off the cold water. I go, okay, well, if that's true, you know, come in with me and turn it back on. Ah, uh, well, um, you know, like they, they were – so finally I, I had them go in with me and then they saw that there was no way to turn it back on. So the truth is I think they had some problem with the hot water – or sorry, the cold water feed into the sink – and that rather than fix it, they said, screw it. Just let people wash their hands with hot water. Not only that, but I thought it was kind of gross that this meant that probably the employees are not washing their hands very well because it's very uncomfortable to do so. You're not going to run the water on your hands very long if it's so hot. So I, th- I, I was going about to I was about to say how how is teenagers just coming in and turning off the hot water like yeah like like how and 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 why yeah like why would they ever do that why would that be the prank so so anyway I I got. I said, "Come on, you guys have got to fix this." And clearly, to me, you just don't feel like spending the money to fix it. This is, you know, this is a health violation. Anyway, they, they ignored me. They just dismissed me. So I, I walked out and I, I made a call to the county health department, and I reported it. I actually haven't been back in there to see if they fixed it, but uh, and it's been a while. I just kind of was frustrated with that place and didn't come back for a while. I'm not saying I'll never come again, but I, like I, I haven't been back since. But it's been several months. But but I I made that call to the county health department to report them because I I felt like they were purposely not cooperating. They just didn't feel like spending the money to fix it, and uh, and I felt probably the employees probably weren't even washing their hands very well because of that hot water. So uh, 
could I have solved it by simply never coming back? Yes, but I, I didn't think that uh, I felt it was the right thing to do to report. Would would I have spent twenty hours on on following this up and making sure this got done? No, but report taking a few minutes to report it. Yeah, I would do that. So that's what I did. So this this is kind of similar, I think. Okay. Okay. Yeah, I'll definitely I'll definitely try to nail some you know find somebody at the Oregon Lottery and see see if there's even somebody they could complain to. Yeah. So who knows? Yeah, you never know. Sometimes, as I said, sometimes it's easy. Sometimes with you know reporting things to the government, it's incredibly hard. And you run into a brick wall, and it, it just you'd have to put a lot of time and effort into into doing it. And at that point, unless it's something really important, you just give up. I mean, that's a that's a fact. And I, I've run right. into that before too. With uh, uh, so anyway, uh, but thanks for calling. And how how long have you been listening to the show? Like not to, tonight, uh, but like like overall. Two and a half years. I. I Probably about two and a half years. I listen on TuneIn Radio, um, and I'll listen to the. I'll just listen to the podcast while I work. Um, I I work <laughs> I work some long hours sometimes, so uh, a lot of times I'll just put in the headphones and as I'm typing up at work, it, typing uh, the papers and all that fun stuff at work. A lot of times I'll listen that way. Okay. So yeah, and then sometimes when I play cards up in Portland, I'll, I'll listen also. You know, I, I once uh, I was talking at the main event table yesterday about this show, and I mentioned it's a, it's a very long show, and someone said, "Oh, it's long." It was like two hours. <laughs> I said, "Nope, that's not <laughs> no like six or seven, and they couldn't believe it. And I said, "Yep, it, a lot of people don't listen to it in one sitting, but it gives a lot of you know, people a lot of material to listen throughout the week." Or if, and someone said, "Yeah, like long drives too. I guess, like long drives or." Flights or uh, long times grinding poker or at work or even some people use it. Thirteen-hour work days. Yeah. yeah or, 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 <laughs> or people going to sleep. Yeah. Whatever it is. Whatever. As long as people are listening, this what matters. So okay. Well, uh, thanks for calling in and uh, thanks for that report on that uh, casino there. And I thought that was uh, an interesting story. And we'll see where, if there's an update. Uh, definitely post it. And don't, don't worry about the guy who was kind of skeptical of you. That just you know we have those people on the forum who they're sometimes not always that polite. You just sound like a drama king to me. I was like, what the? Why are you swearing and everything? I'm just trying to report something that I come across. I can't even prove it or know. I don't even know how about go about it. And then, you know, throws in all these F bonds and everything. I'm like, what a drama queen. Yeah, well, look, it, 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 you, brought, you brought up a reasonable concern. So I, I think the. I mean, while what he said is was something that's worth considering. Uh, you shouldn't have been attacked for bringing it up because that's, it's definitely a real concern. I, I would think the same thing if I were there. Okay. All okay. Right, great. Thanks for calling in. Good night. All right. Thank you. Bye bye. So that was Puck sixty six. I've never heard from him before. I'm going to check my text messages before we shut down the show. I forgot to do that tonight. Uh, I'm not sure which one he's referring to. He wrote the, this is from the 314. Uh, this is an amazing story. You are the Larry David of the casino world. I'm guessing this is about the thing with a El Burro Baracho. He said, uh, by the way, sometimes countless 21, he's referring to blackjack, floor people will allow the action of two players at the blackjack table to go on just one card. Is that also a violation of gaming law? Sounds like a fib to me. Yeah, no, I've seen that before. Yeah, I've seen that where they'll allow two people to play on one card. But it seems like it's the reverse. It seems like they're saying once action goes on a card, they can't undo it for any reason. 
that's a little different than what you're saying. We're just allowing two people to play on one card. They're pretty much saying that once something's on a card, it's just stuck there and there's nothing you can do about it, which would be weird. From the 702, LOL, you think Helmuth berating players is bad for poker. Even the most casual players know his shtick, and it makes their whole tournament experience. They love to set him off so they have a story to tell people back home. No one said anything because they didn't agree with your statement. Well, I can't speak for the people who are at the table, but I can speak for someone who I communicated with directly who was at my table two years ago. Or sorry, not two years ago, last year when I had my little uh, altercation with Helmuth about him doing the thumbs-up motion for a raise, which was ruled not a raise, and he got really mad at me. And we, we started going back and forth. And then an amateur player at the table from Minnesota tweeted at Helmuth not to worry about me, that, you know, that, that, you know basically criticizing me for, for what I did there. And saying not, you know, not to, not, not really so much of what I did, but the, you know, the subsequent argument that basically he just took Helmuth's side because Helmuth was the big name and he kind of admired him and all that. So he was, he was tweeting encouragement to Helmuth not to worry about people like me, basically. And then minutes after he sent that tweet, which I only found later on after the night was over. So I didn't know about it when I was at the table with this guy. Minutes after he sent that tweet, he put a bad beat on Helmuth, who then went on to berate him. And then the guy went and tweeted afterwards that he was sorry that he had posted this encouraging message to Helmuth because of the way he was treated there. That he wished he hadn't post- sent that to Helmuth. So I only saw this. I only found out what this guy's Twitter was because it happened that he was friends with uh, Mike Schneider who I know through Limit Hold'em, who's also from Minnesota. So I happened to see that guy and Schneider communicating, and I said, oh, that's the guy who was at the table with me. And then I saw he was mentioning the altercation with me and Helmuth on his Twitter, and then mentioned later how he was sorry he gave, you know, that he said these nice things to Helmuth in the first place with the way he was treated. So this guy was not happy about it. And then I saw the guy in the hallway a few days later, and I talked to him, and I wasn't mad at him. I just, uh, you know, I, I thought so that was funny that, you know, minutes after he sent that to Helmuth, then he got berated like that. And the guy was, you know, he was, he didn't like it. He didn't like it because Helmuth didn't just make, you know, one little comment. He was just kept going on and on and on and what a, what a donkey this guy was. And even if it's Helmuth calling you a donkey, you don't like it because it, it, it's kind of humiliating. The people who laugh it off typically are the pros who know they're not fish. So like, for example, when Terrence Chan got berated last year and then tweeted about it, Terrence Chan laughed about it. Because Terrence Chan knows he's not a fish. Terrence Chan knows his accomplishments in poker. He he's not insulted. He's he's not worried the table's going to think he's a fish. He he knows that he's done enough in poker that stupid statements from Helmuth about how bad he is uh, don't really matter. And it's just amusing that finally he got a, a Helmuth B rating. Okay, you know that, that's so like crispier in there. I know he didn't seem like he really enjoyed it either. But at least again, he's not going to say, "Oh, I'm quitting poker because uh, Helmuth B rated me." Uh, the, the thing is, though, amateurs, while they like to have interaction with the pros, I, I don't think that most of them want Helmuth as going on and on and on about how bad they are. And I can see the way they act when Helmuth goes off on them. They're not smiling or laughing about it. They seem very uncomfortable, and they they seem unhappy that it's going on. It's almost like that, that one of their idols is, is uh, making fun of them and putting them down. 
And even if they know that's his shtick and that's what he does, the thing is he doesn't do this as a joke. He, he's doing it because he's, he's like legitimately telling you that you suck. And if you don't have a, a strong poker resume and, and if you don't have a, a very uh, strong counter even in your own mind of, hey, no, I don't suck. I'm not a fish. I'm a good poker player. Um, you know, when you have a helmet telling you how, how bad you are and how, how badly you screwed up the hand, you can think, hmm, you know, maybe he's right. Maybe I suck. Maybe, maybe helmet just, you know, brought up a good point that I'm terrible and now everybody at the table knows it too. And that can go through your mind. So I can tell you by looking at the, the body language of the facial expressions, these people don't seem to like it. I'm not saying there's none who, who like it. There, there might be some who are amused by it, but, and, and I know people on the outside watching it don't mind it, but, uh, uh, you know, for them, they just kind of go, oh, look at Helmuth being Helmuth. But but when you're on the receiving end of it, it's not very fun. And I can tell. And I've even, as I said, that guy from Minnesota, he told me he didn't enjoy it. To the point where he was even sorry that he wrote a nice tweet to Helmuth. So I disagree with your assessment there. Uh person corrected me it was Chris Tucker not Chris Rock you're right it was Chris Tucker I don't know why I said Chris Rock in the uh, saying uh, yeah, what's up in this is from the 507 is there ever a concern that other players at your table will be reading your Twitter and seeing what you're saying about the hands you played Answer, yes, there is, there's a big concern about that. Um, it does depend who it is. If it's someone who I can tell probably does not follow Twitter or likely to look it up, then I'm probably more likely to say what I had, provided I don't mind the rest of the table seeing my description. If I don't want anyone knowing what I had in that hand, then I'm probably not going to say. Now, if I've shown down the hand, then then it's not a problem, because then everybody's seen anyway. Uh, or if it's something pretty obvious, then I also don't mind saying it. Um, I don't like usually saying in my Twitter, and you'll see from my updates, why I made the plays I did, because that will give a hint to my opponents of my strategies. And yes, there are opponents who will follow me and read my Twitter. And the smarter ones just read it and don't follow me. I've had some that were dumb enough to follow me during the event where at the table. I'm like, okay, I know what they're <laughs> I don't say it to them, but I know that, you know, okay, this person's really watching me now. So... I try to keep things kind of uh, vague to where I can give enough information for those who want to follow it, but not too much about the strategy I'm using or the exact hands I have, if it's questionable what I had to those at the table where they, you know, like if it's, or or sometimes I'll I'll do it 15 minutes later where it's it's not that, it wasn't a memorable hand and it's going to be hard to figure out which hand I'm talking about, like, you know. Tried to bluff a pot, didn't work, and folded you know, down to whatever. Uh, or, uh, you know, so I won't say, I tried to bluff the pot with this, 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 against this person, and uh, you know, with the board reading this way, and I bet he raised and I folded. Like, I won't put that. But if you read 15 minutes later, tried to bluff pot, didn't work, as long as it wasn't like a really big pot, that it was memorable, no one's going to remember you know, 15 minutes ago, you know, which pot I was playing and folded. And if they do, you know, big deal. So I, I try to limit the information. Uh, 
Um, from the 516, they're asking, uh, can you tell me the best ways to take advantage of the Atlantic City offers? Uh, the, the, it's not really so much taking advantage. You just have to look at the the offers, not the offers, the, the guaranteed benefits you have from each card and then just use the ones that are valuable. So definitely use all the free play. And for things that aren't free play, like show tickets, you know, go inquire or, or find online which which ones you can get with that card for free. And if it's a show that appeals to you, use it. If not, don't. Or maybe get them and give it to a friend. Or that, That's really the best way to do it. There's no real secret in taking advantage of anything. Uh, if there is free play, my advice would be run that and nothing else unless you're going to play there anyway. If you're just there for the benefits, don't run anything beyond the free play and always find the best places to do it. Either, you know, if they'll let you do it in blackjack, do it in blackjack if you're good at that, or do it in video poker at a game you're familiar with and find the best pay table. Though, when the, you know, to run $200 in free play, the pay table's not super important, but still, um, find the best thing you can, run it once, the minimum you have to run, hit the cash out button, pocket the money, and that's it. But there's no, there's no real trick. So uh, that's it. That's all for tonight. A mere, looks like, uh, over seven and a half hours. So even though we, we didn't do a show last week, I think I made up for it this week, doing uh, a show that's uh, approaching eight hours. And thank you to Brandon for the time you were here. I'm not sure where he went. He just kind of vanished, but... Uh, Happy to have him at the time he was here. Thank you, Trader Ruski, for the most of the show co-hosting. Thank you, Puck66, for your call-in. Interesting to hear from you about the Spirit Mountain Casino in Oregon. And we had some other calls I didn't get to. That I just uh, didn't answer just because we were doing other things. I, I see a call coming in now, but I just can't take it. I'm too... Uh, I'm too worn out from this. This this has been a long show, and I, I don't want to talk anymore. So, so I'm ending it. Anyway, uh, a week from today, Friday the 13th, the good luck show, huh? I don't have to worry about having any kind of uh, luck at any tournament that day, because uh, no matter what happens, my World Series will be over. Even if I win a bracelet on that last event, it'll be over by July 13th. I believe uh, July 11th would be the last day that one plays, and then uh, that's it. That's my final event. And uh, if you've invested in me, that that event is still to come. So the package is not over. You've paid for something that I haven't played yet. So you can still win more money. As always, you can follow me on Dandruff Poker on Twitter. That's twitter.com slash dandruffpoker for my tournament updates. Twitter.com slash Todd Wittellis. That's not, no underscores, anything like that. Just Todd Wittellis, W-I-T-T-E-L-E-S, is my Twitter where you can follow my general tweets. And then, of course, Twitter.com slash PokerFrawAlert for updates about this show and any changes in the schedule, etc., etc. So those are uh, three accounts to follow. The Dandruff Poker one will go silent, though, after this final event I play. It'll go silent until next year when I start up again. Usually it goes silent after I bust the main, and that's it. It's like a final thing, but I'm actually playing an event after the main for the first time in 12 years. And last time I did it, it did pretty well. The 
Last time I played events after the main, I finished 39th and 4th. So we'll see what happens with this one. A lot's changed since 12 years ago. All right. Thank you for listening, everybody. That is all for tonight. Good night. And shalom. <laughs>